IMGSOC equals mast head image JPG, Sunday, the 4th of September, 2022 My Pocket Articles for 1.32 p.m. 50 sections My Pocket Articles for 1.32 p.m. Nancy Pelosi's Napper. Wealthy friends and a husband's Porsche crash and accident shines a light on the house speaker's California life among the vineyards. Mad about row. Here's what to do now. Credit, Mark Peterson Redux for the New York Times M's. Marty is the director of operations at the West Alabama Women's Center and the author of the new handbook for a post-row America. Requiem for the Supreme Court they did it because they could. It was as simple as that. The radical reign of Clarence Thomas Washington what is happening here or distraught Nancy Pelosi said on Friday. It's a good question and I can answer it because I was there at the start of the corrosive chain of events that led to women losing control of their own bodies. Norway mass shooting is being investigated as terrorism. Police say the attack, which killed two people and seriously wounded ten others near a gay club in Oslo, came hours before the city's pride parade, which has now been cancelled. How to discipline a rogue Supreme Court The Supreme Court does not exist above the constitutional system. It can shape the constitutional order, it can say what the constitution means, but it cannot shield itself from the power of the other branches. The Supreme Court can be checked, and the Supreme Court can be balanced. Battery, battery widget 4 plus track batteries of your AirPods, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch and Mac on every device. Battery levels are liable as it uses tracking tech built into your devices. Added support for AirPods, no, justice a little, reproductive justice is in the constitution. Constitution credit, illustration by Sergio Lasso, images by David Fenton in Chicago History Museum via Getty Images M's. Goodwin is a Chancellor's Professor of Law at the University of California, Irvine, and the author of Policing the Womb, Invisible Women and the Criminalization of Motherhood. Abortion pills take the spotlight as states impose abortion bans demand for medication abortion is surging, setting the stage for new legal battles. Top Drop 4 plus Top Drop gives you a simple way to perform a range of common tasks. Simply drag files or items and Top Drop special drop area will reveal itself, with more planned in the future. A missile strike hits a crowded shopping center in central Ukraine. Video videos showed a shopping center burning in the city of Kremenchuk. Ukrainian officials said a Russian missile strike hit the building, and estimated that 1,000 people may have been inside credit credit. Why did Republicans become so extreme? Many political analysts have spent years warning that the GOP was becoming an extremist, anti-democratic party. As monkeypox spreads, U.S. plans of vaccination campaign states will be given vaccine doses from the federal stockpile, but supplies of the safest type are limited. Clinics nationwide will begin offering vaccinations against monkeypox to anyone who may have been exposed to the virus. Federal health officials announced on Tuesday 101-year-old ex-guarded Nazi camp is convicted by German court. The man, identified only as Joseph S. because of German privacy laws, was sentenced to five years in prison after being found guilty of being an accessory to more than 3,500 murders. Will the Young Six Committee finally bring down the cult of Trump? There's a saying among cult experts, nobody ever joins a cult. Of course, People join what, to outsiders, certainly appear to be cults, the Branch Davidians, the Moonies, the People's Temple and so on. Deleting your period tracker won't protect you tweets telling women to do that went viral after Roe v. Wade was overturned, but experts say other digital data are more likely to reveal an illegal abortion. To hear more audio stories from publications like the New York Times, download Auden for iPhone or Android. Patient and confident, Putin shifts out of wartime crisis mode cloistered and spouting grievances at the start of the war on Ukraine, the Russian leader now appears publicly, projecting the aura of a calm, paternalistic leader shielding his people from the dangers of the world. Early in his war against Ukraine, President Vladimir VAK9 companion so nice it, maybe, evolved twice two different ancient wolf populations contributed DNA to modern dogs, according to a new study. Clean My Mac X Big So Ready Clean My Mac X is all in one package to awesomeize your Mac. It cleans megatons of junk and makes your computer run faster, just like it did on day one. Solve Gold is proud to be the wife of a cancelled Princeton professor but she also wants to be known as more. At dinner with the aspiring public intellectual Anna Cabell, 
Princeton, N.J. Solveig Lucia Gold was setting the table in her backyard, next door to the house once occupied by Albert Einstein. An excavation in the sea depths recovers Hercules from the afterlife An ancient shipwreck off the coast of Greece is yielding secrets as an archaeological exploration project dives deeper. The effort relies on technological innovation. As myth has it, Hercules had to complete 12 heroic labors to be absolved of guilt and to become immortal. Father of Technoblade, YouTube Minecraft star, says his son has died. He read his son's final message on the YouTube channel where the 20-something had entertained more than 11 million subscribers with Minecraft gameplay and Rai commentary. The title, So Long Nerds, Those With Kids, How Do You Do School Fundraisers? The public school we send our kids to typically has quite a number of fundraisers. We are more than happy to support. I send my kids in with the money or place or order and call it a day. New dementia prevention methods may be behavioral, not prescribed as experimental drugs proven effective against increasing dementia cases in the U.S. Researchers argue that improving eyesight can have an effect. Updated COVID shots are coming. Will they be too late? The government has greenlit new vaccines to defend against the latest Omicron variants, but the shots won't arrive until the fall, and cases are rising now. Roseanne Renouf, 77, has grown tired of the current generation of coronavirus shots. James Bardeen, an expert on unraveling Einstein's equations, dies at 83 a scion of a renowned family of physicists. He helped set the stage for what has been called the golden age of black hole astrophysics. Have you joined the amazing Octorus Discord community? Get in touch via the form below to let us know if you need any help. Want to discuss an issue or just really like us? I'm a high-risk obstetrician, and I'm terrified for my patients. Dr. Hackney is a maternal fetal medicine specialist and chair of the Ohio section of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. My wife and I practice in medical fields, obstetrics and pediatrics. That should be filled with happiness. Has Biden's top diplomat in Mexico gone too far? Officials ask. Administration officials fear that the U.S. ambassador's cozy relationship with the Mexican president has backfired and may be setting back American interests in the region. When the Tsarinas ruled the front row, a group of Russian women were once the hottest things at couture, embraced not just by fashion, but by the watching world. Where are they now? Around this time, just over a decade ago, something happened in fashion that was as rare and unexpected as the sight of Kate Moss in a tutu. Notion SQL Learning Are you looking for a way to learn SQL quickly? SQL is one of the most important programming languages for data scientists, developers and students. But it can be a little tricky to learn at first. Parents of 80-year-old were accused of her murder. Now, so are 12 more people. Elizabeth Stries of Queensland, Australia, died in January because, according to the police, she was denied medical care. It's time to stop living the American scam. Ten years ago, I wrote an essay called The Busy Trap, about the curse of business that seemed endemic at the time. The treadmill had been imperceptibly increasing its speed for a while, and people were nervously starting to notice. Shinzo Abe, Japan's longest-serving prime minister, dies at 67. Mr. Abe was shot on Friday during a campaign event. Before he left office in 2020, he helped pull his country out of economic malaise but fell short of his most cherished goal, to normalize Japan's military after decades of post-war pacifism. Homebrew's HR resources for startups in 2022 share explore want to print your doc? This is not the way. Try clicking the next to your doc name or using a keyboard shortcut, CTRLP, instead. Elon Musk moves to end $44 billion deal to buy Twitter in a regulatory filing on Friday. Mr. Musk said Twitter was in material breach of the acquisition agreement. San Francisco, less than three months ago, Elon Musk, the world's richest man, struck a blockbuster for a $4 billion deal to buy Twitter. Why mass shooters do the evil they do I will never get over the fact that our society seems to produce a steady stream of young men who think it is heroic to murder innocent people. I read their histories. I look at the social science research. I've tried to understand the typical pathway they take to get to their evil behavior. This is disgusting. An insider's account on the fall of Cuomo kissing montages, Chris Cuomo's interventions and the futile effort to save bad Andrew from himself. Lee Smith is the author of the forthcoming book, Any Given Tuesday. 
Goosebumps build for the web's first snapshots of the universe. NASA picked five new images or scenes from around the universe that it hopes will knock the public's socks off. Get ready for astronomical records to be broken. On Tuesday morning, NASA will show off the first pictures and data from the new James Webb Space Telescope. Desperate for recruits, Russia launches a stealth mobilization leery of a national draft for the Ukraine war. The Kremlin is offering cash bonuses and employing strong-arm tactics. If only John Roberts would retire if liberal dreams, so endearing, so enduring, really did come true, Chief Justice John Roberts would resign. He's been at it for 17 years, and he's been incapable of tempering the Federalist Society stamped fanatics on the right or leading the court toward any semblance of justice for all. Piano trainer quiz mode will test your knowledge on the circle of fifths and your key recognition. Practice mode will help you practice scales, chords and fifths. Shout out to everyone supporting the project. I'm planning to buy a yacht with the donations 10 Web Booster, website speed optimization and page speed optimizer description 10 Web Booster is the speed optimization plugin for improving the overall performance of any website. 10 Web Booster wants you to focus and thrive in the creative aspects of your WordPress website by allowing us to concentrate on your WordPress performance optimization. He fixed NASA's giant space telescope. Reluctantly, Gregory Robinson was enjoying another job when NASA persuaded him to take on an enormous astronomy project that was billions of dollars over budget and years behind schedule. Microsoft Teams phones stay connected with your customers using voice and SMS in Microsoft Teams. Bring your existing phone number or activate a new one in seconds. Share MFA codes securely. Confirm appointments, call customers, the possibilities are endless. Nothing phone, one, please select your location. Products may have different pricing or availability depending on the country or region. How Elon Musk damaged Twitter and left it worse off Mr. Musk swooped in and exposed Twitter's lack of business and financial prospects. After criticizing the company's weaknesses, he now wants to back out of buying it. San Francisco, four years, Twitter was a runner-up social media company. Twitter sues Musk after he tries backing out of $44 billion deal. The question of whether Elon Musk must buy Twitter, as he agreed to do in April, is headed to a court in Delaware. The Ukraine war is about to enter a dangerous new phase when trying to explain the recent improvements in the Russian army's operations in Ukraine. Some Ukrainian officials have taken to saying, all the dumb Russians are dead. Web Telescope reveals a new vision of an ancient universe the 12th of July, 2022, 4.58 p.m. ET July 12. 2022, 4.58 p.m. ET and video photos sent back by NASA's James Webb Space Telescope, the most powerful and largest space observatory ever built, showed nebulas, a galactic cluster and possible water vapor on an exoplanet credit credit. Sections articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index style login today's paper style Nancy Pelosi's neighbor, wealthy friends and a husband's Porsche crash https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 22 slash style slash nancy dash pelosi dash husband dash car crash napper html give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story nancy pelosi's napper wealthy friends and a husband's porsche crash and accident shines a light on the house speakers california life among the vineyards give this article credit laura morton by jacobs bernstein and holly second published the 22nd of june 2022 updated the 23rd of june 2022 speaker Nancy Pelosi had just urged Brown University graduates to stay resilient and summon their better angels on Memorial Day weekend when she was forced to turn her attention to a less uplifting situation, her husband's arrest in California. The details emerging from the incident were not especially flattering. The night before, the 28th of May, Paul Pelosi, 
1882, had been in Oakville, among the country's most exclusive enclaves, leaving a small dinner at the hedgerow-lined estate of Alexander Merrin, a longtime friend and democratic donor. Mr. Pelosi got behind the wheel of his black 2021 Porsche 911 to drive the six miles to the Pelosi's Napa Valley country house. It was around 10 p.m., according to a police report and eyewitnesses. He went a little more than half the mile and was trying to cross State Route 29 and make a left, but a jeep was coming down the highway and hit Mr. Pelosi's car as he made the turn. The police who responded arrested him on suspicion of driving under the influence of alcohol and suspicion of driving with a 0.08 blood alcohol content or higher. He is due back in court on the 3rd of August. If criminal charges are filed, he will be arraigned then. The driver of the Jeep was not arrested. It may not have been only alcohol that hindered Mr. Pelosi's driving. Two people who have spoken with the Pelosi since the crash said that Mr. Pelosi had had cataract surgery in the days preceding the dinner. Doctors are somewhat divided about when it is acceptable to drive. With estimates that range from 24 hours to two weeks, the speaker swung into crisis mode. By Sunday afternoon, Larry Kamer, a crisis manager who has a home in Napa and has worked for high-profile clients including Harvard University and Nike, was retained. The family also consulted with John Kecker, one of San Francisco's most prominent defense lawyers, and Leah Housekeeper, a longtime public relations executive for San Francisco political types, including former Mayor Willie Brown. The newly assembled team had to deal with a few unwelcome certainties. The accident would refocus attention on Mr. Pelosi's troubled driving record, including a crash when he was a teenager that left his brother dead. It would also send reporters from TMZ to the Napa Valley Register, scrambling after every detail. And it would shine a spotlight on the Pelosi's California life, where the couple inhabit two homes, including a 16.55-acre gated estate and mingle with other rich residents, at a time when economic hardship is straining many people of lesser means. Ultimately, a representative for Ms. Pelosi gave a terse statement emphasizing Ms. Pelosi's distance from the accident. The speaker will not be commenting on this private matter, which occurred while she was on the East Coast. It read, Everybody in San Francisco now has a Napa place. The Pelosi's have had a weekend home in Napa Valley since 1990, when they spent $2.35 million for their property, which came with a Palladian-style villa, guesthouse and pool. It's not a palace, Mr. Brown said. If you go up there, you will notice that some people have places with caves for the wine and all that kind of stuff. That's not what they have. They have a place you can actually live in, without servants. You wouldn't bring the three tenors to sing, but the Pelosi's do have a vineyard, from which they sell grapes. Everybody in San Francisco now has an upper place, Mr. Brown continued. Everybody who can afford it, image credit, Doug Mills the New York Times neighbors are aware of Ms. Pelosi's regular presence, in part because of the security detail that appears when she is in Napa and can cause traffic delays. Ms. Pelosi and her husband also host a regular summer gathering that is attended by many of the Democratic Party's biggest names. Ms. Pelosi, also 82, usually goes to the Memorial Day weekend dinner that her husband attended just before his arrest, at the Oakville home of Mr. Marin, a major commercial real estate developer. In an interview, Mr. Marin said that he had been friends with the Pelosi's for more than 50 years. Since the 2020 election cycle, he has given more than $1 million to Democratic politicians and groups, according to Federal Election Commission data. How Times reporters cover politics. We rely on our journalists to be independent observers. So while Times staff members may vote, they are not allowed to endorse or campaign for candidates or political causes. This includes participating in marches or rallies in support of a movement or giving money to, or raising money for, any political candidate or election cause. Learn more about our process. The Pelosi's have taken to Napa, an often insular world where family, political and social circles overlap. They have their spots, Ms. Pelosi eats a pizzeria Travine, an artisanal pizza place, where Chelsea Handler was recently spotted, and gets coffee at the model bakery, where David Beckham is a regular. She can be seen at Sunday Mass at St. Helena Catholic Church, and sometimes picks up the tab for her daughters and granddaughters Marnie Pedis at Blush, the local nail salon.
But even in Napa, Miss Pelosi, who doesn't seem to do California casual, is often seen in the fitted suits that are her Capitol Hill signature. After all, the Pelosi's remain San Francisco people at heart, and since 1987 have been ensconced in Pacific Heights, perhaps the city's most exclusive neighborhood, where they own a three-floor red brick townhouse. They make regular appearances at the city's biggest social events, among them the San Francisco Symphony's opening gala, and they have season tickets to the San Francisco Giants and the San Francisco 49ers. They have been known to turn their shopping excursions at the local George O. Armani boutique, where Ms. Pelosi was spotted two weeks ago, into a sport of its own. Mr. Pelosi, who holds investments in commercial real estate and the tech sector, is still a swaggering presence in the city's society circuit at six foot two, well-dressed, with a full head of salt and pepper hair. But more than a dozen people interviewed for this article said they had never seen evidence that Mr. Pelosi drinks to excess. Ms. Pelosi does not drink at all. Paul is a social drinker, said Mr. Marin, 71. That's the best way to put it. Mr. Pelosi has, however, had a history of car accidents over the course of his life. At 16, in 1957, he was behind the wheel of a sports car that crashed. His brother David, who was a passenger, was killed. A jury ultimately exonerated Mr. Pelosi of misdemeanor manslaughter charges, according to news accounts at the time. In the late 1970s Ms. Pelosi became the Northern California chair of the Democratic Party. On her way to a barbecue for a local politician, a car that she was in with Mr. Pelosi and a number of their children flipped on its side. No one was hurt, and Ms. Pelosi hitched a ride to go meet donors. The Pelosi camp declined to comment to the New York Times. A political career closely tied to San Francisco society Paul Pelosi's family roots are in San Francisco, but he met Ms. Pelosi when they were both college students in Washington, D.C. The two had much in common. They were liberal Democrats and observant Catholics, and both were Italian-American royalty. Image credit, Paul Sarkoum Associated Press when they settled in San Francisco in the late 1960s, Mr. Pelosi's connections in the city catapulted them into influential circles. His brother Ronald Pelosi, a rising political star on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, was married to Barbara Newsom, the aunt of the state's future governor Gavin Newsom and the sister of William Newsom. Gavin's father, an appeals court judge who administered the trust of the oil tycoon John Paul Getty. Nancy and Paul became friends with John Paul Getty's son Gordon and Gordon's wife, Anne Getty. The families remain close. Last November, just before heading to Glasgow to address the COP26 UN Global Climate Summit, Ms. Pelosi officiated at the wedding of Mr. Getty's granddaughter Ivy Getty, Ms. Getty, who wore a 16. Foot veil and a mirrored John Galliano for Maison Margiela dress is an oil heiress. Criticism from progressive Democrats followed. Ms. Pelosi's rise in politics began as a fundraiser, but as her children grew, she began to consider running for office. In 1986, Representative Sala Burton, a Pelosi family friend, entered the hospital with terminal cancer. A special election to replace her was scheduled. Ms. Pelosi decided to run for her seat, but her house was just outside the district. So Mr. Pelosi leased the townhouse in Pacific Heights, and the family moved about 15 blocks northeast. Ms. Burton endorsed Ms. Pelosi days before she died. The rest is history. Some analysts consider Ms. Pelosi among the most effective speakers ever to lead the House, and she is a path-breaking figure in American politics. She has spoken at times of how her faith informs her politics, and her desire to expand the social safety net, and she is credited with pushing the Affordable Care Act through the House. But it's clear that the spring has been challenging for her. She has watched while the landmark legislation passed by the House, the $2 trillion Build Back Better Act, has stalled in the Senate. In addition, House Democrats appear poised for a shellacking this fall, which would mean Ms. Pelosi would have to hand over the Speaker's gavel 35 years into her congressional career. Among the powerful political and social figures who inhabit the Pelosi's world, there was abundant sympathy and some protectiveness after what happened over Memorial Day weekend. A person who witnessed the accident said both cars were totaled, and that Mr. Pelosi simply sat in the car, 
seemingly frozen, for several minutes, until the sheriff and members of the fire department arrived moments later. Neither Mr. Pelosi nor the driver of the jeep was injured. Some friends felt that Mr. Pelosi's full night in custody at the Napa County Jail after the accident was excessive. Others were puzzled why their friend hadn't preempted the whole ordeal by simply taking a car service home. And some local residents suggested that, in an earlier era in Napa, driving after drinking was met with understanding, rather than criminal charges. I feel just awful about what's happened because there was a time when if a thing like this happened, the cops would take you home, said the society doy and Diane Wilsey, better known as Didi. Ms. Wilsey, who is Mr. Pelosi's fellow trustee at the San Francisco War Memorial and Performing Arts Center, is a Republican, but she has donated to several of the speaker's political campaigns, and sees the couple socially in California. I don't agree with Nancy on everything, but I cannot think of anyone nicer than Nancy or Paul, she said. Meanwhile, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, the Napa County District's attorney has been busy fending off some 1,500 angry calls inspired by right-wing pundits, including Donald Trump Jr., claiming without evidence that Mr. Pelosi would not face any consequence for the incident. Mr. Pelosi is set to return to court in August. The local authorities stress that he will receive no special treatment. Steve Eder and Thomas Fuller contributed reporting, and Kitty Bennett contributed research. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by caliber from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 22 slash style slash nancy dash pelosi dash husband dash car dash crash napa html article sections next previous article sections next section search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion mad about row here's what to do now https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 24 slash opinion slash abortion dash road dash activism dash how dash to dash help dot html give this article advertisement continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story guest essay mad about row here's what to do now the 24th of june 2022 credit, Mark Peterson Redux for the New York Times article by Robin Marty. Ms. Marty is the director of operations at the West Alabama Women's Center and the author of the new handbook for a post. Row America, in February 2021, I uprooted my husband, three children and two cats from our longtime home to move across the country to a house we had only seen on FaceTime, in a city we only knew from college football. I did this because I believe that everyone who supports abortion rights must do what they are able to to keep abortion accessible for those who have the least resources to get one. For me, that meant a move to Alabama. It was the logical next step in the trajectory my life had been on since January 2019, when I first published Handbook for a Post-Row America, a guide for how to obtain or assist someone in obtaining an abortion, legally or otherwise. The previous summer, Justice Anthony Kennedy, the Supreme Court's swing vote, had announced his retirement. In the months that followed the swearing-in of Justice Kennedy's successor, Justice Brett Kavanaugh, conservative lawmakers who were emboldened by a more conservative court put forward a raft of extreme anti-abortion bills. In 2019, 12 states passed laws banning all, some or most abortions. That wave of laws included a total ban on abortion in Alabama, since Roe v. Wade, the country's most far-reaching anti-abortion law enacted up to that point. The law, signed by Governor K. Ivey, a Republican, criminalized abortion providers and allowed women access to abortion for life-saving purposes or in the case of fatal fetal anomaly. Rape and incest were not offered as exceptions. The law was blocked by the courts before it could go into effect, but its intent was clear. It was specifically and intentionally drafted to initiate a challenge to Roe v. Wade. Between the Alabama law and the shift in the Supreme Court's ideological makeup, 
I saw the writing on the wall for American abortion rights, so I gave up my career as a freelance reporter, trading it for work at the Yellow Hammer Fund, an Alabama group that helps women pay for and travel to get abortions. About a year later, the Yellow Hammer Fund bought the West Alabama Women's Center, the largest abortion clinic in the state, so it would stay open after the original owner retired. I took a position there. I don't regret a moment of my time here in Alabama, and I feel the work I'm doing is making a critical difference in the lives of my clinic's patients and our greater community. But now, with Roe overturned, I know I need to adapt what my abortion activism will look like, to match it to the needs of this new landscape. The overturning of Roe is the perfect time for every supporter of abortion rights to examine their own commitment to the cause and to discover how they, too can meet this moment. I recognize that most people won't be able to move across the country to help people get abortions, nor, frankly, should they, when there are so many opportunities to help in every community around the country. Since the draft opinion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization leaked in early May, long-time activists have seen an awareness of, and an enthusiasm for, the necessity of abortion rights that has not been this robust in decades. The focus now must be on tapping that energy and making it sustainable. Small actions every day may well mitigate the harm that many experts predict will occur for women nationally, but it will take an army of supporters to get this done. Here are some things that army of people can do. Spread the word about Aid Access Org, a group based in Austria that can mail the same abortion-inducing medication that we, until recently, provided in our clinic. The site even offers advanced provision of abortion pills for anyone who may want to have the medicine on hand before an unwanted pregnancy occurs, for themselves or for someone they know. Just know that in a post-row world there could be legal risks to patients who live in states where abortion is banned and who order pills off the internet. Which brings me to my next suggestion, direct people who are seeking legal advice to the group if when how, lawyering for reproductive justice, which provides a confidential legal helpline and a legal defense fund to assist people who get tied up in the criminal justice system because of the outcomes of their pregnancies. People can also make sure others are aware of groups like the Miscarriage and Abortion Hotline, which has text and phone options for asking questions during and after a miscarriage or an abortion. Abortion rights supporters also should protect family, friends and allies from surveillance with digital defense funds online security guidance for phones and computers especially if you're doing anything that could be considered pushing legal boundaries. A few other websites to keep at your fingertips. Reproaction provides a toolkit for organizing a protest of anti-abortion groups to prove that abortion rights supporters are just as vocal as the opponents. At INeedDana.com, you can see how close your nearest abortion clinic is, and what the waiting periods and other restrictions are, if faced with an unwanted pregnancy. With so many systems in place to tap into already, the issue isn't so much finding a way to help, it's about maximizing impact. One person calling a local lawmaker 200 times might be considered harassment, but 200 people calling that legislator once is impossible to ignore. Likewise, a single $100 donation does immediate good, but a recurring $10 monthly donation especially if a friend or 20 will join you can provide ongoing funding that an organization can rely on. One national march of a million people makes headlines for a time, but small, ongoing actions, sit-ins, vigils, an abortion rights supporter always stationed in front of the state house or courthouse are tactics that grow more powerful the longer they last. Thinking local will be key in a post-row environment in which more than ever access to abortion is determined by one's geography. You could ask your city council to support funding for abortion providers, as Chicago has proposed, or demand that your city council pass a resolution ensuring that those seeking abortion won't be criminalized, like the one recently proposed in Austin, Texas. I believe the work I'm a part of in Alabama is vitally important. Over the last year, we have seen patients not just from Alabama but from Mississippi, 
Louisiana and Texas as stringent new laws and overbooked appointments have taken a toll on clinics across the South. Even with this new patient load, we were able to register as an Alabama Medicaid provider, allowing us to serve even more low-income patients who need contraception, basic gynecological care and testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections. We've created partnerships, including with the Black Trans Advocacy Program the Knights and Orchids Society, to offer HIV care and have created a sliding-scale birth control program. And now that abortion is no longer legal in Alabama, our clinic will remain open to provide aftercare for people who may end up managing their own abortions. But I also believe that the vast majority of abortion rights supporters do not need to do what I did, with almost half a century of abortion rights dissolving into thin air. It is understandable to want to make a grand gesture in response. But instead, I would recommend taking a breath, assessing your resources and tapping into the work that is already being done in your community. If all of us do the same in our communities across the country, we have a chance to stave off at least some of the worst outcomes of a post-Roe America. That is the work now. Let's get to it. Robin Marty is the Director of Operations for West Alabama Women's Center and the author of the new handbook for a post-Roe America, The Complete Guide to Abortion Legality, Access and Practical Support. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times Opinion section on Facebook, Twitter, at NWhiteOpinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 24 slash opinion slash abortion dash road dash activism dash how dash to help html previous articles sections next previous articles sections next opinion requiem for the supreme court https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 24 slash opinion slash row dash v dash wade dash dobbs decision html give this article 323 credit grace j kim section skip to content skip to site index opinion requiem for the supreme court supported by continue reading the main story give this article 323 by linda greenhouse ms greenhouse the winner of a 1998 pulitzer prize reported on the supreme court for the times from 1978 to 2008 and was a contributing opinion writer from 2009 to 2021 the 24th of June, 2022 they did it because they could. It was as simple as that. With the stroke of a pen, Justice Samuel Alito and four other justices, all chosen by Republican presidents running on successive party platforms committed to overturning Roe v. Wade, erase the constitutional right to reproductive autonomy that the Supreme Court recognized more than 49 years ago. As the dissenting opinion written by Justices Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor and Eleanor Kagan observed, never before had the court rescinded an individual right and left it up to the states whether to respect what had once been anchored in the Constitution. The practical consequences of the decision, Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, are enormous and severe. Abortion, now one of the most common medical procedures, will be banned or sharply limited in about half the country, excluding miscarriages, nearly one in five pregnancies ends in abortion in the United States, and one American woman in four will terminate a pregnancy during her lifetime. Two generations of women in this country have come of age secure in the knowledge that an unintended pregnancy need not knock their lives off course. After today, as the dissent pointed out, young women will come of age with fewer rights than their mothers and grandmothers had. What the court delivered on Friday is a requiem for the right to abortion. As Chief Justice John Roberts, who declined to join Justice Alito's opinion, may well suspect, it is also a requiem for the Supreme Court. 
Consider the implication of Justice Alito's declaration that Roe v. Wade was egregiously wrong from the start. Five of the seven justices in the Roe majority, all except William O. Douglas and Thurgood Marshall were appointed by Republican presidents. The votes necessary to preserve the right to abortion 19 years later in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, the Roe follow-up decision that the court also overturned on Friday came from five Republican-appointed justices. In asserting that these justices led the court into grave error from which it must now be rescued, Justice Alito and his majority are necessarily saying that these predecessors, joining the court over a period of four decades, didn't know enough, or care enough, to use the right methodology and reach the right decision. The arrogance and unapologetic nature of the opinion are breathtaking, of the justices who decided Casey in 1992, the only member of the court still serving is Justice Clarence Thomas, a dissenter then who wrote in a concurring opinion on Friday that now that the court has overturned the right to abortion, it should also reconsider its precedence on contraception, LGBTQ rights and same-sex marriage, the dissenting justices wrote on Friday. The majority's refusal even to consider the life-altering consequences of reversing Roe and Casey is a stunning indictment of its decision, they observed, the majority has overruled Roe and Casey for one and only one reason because it has always despised them, and now it has the votes to discard them. The majority thereby substitutes a rule by judges for the rule of law. Those sentences are as terrifying as they are obviously correct. Where do they leave the court, now having voluntarily shared the protection offered by its usual stance that it is simply the passive recipient of the disputes that the public brings to its door? For several years, members of the new majority have been openly inviting opportunities to revisit Roe and Casey, just as the same justices, principally Justices Thomas and Alito, spent years inviting the gun lobby to bring cases affording an opportunity to expand on the Second Amendment analysis of the 2008 Heller decision. That campaign culminated on Thursday with the decision in the New York State gun licensing case. That case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin, of course, did not overturn an old right but expanded on a new one. The court engaged in no such outreach at the time of Roe. To the contrary, the case reached the Supreme Court under a jurisdictional statute, since repealed, that required it to rule on the merits whenever a federal court had invoked federal constitutional grounds to invalidate a state law. A special three-judge federal district's court, convened under that statute, had declared unconstitutional the Texas law that made abortion a crime except to save a pregnant woman's life. For the court to take on Roe v. Wade, in other words, was the opposite of judicial activism. Friday's ruling, meanwhile, was judicial activism's epitome. A federal appeals court had blocked a Mississippi law on the ground that the law's ban on abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy was obviously inconsistent with Roe and Casey. Those decisions protected the right to abortion up until fetal viability, or about 24 weeks. The state originally asked the justices to decide whether a ban on abortion before viability was always unconstitutional. Over Chief Justice Roberts's objection, the majority opinion went further, eliminating the right to abortion in its entirety. In a concurrence, the Chief Justice underscored just how aggressive the majority opinion was, writing, Surely we should adhere closely to principles of judicial restraint here, where the broader path the court chooses entails repudiating a constitutional right we have not only previously recognized but also expressly reaffirmed applying the doctrine of stare decisis. He added that its dramatic and consequential ruling is unnecessary to decide the case before us, but Justice Alito declined that call for restraint. The Chief Justice's quest for a middle way would only put off the day when we would be forced to confront the question we now decide, Justice Alito wrote. The turmoil wrought by Roe and Casey would be prolonged. It is far better, for this court and the country, to face up to the real issue without further delay. There will be turmoil now, for sure. As the country's highways fill with women desperate to regain control over their lives and running out of time, perhaps followed by vigilantes across state lines. But the only turmoil that was caused by Roe and Casey was due to the refusal of activists, politicians and Republican-appointed judges to accept the validity of the precedents. Justice Alito's reference to turmoil reminded me of nothing so much as Donald Trump's invocation of carnage in his inaugural address. There was no carnage then, but there was carnage to come. Forty-nine years is a long time. 
but professional lives, including mine, are long as well. I was a freshly minted journalist at the Times in 1969 when I received an assignment to write about the growing controversy over abortion. I immersed myself in the issue, interviewing and learning from lawyers on both sides of the debate. On Young 25, 1970, the New York Times magazine published my article under the headline Constitutional Question, Is There a Right to Abortion? It was, I believe, the first article in a general interest publication to survey the nascent constitutional arguments, and it has been quite widely reprinted. When I finished reading Friday's decision in preparation for writing this essay, I realized that I will have chronicled this profound issue across its entire arc, a perspective I never could have anticipated, except, of course, that the story isn't over. Although Justice Brett Kavanaugh proclaimed with evident relief in his concurring opinion that the court was now bowing out of the picture and will no longer decide how to evaluate the interests of the pregnant woman and the interests in protecting fetal life throughout pregnancy, that is not likely to be the case. Those pesky women will keep coming up with problems, what about pregnancy-related medical issues short of imminent death, rape, incest, fetuses doomed to die in the womb or shortly after birth, will young teens be forced to bear children, will women who receive a prenatal diagnosis of a serious fetal anomaly be forced to bring a child into the world whom they can't care for adequately and in whom the state has little postnatal interest, what happens when states start prosecuting not only doctors but women, Justice Alito has an answer to these questions, rational basis, a law regulating abortion, he writes, must be sustained if there is a rational basis on which the legislature could have thought that it would serve legitimate state interests, and what might be such an interest, the list of legitimate interests is frightening, respect for and preservation of prenatal life at all stages of development, the protection of maternal health and safety, the elimination of particularly gruesome or barbaric medical procedures, the preservation of the integrity of the medical profession, the mitigation of fetal pain, and the prevention of discrimination on the basis of race, sex or disability. With the exception of the first and second interests, the Casey decision itself recognized the state's interest in unborn life throughout pregnancy, these are anti-abortion dog whistles. The particularly gruesome procedures include a common method of second trimester abortion that some states have tried to outlaw. The integrity of the medical profession is a slam on doctors whom Friday's majority refers to as abortionists. The fetal pain issue is a canard, as fetuses lack the neural development to experience pain until late in pregnancy. And the discrimination issue refers, at least in part, to current state laws that would criminalize the abortion of fetuses with a Down syndrome diagnosis. Currently, most such pregnancies are terminated, and the dissenting opinion asks, what about the morning after pill, IUDs, in vitro fertilization or medical management of miscarriage, often by the same methods used for abortion? No, justices, your work isn't done. What you have finished off is the legitimacy of the court on which you are privileged to spend the rest of your lives. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips, and here's our email, letters, at nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times Opinion section on Facebook, Twitter, at NYTeOpinion, and Instagram. Advertisement Continue reading the main story site Information Navigation Copyright Sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO Contact us Accessibility Work with us Advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices Privacy Policy Terms of Service Terms of Sales Site Map Canada International Help Subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from HTTPS colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 24 slash opinion slash row dash v dash wade dash Dobbs, decision HTML previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion the radical reign of Clarence Thomas https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 25 slash opinion slash Clarence Thomas abortion Supreme Court HTML give this article 3185 advertisement continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story more in 
endowed the radical reign of Clarence Thomas the 25th of June, 2022 credit, Patrick Semensky Associated Press give this article 3185 by Maureen Dowd opinion columnist Washington what is happening here of distraught Nancy Pelosi said on Friday, it's a good question and I can answer it, because I was there at the start of the corrosive chain of events that led to women losing control of their own bodies, I saw how America went from a beacon of modernity to a benighted outlier. Over the last three decades, I have witnessed a dismal saga of opportunism, fanaticism, mendacity, concupiscence, hypocrisy and cowardice. This is a story about men gaining power by trading away something that meant little to them compared with their own stature, the rights of women. It started innocently enough on a beautiful summer day in Kennebunkport, with the ocean sparkling and a lunch of crab meat salad and English muffins. I was covering the first President Bush's nomination of a 43-year-old U.S. appeals court judge for the D.C. Circuit to take the seat of retiring Justice Thurgood Marshall. Clarence Thomas, standing in front of the weather-beaten shingled cottage, looked uneasy as Bush defended his conservative choice. The warnings were clear even then. Senator Howard Metzenbaum, Democrat of Ohio, threatened to investigate Judge Thomas's report on abortion, saying, I will not support yet another Reagan. Bush Supreme Court nominee who remains silent on a woman's right to choose and then ascends to the court to weaken that right, Thomas was a far cry from the liberal line and civil rights hero Marshall. He opposed affirmative action, even though it contributed to his rise, and he was championed by anti-abortion activists, who were confident that he would weaken a woman's right to choose. H.W. and his father were New England Episcopalians with a proud history of supporting Planned Parenthood. Prescott Bush had been an early supporter in the 40s and once served as a treasurer of a fundraising campaign. As a Texas congressman, H.W. was christened rubbers by his colleagues because he was such a cheerleader for family planning in the United States and around the world. But when Bush joined Ronald Reagan on the ticket in 1980, he adopted Reagan's more restrictive position. The right remained suspicious of Bush, though, and hoping to bring it around for his re-election, he appointed the ultra-conservative Thomas. He also wanted to appeal to black voters, still angry at the Willie Horton ugliness that had helped propel him to the White House. Women's rights had to take a backseat to re-election. Three months later, Anita Hill told her story to Congress about her boss, Thomas, tormenting her with unwanted attention and dirty talk about the pornographic films he liked to watch. Joe Biden was the chairman of those Senate hearings. He let Hill be viciously ripped apart by Republicans and then abruptly ended the hearings, cancelling the appearance of her two corroborating witnesses. Many senators on the committee, composed entirely of white men privately thought it was an office romance gone wrong. Poor guy. They said among themselves, no point in letting his life be ruined by someone they thought, with absolutely no evidence, was a vengeful ex. Hill was smeared as a perjuring erator maniac, and Biden, wasting a Democratic Senate majority, allowed a liar, a pervert and a sexual harasser to be elevated to a lifetime seat on the court. Women's rights had to take a backseat to Biden's desire to foster bipartisanship with his conservative colleagues. And with Thomas, those conservatives got the justice of their dreams, the first in a line of right-wing radicals. When Donald Trump came along, trailing a history of lurid sexual transgressions, the family values Republicans and religious right didn't care. They knew he was the one who could bring them to Valhalla on the Supreme Court. Mitch McConnell and his Federalist Society minions used Trump as the host body. After wrecking the rules to keep Merrick Garland off the court, McConnell jammed through Amy Coney Barrett. Trump? who had once been a pro-choice, Nancy and Hillary and Chuck loving Democrat, was happy to flip to gain the fervor of an anti-abortion base. Image credit, Caitlin Ox Reuters women's rights had to take a backseat to Trump's ego and ambition and McConnell's desire for a conservative court that would pull back the reach of the government, denying protections to Americans who need or value them. They pushed through three conservative justices, one had to defend himself against sexual assault charges and one was in a weird handmade tale style sect, and that was checkmate for O. Neil Gorsuch and another Trump appointee, Red Kavanaugh, are now facing accusations from senators that they've dissembled to get on the court and play down their intentions to throw out Roe. I am a don't rock the boat kind of judge, Kavanaugh told Susan Collins, according to the Times' Carl Hulse. 
Thomas's concurring opinion to the fanatical Samuel Alito's majority opinion overturning Roe v. Wade chillingly warned that he would apply the same rationale to contraception, same-sex marriage and same-sex consensual relations. Back when Thomas's nomination ran into resistance, the Bush administration sold him as a sterling example of a black man who had pulled himself up from rough beginnings. That day in Kennebunkport, Thomas talked about being raised by his grandparents, sharecroppers from rural Georgia, but on the court he has been cruel pushing opinions that would grind down the poor and underprivileged. While his wife ran around helping Trump with his coup, Thomas was the senior firebrand in a coup of extremists on the court. They yanked power away from John Roberts and are defying the majority will in this country in ways that are terrifying. On Thursday, in the middle of an epidemic of mass shootings, with Congress finally getting a mild victory on gun control, Thomas opened the door to more guns on the street. He wrote the majority opinion overturning a New York law limiting the right to carry a handgun in public, throwing out a requirement over a century old. In another ruling this past week, the justices chipped away at the First Amendment separation between church and state, a foundation of the republic. And next, they will get around to removing environmental protections and gutting the government's ability to regulate and restrict business rights. The court is out of control. We feel powerless to do anything about it. Clarence Thomas, of all people, has helped lead us to where we are, with unaccountable extremists dictating how we live, and that is revolting. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times opinion section on Facebook, Twitter, at NWhiteOpinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 25 slash opinion slash Clarence dash Thomas dash abortion dash supreme court html previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index europe login today's paper year in norway mass shooting is being investigated as terrorism police say https www.nighttimes.com 2022-06-25 world europe norway shooting oslo html give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story norway mass shooting is being investigated as terrorism Police say the attack, which killed two people and seriously wounded ten others near a gay club in Oslo, came hours before the city's pride parade, which has now been cancelled. Give this article credit, Rodrigo Freitas Getty Images by Henrik Prizer Lubel and Mike Ives the 25th of June, 2022 Oslo, a 10-day pride festival in Norway was cut short on Saturday after an early morning shooting left two people dead and at least 10 others seriously wounded outside a popular gay club in downtown Oslo. The police are investigating the attack as an act of terrorism, but the motive of the gunman, who the police said was detained within minutes, was still unclear Saturday afternoon, according to a lawyer for the Oslo police. The police were also investigating the attack as a hate crime because it occurred outside London Pub, a center of gay nightlife in Oslo. The pub opened in the 1970s and bills itself on its website as the most visited gay place in Norway. The man they detained, the police said, was a 42-year-old Norwegian citizen who was originally from Iran and had a record of minor crimes. He has been known to the Norwegian Police Security Service since 2015. The police said that they had agreed to a request by the detained man's lawyer for a psychiatric evaluation. The lawyer, John Christian Eldon, said in an email that it was too early to conclude whether the actions have anything to do with pride, a hate crime or terrorism. The shooting, on a warm summer night that saw streets filled with revelers, came hours before Oslo was set to host big crowds for its first pride parade since 2019. 
the event's organizers cancelled the parade and the rest of the festival, which was to run through Monday, at the suggestion of the police. We encourage all of Norway to show solidarity and celebrate Pride at home, in their neighborhoods and towns, Inga Kristen Hogsevj, the leader of Oslo Pride, said in a statement. Despite the parade's cancellation, hundreds of people showed up on Saturday for an impromptu march along the route and a rally near the club, waving flags and laying bouquets in a show of unity. The gunman, who the police said they believed had acted alone, opened fire around 1 a.m. outside the London pub and another nightclub, as well as a diner. The lawyer for the Oslo police, Christian Hatlow, said that officers had seized two weapons, including a fully automatic one that he described as not a modern gun. Both weapons were unregistered, the police said. The two people killed in the attack were both men, in their 50s and 60s, the police said. Mr. Hatlow said that, along with the 10 people who were seriously wounded, 11 others were left with minor injuries, some caused during a panic rush to flee the area. Mr. Hatlow said that the authorities had charged the man with murder, attempted murder and terrorism, adding that the police were investigating the shooting as a terrorist attack because of the number of crime scenes and the number of deaths and injuries. In response, the authorities raised the country's terrorism threat alert to its highest level. Shootings in Norway are rare. Gun owners must be licensed and take safety classes, and a ban on semi-automatic weapons enacted by Parliament, a belated response to a 2011 attack by far-right gunmen who killed 77 people, took effect last year. Image credit, Rodrigo Freitas Getty Images witnesses to the attack said that there had been a long line to enter the London pub, a late-night spot that closes at 3.30 a.m. and that was already packed with power to goers. The gunman arrived at the scene with a bag picked up a gun and started shooting. Olaf Ronneberg, a crime reporter for the Norwegian public broadcaster, NRK, who happened to be in the area, told the outlet. When the shooting began, people scrambled. The line dissolved in seconds, said Sigurd Storm, an interior designer and blogger who had just left the club when the assault began. I ran. I saw, to my side, a man falling. Mr. Storm said he escaped into a hotel, where he called his mother. I called her to tell her I love her, in case this was my final hour, he said, and she is the person I care about most. Jonas Garstor, Norway's Prime Minister, described the shooting as a cruel and deeply shocking attack on innocent people. Our thoughts go to those who last night lost someone they love, to those who are injured and those who today feel scared and vulnerable, Mr. Storr said. Some LGBTQ people reacted with shock that such a shooting could happen in a country where gay people are widely accepted, safety is not seen as a major issue and rainbow flags are common in shops and restaurants. Norway, in 1993, was the second country in the world, behind Denmark, to allow same-sex registered partnerships, and same-sex marriage has been legal since 2009. The Norwegian government in April apologized on the 50th anniversary of the repeal of laws criminalizing sex between men. On Saturday afternoon, Isaac Tonis, 17, delivered flowers to a memorial about a block away from the bar, where the police had cordoned off the area. He said that he had planned to attend the Pride Parade, as he does every year, but he was not sure what he and other LGBTQ people in the city would do instead this weekend. This is a really hard situation because things like this don't happen often in Norway, he said, in tears. It's a peaceful country, but people still hate each other. Why can't people just love each other? Herman Elligard, who said he had been celebrating Pride at a nearby bar, said that the attack had made him feel suddenly unsafe. We only wish to celebrate love and diversity, he said, adding that it was gruesome that some want to ruin the celebration of freedom. Masad Girakhani, the Speaker of Norway's Parliament, condemned the shooting on his Facebook page. Mr. Girakhani, a Norwegian citizen of Iranian origin, said that the Parliament building had hoisted the Pride flag for the first time last Saturday to celebrate diversity and love. I am proud of that, he said. I have seen time after time how hate flourishes in social media when we celebrate queer diversity. 
that is sad and unacceptable, Henrik Prizer Liberal reported from Oslo, and Mike Ives from Seoul. Julia Jacobs contributed reporting from Oslo. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 25 slash world slash Europe slash Norway dash shooting Oslo HTML previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion how to discipline a rogue supreme court https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 25 slash opinion slash supreme dash court constitution html give this article advertisement continue reading the main story subscriber only newsletter Jamil Bowie opinion how to discipline a rogue supreme court the 25th of June 2022 credit Stephanie Reynolds for the New York Times give this article by Jamil Bowie opinion columnist the Supreme Court does not exist above the constitutional system it can shape the constitutional order it can say what the constitution means but it cannot shield itself from the power of the other branches the Supreme Court can be checked and the Supreme Court can be balanced it is tempting in the immediate wake of the court's ruling in Dobbs v Jackson Women's Health Organization to say that there's nothing to be done about the reactionary majority on the court but that's just not true the Constitution provides a number of paths by which Congress can restrain and discipline a rogue court. It can impeach and remove justices. It can increase or decrease the size of the court itself. At its inception, the Supreme Court had only six members. It can strip the court of its jurisdiction over certain issues or it can weaken its power of judicial review by requiring a supermajority of justices to sign off on any decision that overturns the law. Congress can also rebuke the court with legislation that simply cancels the decision in question. In the face of a reckless, reactionary and power-hungry court, Congress has options. The problem is politics. Despite the arrogance of the current Supreme Court, despite its almost total lack of democratic legitimacy, there is little to no appetite within the Democratic Party for a fight over the nature of the court and its place in our constitutional system. For many Democrats, President Franklin Roosevelt's attempt to expand the size of the court is less a triumph than a cautionary tale, a testament to the limits of presidential leadership and presidential power. But Roosevelt did eventually get a Supreme Court that allowed most of the New Deal to stand. The threat worked. The court was humbled. It will take time to build the kind of power and consensus needed to make significant changes to the court. But even the work of amassing that power and putting that consensus together can stand as a credible threat to a Supreme Court that has acted under conservative control, as if it stands above the constitutional system, uncountable to anyone other than itself. The power to check the Supreme Court is there, in the Constitution. The task now is to seize it. Now reading Mark Joseph Stern on the Supreme Court's next targets in Slate magazine. Gio Tolentino on the end of Roe v. Wade in The New Yorker, Patricia Klein-Cohen on the bad history behind Justice Alito's opinion in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization in The Washington Post, Yvette Boria on the new mask-off era of the Supreme Court at balls and strikes, Christian Farias on the fall of Roe and the rise of the Republican Court in Vanity Fair, feedback if you're enjoying what you're reading, please consider recommending it to your friends, they can sign up here, if you want to share your thoughts on an item in this week's newsletter or on the newsletter in general, please email me at newsletter at nighttimes.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bowie, Instagram and TikTok. 
Photo of the week image credit, Jamil Bouyai was in Farville, VAR, recently and took a few pictures of its main street, which has a lot of interesting and colorful buildings. This is one of them. Now eating, one pot turmeric coconut rice with greens. A typical meal in my home consists of some kind of fish prepared simply along with some kind of rice pilaf, like this one. My only real advice is to use more lime juice and more herbs than this calls for. If you want to add a whole bunch of chopped cilantro, you should add a whole bunch of chopped cilantro. Recipe comes from knit cooking. Ingredients 2 cups long grain rice, such as jasmine or basmati 1 half cup unsweetened coconut flakes 1 tablespoon white or black sesame seeds 2 tablespoons coconut oil 1 scallion thinly sliced, white and green part separated 1 teaspoon ground turmeric 1 half teaspoon black pepper, plus more as needed 1, 14 ounce can full fat coconut milk kosher salt 1 medium bunch kale, spinach or Swiss chard 1 lime directions rinse rice until water runs clear, drain and set aside, in a medium pot or dutch oven, toast the coconut and sesame seeds over medium low heat, stirring occasionally, until fragrant, 3 to 5 minutes, adjust heat as needed to prevent burning transfer to a small bowl, wipe out the pot, in the same pot, melt the coconut oil over medium low. Add the scallion whites, turmeric and one half teaspoon black pepper and cook, stirring, until aromatic and lightly toasted, three to five minutes. Add the rice, coconut milk, saffron, if using, and one one half teaspoon salt. Fill the empty can of coconut milk with water and add it to the pot. Give the mixture a good stir to separate any lumps and bring to a boil over medium high. Once boiling, cover, Turn the heat to low, and simmer for 10 minutes. As rice cooks, remove and discard the tough stems of the leafy greens, if needed, and cut or tear the leaves into bite-sized pieces. When the rice has cooked for 10 minutes, arrange the greens on top of the rice in an even layer and season well with salt and pepper. Cover, and cook until the rice is tender, 5 more minutes. Remove from heat and let sit. Covered, 5 minutes. As rice rests, zest the lime and cut it into 4 wedges. Add 1 half teaspoon zest to the coconut sesame mixture, along with the scallion greens. Season with salt and pepper and stir to combine. Gently stir the greens into the rice using a spatula or fork. Season to taste with salt and pepper. Divide among bowls. Sprinkle the coconut mixture on top and serve with a lime wedge for squeezing over. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO Contact us accessibility work with us advertised T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 25 slash opinion slash supreme dash court constitution html previous article sections next previous article sections next global nav open menu global nav close menu apple shopping bag apple store mac ipad iphone watch airpods tv and home only on apple accessories support shopping bag mac App Store Preview Battery Widget 2.04 Plus Battery Levels on All Devices Per Wan Dixit 3.915 Ratings $4.99 Screenshots Mac iPhone iPad Apple Watch Description Track Batteries of iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch and Mac on Every Device Battery Levels Synced Over Internet Low Battery Notifications Share Battery with Friends and Family Refund Available Within 14 Days No Questions Asked To Do That Click on Report a Problem on the App page and select Request a Refund. Batteries is a universal purchase. You buy it once and use on any number of iPhone, iPad, Mac and Apple Watch. With latest release you now can share and track your friends and family's battery levels as well. Battery widget is made with love and care and is used by many happy customers on all their devices on a daily basis. We would love for you to get on board and get rid of your battery anxiety. Track battery levels of iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, and Mac on all your devices. Battery levels are very reliable and sync over the internet. You get low battery alerts from all devices. You can also monitor batteries of friends and family with battery sharing features at a glance. One. 
track battery levels of iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch and Mac. With latest release you now can share and track your friends and family's battery levels as well. 2. Shows charging state of all your devices. 3. Low battery notifications from all your devices. 4. Supports latest iOS 15, iPadOS 15 and macOS Monterey. Also, fully supports latest M1 Max 5. Most up-to-date battery tracker with incredible support. Any issues and feature requests are welcome. Reach out to me directly Paul and Dixit at iCloud.com. Batteries is designed to do just one thing. That is to track batteries of all your Apple devices from a single app. Once you install Batteries app in your iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch and Mac, all your device's battery levels become available to every other device. So no matter what device you're on, you can check battery level of any of your devices launching Battery Widget 2.0 with best-in-class battery level syncing across all your Apple devices. You can monitor battery level of any device from any other device. For example, you can track your Mac's battery on your iPhone or watch, or your iPhone's battery on your Mac. With the 2.0 release, you can also share and monitor battery levels of friends and family with battery sharing. Battery widget is useful when you want to know which device needs charging without constantly picking up devices. Battery widget 2.0 is very reliable in syncing battery levels over the internet with zero initial setup. Just install the app on all your devices and you are good to go. You get helpful widgets on your iPhone and Apple Watch to easily glance at your devices. On Mac, you get a gorgeous battery status icon that is a true replacement for the system battery icon, showing you battery levels from all your devices. On MacBooks, you also get to see the time remaining on the battery in addition to the percentage. Privacy policy, we collect absolutely nothing. Privacy policy, https colon slash slash pawan.pro slash privacy tags cloud battery, battery widget, Bluetooth battery, battery tracker, battery monitor, iPhone battery, batteries what's new the 12th of July. 2022 version 208 bug fix. Now on Mac Mini battery is always shown as 100% battery widget fully supports latest iOS 15, iPadOS 15, WatchOS 8, macOS 12 Monterey and M1 Max first class support. Email at poor and dixit at iCloud.com and get a reply from us within 24 hours ratings and reviews 3.9 out of 5 15 ratings 15 ratings iPride the 21st of July 2022 what Apple should have done seriously why is a small developer doing a better job with this this helps me keep my Mac and iDevices all sync developer response Red Hat thank you so much this is really encouraging Swamp Thing the 30th of June 2022 great idea but some minor flaws in execution Good job, but rather simplistic. It's fantastic to be able to see my iPad Pro, iPhone 13 Pro Max, and Apple Watch batteries in one app. But there are a few reasons I gave it a lower rating. Most importantly, the app initially doesn't recognize all devices. The developer responded in my first review that you have to open the app on each device for it to show up. But that should be clearly stated in the instructions, and it is not there. The app does not recognize AirPods Pro, and cannot give you the battery status. The Apple Watch complication is okay, but only shows my iPad status unless I click on it. There is no way to reorder the devices so that my Apple Watch is the default widget view on the watch face. Developer claims features such as changing device icons, but there is no menu option to allow it. Not sure why Apple couldn't do something like this. Definitely needs clearer instructions. It's a very simple program, and should be able to connect all these devices into one app. Developer response, please install and launch the app on all the devices you own, egg, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Mac. You can put a watch face complication on your Apple Watch and home screen widget on iPhone to be able to glance at the battery levels of all your devices. Hope this helps. Please update the rating if you figure it out. Thanks you Pathia. The 16th of July 2022 total waste of $5. This app starts off amazing. You see all your devices and lo and behold you see their battery charge status. But after time you realize that it doesn't update in real time, and then only does so after you open the battery app, again, on your other devices.
services, which is sort of ridiculous. Developer is also not being truthful about a no questions asked refund within 14 days. You are not able to do so via the report a problem process the developer instructs you to. Stay away from this app and save your money. Developer response, hi there, it's just a misunderstanding emo. You have to put battery widget on your home screen on iPhone to be able to update battery status in the background. Similarly, on your Apple Watch you have to use battery complication. Thank you app privacy the developer, Pawan Dixit, indicated that the app's privacy practices may include handling of data as described below. For more information, see the developer's privacy policy. Data not collected the developer does not collect any data from this app. Privacy practices may vary, for example, based on the features you use or your age. Learn more information Seller Pawan Dixit size 2.7 megabytes category utilities compatibility iPhone requires iOS 15.0 or later. iPad requires iPad OS 15.0 or later. iPod Touch requires iOS 15.0 or later. Mac requires Mac OS 12.0 or later. Languages English age rating 4 plus copyright copyright sign 2021 Pawan Dixit price $4.99 developer website app support privacy policy developer website app support privacy policy supports family sharing up to six family members can use this app with family sharing enabled more by this developer remote unlock productivity push from your computer utilities tasks to do lists and reminders productivity timer create multiple timers utilities phone cast utilities Indian yoga and meditation health and fitness you might also like watch calendar utilities omnister 2 utilities home bot for shortcuts utilities plus Lee calculator utilities video mode for safari utilities search ban filter results utilities more ways to shop Find an Apple store or other retailer near you, or call 1-800-MY-APPLE. Choose your country or region copyright copyright sign 2022 Apple Inc. All rights reserved. Privacy policy terms of use sales and refunds legal site map. This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash apps dot apple dot com slash us slash app slash battery dash battery widget i'd 1,561,658,854 previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion no justice alito reproductive justice is in the constitution https www.nightimes.com 2022-06-26 opinion justice alito reproductive justice constitution abortion html give this article advertisement continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story guest essay no justice alito reproductive justice is in the constitution the 26th of june 2022 credit illustration by sergio lasso images by david fenton in chicago history museum via getty images give this article by michelle goodwin Ms. goodwin is a chancellor's professor of law at the university of california irvine and the author of policing the womb invisible women and the criminalization of motherhood black women's sexual subordination and forced pregnancies were foundational to slavery if cotton was euphemistically king black women's wealth maximizing forced reproduction was queen ending the forced sexual and reproductive servitude of black girls and women was a critical part of the passage of the 13th and 14th amendments the overturning of Roe v. Wade reveals the Supreme Court's neglectful reading of the amendments that abolished slavery and guaranteed all people equal protection under the law. It means the erasure of black women from the Constitution. Mandated, forced or compulsory pregnancy contravenes enumerated rights in the Constitution, namely the 13th Amendment's prohibition against involuntary servitude and protection of bodily autonomy, as well as the 14th Amendment's defense of privacy and freedom. This Supreme Court demonstrates a selective and opportunistic interpretation of the Constitution and legal history, which ignores the intent of the 13th and 14th amendments, especially as related to black women's bodily autonomy, liberty and privacy which extended beyond freeing them from labor in cotton fields to shielding them from rape and forced reproduction. The horrors inflicted on black women during slavery, 
especially sexual violations and forced pregnancies, have been all but wiped from cultural and legal memory. Ultimately, this failure deserves all women. Overturning the right to abortion reveals the court's indefensible disregard for the lives of women, girls and people capable of pregnancy, given the possible side effects and consequences of pregnancy, including gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, hemorrhaging, gestational hypertension, ectopic pregnancy and death. State-mandated pregnancy will exacerbate what are already alarming health and dignity harms, especially in states with horrific records of maternal mortality and morbidity. To understand the gravity of what is at stake, one need only turn to the Supreme Court's own recent history. In 2016, Justice Stephen Breyer noted in Whole Woman's Health v. Hellestad that women are 14 times more likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term than by having an abortion. The United States bears the chilling distinction of being the most dangerous place in the industrialized world to give birth, ranking 55th overall in the world. Disproportionately, those who will suffer most are poor women, especially black and brown women. Black women are over three times as likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term as white women. In Mississippi, a black woman is 118 times as likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term as by having an abortion. According to the Mississippi Maternal Mortality Report, from 2013 to 2016, black women accounted for nearly 80% of pregnancy-related cardiac deaths in that state. At present, there is only one clinic in the entire state of Mississippi to serve hundreds of thousands of women that might need to terminate a pregnancy. In 1942, in a unanimous decision delivered by Justice William Dulles in Skinner v. Oklahoma, the court explained that this case touches a sensitive and important area of human rights. Because Oklahoma sought to sterilize a man who committed petty crimes, including stealing chickens, under its Habitual Criminal Sterilization Act, Justice Douglas wrote that reproductive autonomy and privacy, associated with marriage and procreation, are fundamental, and a state's interference with such rights may have subtle, far-reaching and devastating effects. The justices were concerned about the inequality of the heart of a law, which singled out poor and vulnerable classes of American men. Now, 80 years later, Mississippi has already made a clear, pointed, unmistakable discrimination, as if it has selected a particular race or nationality for oppressive treatment, which the court specifically struck down and condemned in Skinner. What today's Supreme Court strategically overlooks, legal history reminds us with stunning clarity, specifically the terrifying practices of American slavery, including the stalking, kidnapping, confinement, coercion, rape and torture of black women and girls, in a commentary reprinted in the New York Times Yan 18, 1860, slavery was described as an enterprise that treats a black person as a chattel, breeds from him with as little regard for marriage ties as if he were an animal, is a moral outlaw, such observations were hardly unique or rare. The Library of Congress offers a comprehensive collection of newspapers, almanacs, daguerreotypes, illustrations, and other materials that comprise the African-American mosaic. Influence of prominent abolitionists, laws that date back to the 1600s exposed the sexual depravity and inhumanity of American slavery. In 1662, the Virginia Grand Assembly enacted one of its first slave laws to settle this point, expressing, whereas some doubts have arisen whether children got by any Englishman upon a Negro woman should be slave or free be it therefore enacted and declared by this present Grand Assembly, that all children born in this country shall be held bond or free only according to the condition of the mother, Thomas Jefferson kept copious receipts and documents related to the birth of enslaved children at his Monticello plantation, including those who were ultimately discovered to be his own. Not surprising, at the heart of abolishing slavery and involuntary servitude in the 13th Amendment was the forced sexual and reproductive servitude of black girls and women. Senator Charles Sumner of Massachusetts, who led the effort to prohibit slavery and enact the 13th Amendment, was nearly beaten to death in the halls of Congress two days after giving a speech that included the condemning of the culture of sexual violence that dominated slavery. Black women also spoke out about their reproductive bondage. In 1851, in her compelling speech known as End I a Woman, Sojourner Truth implored the crowd of men and women gathered at the Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio, 
to understand the gravity and depravity of American slavery on black women's reproductive autonomy and privacy. Reported by newspapers and recorded through history, Ms. Truth stated that she had born 13 children and seen nearly each one ripped from her arms, with no appeal to law or courts. Wasn't she a woman, too? By the accounts of those gathered, including famed feminist abolitionist Frances Gage, the room stood still and then erupted in applause. Similarly, in Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, published in 1861, Harriet Jacobs describes the Herculean efforts made to avoid the inevitable sexual assault and rape by her captor. She wrote, I saw a man forty years my senior daily violating the most sacred commandments of nature. He told me I was his property, that I must be subject to his will in all things, and yet, slavery's vestiges persisted in southern states, including within the domains of privacy, child-rearing and marriage. The Bureau of Refugees, Freedmen, and Abandoned Lands, better known as the Freedmen's Bureau, founded March 1865, collected letters written by black mothers despairing over vile apprenticeships whereby their children were kidnapped and returned to bondage under the guise of traineeships. Congress followed in 1868 with the ratification of the 14th Amendment, which further secured the interests of black women who had been subjected to cruelties inflicted on them physically, reproductively, and psychologically. The 14th Amendment opens with the sentence, All persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside and as such would be protected by the laws of the United States. Such language applied to infants born to black women, changing the provisions of law that had long denied black children citizenship and the protection of laws. Lawmakers were understandably concerned about overturning states' laws that had denied children the dignity of personhood. Justice Samuel Alito's claim that there is no enumeration and original meaning in the Constitution related to involuntary sexual subordination and reproduction, misreads and misunderstands American slavery, the social conditions of that enterprise and legal history. It misinterprets how slavery was abolished, ignores the deliberation and debates within Congress, and craftily renders black women and their bondage invisible. It is no hyperbole to say that the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case is in league with some of the darkest rulings, Plessy v. Ferguson, which opened the floodgates to separate but equal laws that ushered in Jim Crow, and Buckley Bell, which sanctioned states' eugenics laws permitting forced sterilization of poor women. The court's central role, and sadly its complicity, in the harms that predictably will result from this decision cannot be overlooked. The court will be giving its imprimatur to states set to trigger laws that will criminally and civilly punish girls and women who want and need to end pregnancies, including victims of rape and incest, while ignoring the deadly traps in which most of those states have historically placed black women. Michelle Goodwin is a Chancellor's Professor of Law at the University of California, Irvine, and the author of Policing the Womb, Invisible Women and the Criminalization of Motherhood. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at, nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times Opinion section on Facebook, Twitter, at NWhiteOpinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertised T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 26 slash opinion slash justice dash alito dash reproductive dash justice dash constitution abortion html previous article sections next previous article sections next section search skip to content skip to site index health log in today's paper health abortion pills take the spotlight as states impose abortion bans https www.nighttimes.com 2022 06 26 health abortion medication
Pills HTML give this article 1499 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story abortion pills take the spotlight as states impose abortion bans demand for medication abortion is surging setting the stage for new legal battles give this article 1499 credit Reuters Evelyn Hochstein by Pam Bella published the 26th of June 2022 updated the 27th of June 2022 Lear in Espinal in the hours after the Supreme Court released its decision overturning the legal right to abortion in the United States, nearly 100 requests for appointments flowed into Just the Pill, a non-profit organization that arranges for patients to obtain abortion pills in several states. That was about four times the usual daily number of appointment requests for the organization, and many came from patients in Texas and other states that quickly halted abortions after the court ruling. Abortion pills, already used in more than half of recent abortions in the U.S., are becoming even more sought after in the aftermath of Roe v. Wade being overturned, and they will likely be at the center of the legal battles that are expected to unfold as about half the states ban abortion and others take steps to increase access. The method, known as medication abortion, is authorized by the Food and Drug Administration for use in the first 10 weeks of pregnancy. It involves taking two different drugs, 24 to 48 hours apart, to stop the development of a pregnancy and then to cause contractions similar to a miscarriage to expel the fetus, a process that usually causes bleeding similar to a heavy period. Many patients choose medication abortion because it is less expensive, less invasive and affords more privacy than surgical abortions. The pills can be received by mail and taken at home, or anywhere, after an initial consultation with a doctor by video, phone, in person or even just by filling out an online form. The patient must participate in the consultation from a state that allows abortion, even if it simply involves being on the phone in a car just over the border. The IP address of the computer or phone they use allows the clinic to identify where they are. For states that ban all forms of abortion, medication abortion is likely to provide significant enforcement challenges. It is one thing to shut down a clinic, it is much harder to police activities like sending or receiving pills through the mail or traveling to a state where pills are legal to have a consultation and pick them up. Legal experts say, when people say we're going back to the days before Roe, there's no such thing as a time machine. We have a very different pharmaceutical landscape, said Katie Watson, a constitutional scholar and medical ethicist at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University IMGSOC equals images IMG 3U4 PNG comma tracking the states where abortion is now banned the New York Times is tracking the status of abortion laws. In each state following the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, the abortion laws beginning to take effect in numerous conservative states ban all forms of abortion, including medication abortion. In addition, 19 states already had laws barring using telemedicine for abortion. Texas recently enacted a law prohibiting sending abortion pills through the mail. So groups and some state governments that support abortion rights are mobilizing to help patients obtain the pills in states where they are legal. Since October 2020, Just the Pill has provided more than 2,500 telemedicine consultations with doctors to supply abortion pills by mail to patients in Colorado, Minnesota, Montana and Wyoming. Within a few days, it plans to deploy in Colorado the first of what will become a fleet of mobile clinics to park along state borders, providing consultations for medication abortions and dispensing pills, said Dr. Julie M. Aon, the organization's medical director. Called Abortion Delivered, the Clinic on Wheels program, which will also provide surgical abortions for patients who prefer it or are too far along a pregnancy for a medication abortion, is designed to reach patients from nearby states like Texas, Oklahoma and South Dakota that quickly outlawed abortion after the court decision, as well as other states like Utah that are expected to ban or sharply restrict abortion. By operating on state borders, we will reduce travel burdens for patients in states with bans or severe limits, Dr. Ameon said. And by moving beyond a traditional brick-and-mortar clinic, our mobile clinics can quickly adapt to the courts, state legislatures, and the markets.
Going wherever the need is, read more on abortion issues in America sounding the alarm. A United Nations panel reviewing racial issues in the United States called on the Biden administration to take action to protect abortion access for minorities and low-income people, adding that these groups could be disproportionately hit by the end of Roe. In Michigan, a state board in Michigan refused to place an abortion rights referendum on the November ballot because of a dispute over word spacing on the petition, which included more than 750,000 signatures. Fetal personhood, a push to grant fetuses the same legal rights as people is gaining momentum, as anti-abortion activists move beyond bans and aim to get the procedure classified as murder. Similar medication abortion providers are also planning for an influx. Hey Jane, an organization that has served nearly 10,000 patients in California, Colorado, Illinois, New Mexico, New York and Washington, plans to expand to more states. We've ramped up our team to accommodate the significant increase in demand, said its chief executive. Kiki Friedman, anti-abortion groups are trying to counter the rise in interest in medication abortion by claiming it is unsafe, calling it chemical abortion, James Studnicki, vice president of data analytics at Charlotte Lozier Institute, an arm of Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America, said on Friday that the safety of the abortion pill is greatly exaggerated, and called the rise in medication abortion a serious public health threat, much remains unknown about how states that ban all or most abortions will try to enforce their laws in cases of medication abortion, but as the Biden administration scrambled to react to the court ruling, two cabinet members swiftly released statements vowing to protect the right to take medicines that had been approved by the federal government. We stand unwavering in our commitment to ensure every American has access to health care and the ability to make decisions about health care, including the right to safe and legal abortion, such as medication abortion that has been approved by the FDA for over 20 years, Xavier Becerra, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, said in his statement. In another statement, Merrick B. Garland, the Attorney General, referred specifically to the first drug in the medication abortion regimen, Nefeprostone. In December, the FDA made access to it significantly easier by permanently lifting the requirement that patients obtain Nefeprostone by visiting an authorized clinic or doctor in person. We stand ready to work with other arms of the federal government that seek to use their lawful authorities to protect and preserve access to reproductive care, Mr. Garland said. In particular, the FDA has approved the use of the medication Nefeprostone. States may not ban Nefeprostone based on disagreement with the FDA's expert judgment about its safety and efficacy, but it is unclear what the Justice Department can do. Some legal scholars have argued that federal drug approval preempts state actions to restrict a drug's use. Others say that has only applied to cases where a state claims that safety or efficacy is an issue. Today, the Supreme Court said abortion, it can only be regulated in sort of a health and safety way when it's permitted, but it can be completely banned, Professor Watson said. As a result, she said, the ability of the federal government to assert that the FDA's approval takes precedence over state laws is limited, given, traditionally, states get to regulate the practice of medicine. Legal experts say there might be other ways for the Justice Department to become involved in fighting medication abortion restrictions, such as contesting laws that bar mail-in pills, since the mail is under federal oversight. On Friday, the FDA took a cautious stance, saying in a statement, We have not had an opportunity to review the opinion, but we do note that FDA's independent and regulatory decisions are based on science and facts. The agency added that patients should have access to medications that are safe and effective for their FDA. Approved use, medication abortion became legal in the United States in 2000, when Mifeprostone was approved by the FDA. The agency imposed tight restrictions on the drug, many of which remain in place, but access to the method increased in 2016, when the FDA expanded the time frame within which the drug could be taken, from 7 weeks to 10 weeks into a pregnancy. Major medical groups cite years of data showing that medication abortion is safe. For example, a research program that the FDA allowed to provide telemedicine consultations and send pills by mail reported that 95% of the 1, 157 abortions that occurred through the program between May 2016 and September 2020 were completed without requiring any follow-up procedure. 
patients made 70 visits to emergency rooms or urgent care centers, with 10 instances of serious complications, the study reported. As conservative states began passing more laws restricting access to surgical abortions, more patients opted for pills, especially because they could be taken in the privacy of one's home. The COVID pandemic fueled that trend. The Guttmacher Institute, a research organization that supports abortion rights, reported that in 2020, medication abortion accounted for 54% of all abortions. As patients look for ways to obtain the pills, some are expected to turn to international websites like Aid Access, a European organization that the FDA has tried, so far unsuccessfully, to stop from mailing pills to the United States, further complicating enforcement efforts. Mary Ziegler, a law professor at the University of California, Davis, who has written widely on abortion, said in an interview last month that there might be attempts by states that ban abortion to prosecute doctors and other health providers in other states who provide abortion services like consultations and pills to their residents, or to try to block organizations or funds that give financial help to patients to travel to other states. States where abortion remains legal are mobilizing to increase access and stifle legal assaults on other states. Connecticut passed a bill that would prevent abortion providers from being extradited to other states. Bar Connecticut authorities from cooperating with abortion investigations from a patient's home state and allow Connecticut residents who are sued under another state's abortion provision to counter sue. Legislation in California would provide financial assistance to patients traveling from other states to obtain abortions and increase the number of abortion providers. Justice Brett Kavanaugh, in an opinion concurring with the Supreme Court decision, suggested that patients who travel to other states to receive an abortion would be protected by the constitutional right to interstate travel. So far, most states that restrict abortion have long adhered to a principle of targeting providers and others who help patients, but not the patients themselves. Professor Ziegler said it was possible that could also change because, in circumstances where the abortion takes place outside state boundaries, there may be absolutely no one else in that state to go after but the patient, Katie Bennett contributed reporting from Washington. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International help subscriptions this are article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 26 slash health slash abortion dash medication pills html previous articles sections next previous articles sections next global nap open menu global nap close menu apple shopping bag apple store mac ipad iphone watch airpods tv and home only on apple accessories support shopping bag mac app store Preview Top Drop 4 Plus Stylish Drag Drop Actions Timberlane Labs 4.711 Ratings $6.99 Screenshots Description A Simple and Stylish Way to Level Up Your Productivity Top Drop gives you a simple way to perform a range of common tasks. Simply drag files or items and Top Drop Special Drop Area will reveal itself. There are a range of quick actions Top Drop can perform for you. Airdrop Easily send items to nearby devices, message compose, create a message with attachments, email compose, create an email with attachments, trash. Put items into the trash, folder proxy, copy or move items to a specified folder shortcut, run a shortcut using the dragged items as the input, open with, instantly open applications with the dragged items, top shelf, drop anything into the shelf for quick access from anywhere, with more planned in the future. What's new the 22nd of August, 2022 version 1, 
4. 2. Bug Fix for the Bug Fix, Ratings and Reviews 4.7 out of 5. 11 Ratings 11 Ratings Chris Waterman, the 7th of March 2022 Well done, installed it but didn't have a use for a week or so, then I needed to send a file to my wife and business partner and I immediately thought of it, it worked flawlessly, I think that bodes well as the app wasn't at the forefront of my thoughts and it was the most natural way to send a file even though I've used AirDrop the traditional way hundreds of times, I saw some of the previews for future features and they look promising as well. Once more gripe, it should close its preference window with the standard close button. I understand the impulse to be explicit, but the standard elements have built-in meaning. People know closing a window, closes the window and not much else. Plus it's annoying if you have a lot of muscle memory. I think this has the potential to be one of those classic Mac utilities. Developer response, thank you for the kind words. I've tried really hard to make something that stays out of your way but it's always there when you need it. So to hear that's the vibe you're getting makes me really happy grinning face with big eyes. Great point about the preferences and I agree. The most recent version hopefully fixes that issue and is more in line with what you'd expect from other preference screens. Tab Morty, the 24th of June 2022 Nice little productivity app Sometimes it's the smallest of things you do all the time. I find it useful to easy airdrop files in efficient and fun way utilizing the notch area. Looking forward to see what other actions or shortcuts can be streamlined from this app. Developer response, thanks for taking the time to leave a review. I have added a couple of new actions recently and I have some more planned for release soon. Hands raised in celebration Louis Piper, the 7th of June 2022. Great use of the notch. I really like this app and its use of the notch. It's dramatically faster and easier to airdrop files instead of opening Finder, clicking airdrop, dragging the file, etc. The one downside is it appears to be a little energy hungry. 12 hours rating is higher than Orion browser, a stat menus, etc. Hopefully this gets tuned in some future updates. Developer response, thanks a lot for the kind words and the feedback. I'll look into the energy usage ASAP. App privacy The developer, Timberlane Labs, indicated that the app's privacy practices may include handling of data as described below. For more information, see the developer's privacy policy. Data not collected The developer does not collect any data from this app. Privacy practices may vary, for example, based on the features you use or your age. Learn more information Seller Timberlane Labs Inc. Size 2.2 MB Category Productivity Compatibility Mac Requires Mac OS 12.1 or later. Languages English Age Rating 4 Plus Copyright Copyright Sign 2022 Timberlane Labs Price $6.99 App Support Privacy Policy App Support Privacy Policy Supports Family Sharing Up to 6 Family Members Can Use This App With Family Sharing Enabled. More by this developer Wine Widget Entertainment Mountain Cams Utilities more ways to shop, find an Apple store or other retailer near you, or call 1-800-MY-APPLE, choose your country or region copyright copyright sign 2022 app link, all rights reserved, privacy policy terms of use sales and refunds legal site map this article was downloaded by Calibre from HTTPS, apps Apple commerce app top drop ride 1,630,456,052 previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index Europe login today's paper Europe a missile strike hits a crowded shopping center in Central Ukraine https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 27 slash world slash Europe slash Kremenchuk dash shopping dash center Ukraine HTML give this article advertisement continue reading the main story Russian invasion of Ukraine a missile strike hits a crowded shopping center in central Ukraine video IMG SOC equals images IMG 1U6 JPG comma videos showed a shopping center burning in the city of Kremenchuk Ukrainian official said a Russian missile strike hit the building and estimated that 1,000 people may have been inside credit credit state emergency service of Ukraine via Reuters by Valerie Hopkins Ivan Nechepuenko Megan Spisha and Dan Bilofsky the 27th of June, 
2022 Kremenchuk, Ukraine, hundreds of people were out shopping, chatting and meeting with friends in a shopping mall in central Ukraine on Monday, a rare moment of normalcy amid the horror of war. Then a Russian missile struck. The attack left at least 16 dead and at least 10 missing at the shopping mall, near a railway station in the industrial city of Kremenchuk, located in Ukraine's central Poltava region. People just burned alive, Denis Monastyskyi, Ukraine's interior minister, said in an interview. In four months of conflict characterized by indiscriminate violence, the strike was just the latest vivid and bloody example of Russia's willingness to target civilians at a non-military site, with people going about their daily lives. The strike on Kremencha came after Russia, in a sudden escalation, fired more than 65 missiles at Ukraine over the weekend. On Monday, a strike in the northeastern city of Kharkiv killed five people and wounded 22, according to the local authorities. Group of seven leaders meeting in Germany called the mall attack a war crime in a statement Monday night. Previous Russian targets have included a theater, a maternity hospital and people waiting in line for bread. The state of the war price cap. Finance ministers from the group of seven nations agreed to form an international buyer's cartel to cap the price of Russian oil, a move that could drain President Vladimir V. Putin's war chest. UN inspection, amid fears of a possible nuclear accident at the Zaporizhia power plant, a United Nations team braved shelling to conduct an inspection of the Russian-controlled station. Russia's military expansion, though Mr. Putin ordered a sharp increase in the size of Russia's armed forces, he seems reluctant to declare a draft. Here is why. Unusual approaches, Ukrainian troops, facing strained supply lines, are turning to jury-rigged weapons and equipment bartering among units. President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine dedicated most of his nightly address on Monday to the strike, calling it one of the most defiant terrorist attacks in European history, only totally insane terrorists, who should have no place on earth. Can strike missiles at such an object, Mr. Zelensky said, adding, Russia will stop at nothing. In Kremenchuk on Monday, smoke filled the air after the attack and the ground was hot, as workers tried to clear the rubble and local residents desperately searched for the missing, according to city council officials. Image credit, Anna Voitenko Reuters Ukrainian official said that as many as 1,000 people could have been inside the building at the time of the strike, though the exact number was not clear. The Amstar Mall, located in the city's center, is not far from an industrial facility that is believed to be used to repair tanks. Until Monday, the center of the city had not been hit. Russian forces had only hit industrial targets and an oil refinery. When they hit infrastructure or factories, we can understand that someone was given the coordinates, Alta Yusinova, a deputy mayor of Kremenchuk, said. This is just destruction of civilians. I have no words for this horror, Serhii Kruk. The head of Ukraine's emergency services was quoted on Telegram as saying that so far, 16 people had been killed and 59 injured, 25 of whom were hospitalized. The nearest bomb shelter to the mall was across the street, but not everyone made it, Mr. Monastiskai he said. He said that an air raid siren had sounded, but many people ignored it. Videos shot after the strike and posted online showed a fire raging as emergency workers frantically tried to extinguish the flame and civilians loaded the injured into ambulances. Footage that appeared to be captured by people running for the exits showed them navigating a thick cloud of debris and dust as they clambered over broken windows, doors and crumbling walls. By Monday evening, Ukrainian media reported that 115 firefighters had managed to put out a massive blaze and rescuers were continuing to search through the debris for survivors. Ukraine's defense ministry said the strike had been carried out by a Russian X-22 missile weighing nearly 2,000 pounds, and had been fired from Russia's Kursk region, near the border. Kremenchuk had a population of almost 220,000 people before Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine began in late February. Dmitry Polyanskyi, a deputy Russian ambassador to the United Nations, suggested on Twitter that the explosion and fire had been caused by the Ukrainians themselves. He described it as a provocation by Ukraine intended to keep attention on the country before an annual meeting of NATO countries in Madrid starting on Tuesday. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright signed 2022 The New York Times Company NYTC 
CEO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T brand studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada international help subscriptions this article was downloaded by caliber from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 27 slash world slash Europe slash Kremenchuk dash shopping dash center Ukraine HTML previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion why did Republicans become so extreme https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 27 slash opinion slash Republicans extreme abortion HTML give this article 3288 advertisement continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story Paul Krugman why did Republicans become so extreme the 27th of June 2022 credit Mark Peterson Redux give this article 3288 by Paul Krugman opinion columnist many political analysts have spent years warning that the GOP was becoming an extremist anti-democratic party long before Republicans nominated Donald Trump for president let alone before Trump refused to acknowledge electoral defeat the congressional scholars Thomas Mann and Norman Orenstein declared that the party had become an insurgent outlier that rejected facts, evidence and science and didn't accept the legitimacy of political opposition. In 2019 an international survey of experts rated parties around the world on their commitment to basic democratic principles and minority rights. The GOP, it turns out, looks nothing like center-right parties in other Western countries. What it resembles, instead, are authoritarian parties like Hungary's Fidesz or Turkey's AKP. Such analyses have frequently been dismissed as over-the-top and alarmist. Even now, with Republicans expressing open admiration for Viktor Orban's one-party rule, I encounter people insisting that the GOP isn't comparable to Fidesz. Why not? Republicans have been gerrymandering state legislatures to lock in control, no matter how badly they lose the popular vote, which is right out of Orban's playbook. Yet as Edward Luce of the Financial Times recently pointed out, at every juncture over last 20 years the America alarmists have been right, and over the past few days we've received even more reminders of just how extreme Republicans have become. The Young Six hearings have been establishing, in damning detail, that the attack on the Capitol was part of a broader scheme to overturn the election, directed from the top. A Republican-stuffed Supreme Court has been handing down nakedly partisan rulings on abortion and gun control, and there may be more shocks to come. Keep your eyes on what the court is likely to do to the government's ability to protect the environment. The question that has been bothering me, aside from the question of whether American democracy will survive is why. Where is this extremism coming from? Comparisons with the rise of fascism in Europe between the wars are inevitable but not all that helpful. For one thing, bad as he was, Trump wasn't another Hitler or even another Mussolini. True, Republicans like Marco Rubio routinely call Democrats, who are basically standard social Democrats Marxists, and it's tempting to match their hyperbole. The reality, however, is bad enough to not need exaggeration. And there's another problem with comparisons to the rise of fascism. Right-wing extremism in interwar Europe arose from the rubble of national catastrophes, defeats in World War I, or, in the case of Italy, Pyrrhic victory that felt like defeat, hyperinflation, depression. Nothing like that has happened here. Yes, we had a severe financial crisis in 2008, followed by a sluggish recovery. Yes, we've been seeing regional economic divergence, with some ugly consequences, unemployment, social decline, even suicides and addiction, in the regions left behind. But America went through much worse in the past without seeing one of its major parties turn its back on democracy. Also, the Republican turn toward extremism began during the 1990s. Many people, I believe, have forgotten the political craziness of the Clinton years, the witch hunts and wild conspiracy theories, Hillary Clinton murdered Vince Foster, the attempts to blackmail Bill Clinton into politics 
policy concessions by shutting down the government and more. And all of this was happening during what were widely regarded as good years, with most Americans believing that the country was on the right track. It's a puzzle. I've been spending a lot of time lately looking for historical precursors cases in which right-wing extremism rose even in the face of peace and prosperity. And I think I've found one, the rise of the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s. It's important to realize that while this organization took the name of the post-Civil War group, it was actually a new movement, a white nationalist movement, to be sure, but far more widely accepted and less of a pure terrorist organization. And it reached the height of its power, it effectively controlled several states, a peace and an economic boom. What was this new KKK about? I've been reading Linda Gordon's The Second Coming of the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan of the 1920s and the American political tradition, which portrays a politics of resentment driven by the backlash of white, rural and small. Town Americans against a changing nation. The KKK hated immigrants and urban elites. It was characterized by suspicion of science and a larger anti-intellectualism. Sound familiar? Okay, the modern GOP isn't as bad as the second KKK but Republican extremism clearly draws much of its energy from the same sources. And because GOP extremism is fed by resentment against the very things that, as I see it, truly make America great our diversity, our tolerance for difference, it cannot be appeased or compromised with. It can only be defeated. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at, nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times Opinion section on Facebook, Twitter, at NWhiteOpinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 27 slash opinion slash Republicans dash extreme abortion HTML previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index health log in today's paper health as monkeypox spreads US plans of vaccination campaign HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 2022-06-28 health monkeypox vaccination CDC HTML give this article 17 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story as monkeypox spreads U.S. plans of vaccination campaign states will be given vaccine doses from the federal stockpile, but supplies of the safest type are limited. Give this article 17 credit, Hiram Duran for the New York Times by Purva Mandeville the 28th of June. 2022 clinics nationwide will begin offering vaccinations against monkeypox to anyone who may have been exposed to the virus, federal health officials announced on Tuesday. Until now, immunizations were offered only to people with a known exposure. States will receive doses of a safer and new monkeypox vaccine called Genius from the federal stockpile, based on the number of cases and the proportion of the state's population at risk for severe disease, the official said at a news briefing. State health authorities may also request supplies of an older vaccine developed for smallpox, which is believed to protect against monkeypox, as well. The Department of Health and Human Services will provide 56,000 doses of the Genius vaccine immediately and an additional 240,000 doses in the coming weeks. Another 750,000 doses are expected to become available over the summer, and a total of 1.6 million doses by the end of this year. This vaccine currently has some limitations on supply, and for this reason the administration's current vaccine strategy prioritizes making it available to those who need it most urgently, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, said. The older smallpox vaccine, called Acum 2000, is associated with harsh side effects, including death, in people who are immunocompromised, pregnant women and old adults. 
The new vaccination plan drew quick criticism from experts, who said the campaign was too small and slow to make an impact. The longer it takes to contain the monkeypox outbreak, the greater the chances that the virus will become entrenched in the United States, particularly among men who have sex with men, researchers warned. Many of us are concerned that the window is closing for us to be able to eliminate monkeypox, said Dr. Celine Gander, an infectious disease expert and editor-at-large for public health at Kaiser Health News. If we don't start vaccinating more quickly and broadly, we're going to have a very difficult time containing this, she said. Ideally, tests and vaccines for monkeypox could have been offered at LGBTQ pride events across the country in order to reach men at high risk of contracting the virus, Dr. Gounder added. Some experts said the plan was also unfair to men at risk who will not have access to the genius vaccine, especially those who have HIV and cannot safely take the older smallpox vaccine. What to know about the monkeypox virus card 1 of 7 What to know about the monkeypox virus What is monkeypox? Monkeypox is a virus similar to smallpox, but symptoms are less severe. It was discovered in 1958, after outbreaks occurred in monkeys kept for research. The virus was primarily found in parts of Central and West Africa, but recently it has spread to dozens of countries and infected tens of thousands of people, overwhelmingly men who have sex with men. There won't be enough to meet the need, said Elizabeth Finley, director of communications for the National Coalition of STD Directors. Plus, without better testing capacity, a strategy based on contacts with a positive case falls flat, it's also not clear what qualifies as a probable exposure. She added, do you need to know someone at the event tested positive, or do you just say, oh, I went to a rave and I want to be safe? Many clinicians are worried about side effects and scarring from the older smallpox vaccine, as well as the misinformation and vaccine hesitancy they might fuel, Miss Finley said. We've had clinicians say that there's no way in hell they would give somebody the Acom 2000, she said. The genius vaccine, on the other hand, has never been used on the scale, and federal health officials said they would watch for unexpected side effects. The administration has so far provided more than 9,000 doses of genius vaccine and 300 courses of antiviral treatments to 32 jurisdictions in the country, officials said on Tuesday. The European Union is adopting a similar plan, sending 5,300 of its 100,000 genius doses to Spain, which has the most cases, followed by Portugal, Germany and Belgium. Other member states will receive doses in July and August. The number of monkeypox cases has risen sharply in many European countries and in the United States. As of the 28th of June, there were 306 cases in 27 states and the districts of Colombia, up from 156 cases a week earlier. The CDC has activated its emergency operations center to better monitor and respond to the outbreak, Dr. Walensky said. The reported numbers are likely to be underestimates, said Dr. Jay Varma, director of the Cornell Center for Pandemic Prevention and Response. It's pretty clear to me and I think many others that the epidemic is far larger in magnitude than what our official case counts suggest it is, he said. Given the rising numbers, the available doses are not likely to be enough to meet the demand. Washington's health department offered 300 monkeypox vaccination appointments on Monday. The slots filled up in less than 15 minutes. New York City, which had identified 55 cases of monkeypox as of Tuesday, had 1,000 doses of the genius vaccine at hand. The city's health department began administering the vaccines at a single clinic in Chelsea, where the clientele is largely affluent white men who have sex with men. The city offered the first doses at noon on the 23rd of June. Less than two hours later, officials announced that the clinic could no longer accommodate walk-ins and had booked appointments through the 27th of June. As of Tuesday, the city was still waiting for more vaccine doses to become available. It started and then it stopped, 
and it started without anyone being prepared, and I'm not sure when it's coming back, said Kalitso McAfane, a social network epidemiologist at the FXB Center for Health and Human Rights at Harvard University. All of this uncertainty does not help us to cultivate the trust we need to have, Dr. McAfane said. Several experts also took issue with the location and said it would have been more equitable to offer the vaccines at clinics frequented by black men with untreated HIV and limited access to healthcare. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertised T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 28 slash health slash monkeypox dash vaccinations cdc html previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index europe login today's paper europe 101 year old ex-gouded nazi camp is convicted by german court https www.nighttimes.com 202206 28 World Europe ex Nazi Gauss convicted Germany HTML give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story 101 year old ex guard at Nazi camp is convicted by German court the man identified only as Joseph S because of German privacy laws was sentenced to five years in prison after being found guilty of being an accessory to more than 3,500 murders. Give this article video, IMG SOC equals images IMG 1U for JPG, the man, identified only as Joseph S., was sentenced to five years in prison for being an accessory to more than 3,500 murders at the Sachsenhausen concentration camp, north of Berlin. From 1942 to 1945 credit credit, Michelle Tantassi Associated Press by Christopher F. Shoots the 28th of June. 2022 Berlin A 101 year old former concentration camp guard was convicted by a German court on Tuesday of being an accessory to more than three. 500 murders and sentenced to five years in prison, although it was not clear whether he would ever serve time. The man, who has been widely described in the German media as the oldest person ever to be tried on Nazi-era charges, worked as an SS guard at the Sachsenhausen concentration camp, north of Berlin, from 1942 to 1945. He denied working at the camp, and prosecutors were unable to directly link him to the deaths of the prisoners. Reading out the verdict just after 10 a.m., Judge Udalich Terman said that the man had supported the Nazi system of terror and murder. You have willingly supported this mass destruction with your activities, he said. A lawyer for the man, identified only as Joseph S. because of Germany's strict privacy laws, said he would appeal the decision if the authorities follow though and try to send him to prison. That move would also require a declaration by a medical commission saying that his health was stable enough for confinement. We go by the simple principle that murder does not have a statute of limitations, said Thomas Will, who leads the German government office tasked with investigating Nazi-era crimes. The office found Mr. S. in 2018 after scouring concentration camp records that the Red Army had taken back to Moscow. It is what's right, and of course it would have been what was right 70 years ago, as the perpetrators of the Holocaust grow increasingly few and old, German prosecutors and investigators are racing to bring remaining cases to court. Their efforts have been bolstered by a 2016 ruling from Germany's highest criminal court that confirmed an earlier conviction of Oskar Grunning, nicknamed the bookkeeper of Auschwitz, that held that people who worked as staff members in concentration camps could be convicted, even if no specific crimes against them could be proven. It followed an earlier ruling of 2011 by Munich Court against John Demjanjuk, 
an auto worker who was deported to Germany from the United States to face trial, despite the fact he was a low-ranking guard. That ruling gave prosecutors an easier path to pursue suspected war criminals, because for decades, merely being a cog in the Nazi machinery was considered insufficient grounds to secure a conviction. A 97-year-old woman is currently on trial in the northern town of Itzhoe, accused of war crimes at Stutthof concentration camp, close to what is currently the Polish city of Gdansk. And there are at least other six cases across Germany that state prosecutors are investigating with a view to indictment, Mr. Will said. Many people, the perpetrators of suffering and death in the concentration camp system created by Nazi Germany, avoided responsibility immediately after the war for various reasons, said Pieter M. A. C. Winsky, the director of the Auschwitz Memorial. In an emailed statement, this verdict of the court has of course its symbolic significance, not only to the memory of the victims of K. L. Sachsenhausen and their relatives, Mr. C. Winsky said. It is also a clear signal that crimes against humanity are not subjected to the statute of limitations. Given the defendant's age, the trial was moved to a community gymnasium in Brandenburg in the Havel, close to where he lives. The hearings took place only twice a week and for only hours at a time, with medics on standby. Mr. S., an ethnic German born in Lithuania, refused to acknowledge even working as a guard, instead claiming that he worked as a farmhand during the time in question. I don't even know what I am supposed to have done, Mr. S. said to the judge during closing arguments on Monday. I have nothing to do with it, the prosecution could prove that Mr. S. had joined the SS just before his 21st birthday. He not only served as a guard at Sachsenhausen, prosecutors said, but had managed to get promoted to Rottenfuhrer, the highest rank for enlisted men in the SS. Questions around whether to incarcerate extremely old war criminals came up in 2015 when Mr. Grunning went to the highest German court to try to stay out of prison despite a conviction. The court ruled that as long as his health allowed it, Mr. Grunning would have to serve time, but Mr. Grunning died before he could ever see the inside of a prison. Mr. S. would likely wait months before a higher court would hear his appeal, making it very unlikely that the 101-year-old would face real prison time. Still, Mr. Will, the state prosecutor in charge of investigating these crimes, says securing these convictions is extremely important, even if they are delayed. How can you explain to anyone that someone who serves in a concentration camp for three years, where people are gassed and shot, is not guilty of aiding and abetting murder, he said. A number of witnesses to the crimes committed at Sachsenhausen attended the trial as co-plaintiffs in the case. One of the witnesses was Leon Schwarzbaum, a concentration camp survivor who was transferred to Sachsenhausen from Poland in the early months of 1945, when the Red Army started liberating camps in the east. I am one of the last Auschwitz prisoners, Mr. Schwarzbaum told reporters in October, just five months before dying aged 101. I want that if this man is convicted, and hopefully he will be convicted, he goes to prison, he said. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 the New York Times company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T brand studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada international help subscriptions this article was downloaded by caliber from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 28 slash world slash Europe slash ex nazi guard convicted Germany HTML previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion will the young six committee finally bring down the cult of Trump HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 2022-06-28 opinion Trump young six Hearing HTML give this article 2884 advertisement continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story Brett Stevens with the young six committee finally bring down the cult of Trump, the 28th of June, 2022 credit, Damon Winter the New York Times article 2884 by Brett Stevens opinion columnist there's a saying among cult experts, nobody ever joins a cult, of course. 
people join what, to outsiders, certainly appear to be cults, the Branch Davidians, the Moonies, the People's Temple and so on, but these groups never describe themselves as cults, and they don't necessarily understand themselves that way, either. Usually, they claim to be religious or spiritual movements, personal development or leadership training organizations, and so on. Keith Rainier of NXIVM offered his members executive success programs, what the rest of the world eventually saw was a sex cult. Americans may someday come to understand Donald Trump as the most successful cult leader of our times. The question is whether the House Select Committee investigating the Young Six, 2021, attack on the Capitol can begin to steer some of the Trump faithful toward the kind of cult deprogramming they so desperately need. I am starting to think it might, if not with his most fervent loyalists, then at least with a critical mass of his voters. Tuesday's dramatic testimony to the committee by Cassidy Hutchinson, an aide to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, changes the game. If what she says is true, no longer are we dealing with a committee that is putting a fluorescent light to a set of facts with which we were already broadly familiar. This is something else, testimony that the president didn't care that the mob that stormed Congress was armed and that he even tried to lead it by grabbing for the steering wheel of his armored limousine. You know, I don't if I care that they have weapons, Hutchinson testified she overheard a president saying during his rally on Yun 6. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here. Until now, Trump supporters have told themselves an exculpatory story about Young Six that goes like this. The president sincerely believed he had been robbed of the election. His efforts to reverse the outcome were the result of honest indignation. His be there, will be while tweet inviting people to the Young Six rally was just his usual hyperbole, not a threat. So to, to continue with the story, was his call at the rally itself to fight like hell, which was ordinary free speech, not an incitement to riot. The people who assaulted the Capitol were a mix of enthusiastic patriots, a few hooligans who got out of hand and probably a few Antifa provocateurs, Mike Pence, surrounded by bodyguards, was never at serious personal risk. Congressional Republicans who questioned the legitimacy of Joe Biden's victory were no worse than the Congressional Democrats who questioned the legitimacy of Trump's four years earlier. But the committee's work made nonsense of that narrative. Trump knew perfectly well that fraud hadn't caused his defeat, so he had been told, in no uncertain terms, by his loyal Attorney General, Bill Barr. The theory that Pence had the authority to stop the counting of electoral votes struck even the author of that theory, John Eastman, as a non-stitter in any court. We heard that Rudy Giuliani admitted he had no evidence of significant fraud. Republicans who aided the president's attempt sought pardons for themselves, hardly admissions of innocence. Among them, according to Hutchinson, was Meadows himself. Maybe Hutchinson is lying, but she was under oath. Trump supporters may find it easy to dismiss Democrats like Adam Schiff or even anti-Trump conservatives like Judge J. Michael Luttig, but Hutchinson is a source from within the inner sanctum. On Tuesday, she was a picture of credibility. If Meadows continues to refuse to testify to the committee, that credibility will be enhanced. Maybe this is where the cult of Trump will begin to crack. Margaret Singer, a clinical psychologist who studied cults, noted that among the ways cults succeeded was by creating a closed system of logic and belief. That, of course, has always been essential to Trump's messaging. Either you love Trump or you are an enemy of the people. Either you want to make America great again or you hate America. Either you accept that Trump is always right, even when he contradicts your deepest values, or when he contradicts himself, or you are deficient in loyalty to him and hatred of his enemies. Either you stick with Trump or you're a Republican in name only. Reno, and we know what Trump loyalists like Missouri's Eric Greetons plan to do with Reno's. All this was central to the Trump playbook. But after Tuesday, the threat of a legal indictment has become very real. The president may indeed be liable for seditious conspiracy, especially if he tried, via Meadows's calls to Roger Stone and Michael Flynn, to reach out to extremist groups. To Trump's supporters, his name was all but synonymous with their sense of America. They saw in him a proudly raised middle finger to progressives who found more to fault than praise with the country. Now it doesn't entirely compute. I doubt there will be any sort of moment when the Sean Hannity's and Laura Ingraham's of the world will tell the faithful, we were wrong, we made an idol of the wrong man. 
but there may be a quiet drifting away. In a moment like this, that might be just enough. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times opinion section on Facebook. Twitter, at NWhiteOpinion, and Instagram. Advertisement Continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO Contact us accessibility work with us Advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices Privacy policy Terms of service Terms of sales site Map Canada International Help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from HTTPS colon slash slash www.nightimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 28 slash opinion slash trump dash young dash 6 hearing html previous article sections next previous article sections next section search skip to content skip to site index technology login today's paper technology deleting your period tracker won't protect you https www.nighttimes.com 2022-06-30 technology period tracker privacy abortion html give this article 663 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story deleting your period tracker won't protect you tweets telling women to do that went viral after Roe v. Wade was overturned but experts say other digital data are more likely to reveal an illegal abortion Give this article 663 credit, Casey Clifford for the New York Times by Kashmir Hill published the 30th of June, 2022 updated the 11th of July, 2022 Lear in Espinal listen to this article to hear more audio stories from publications like the New York Times, download Auden for iPhone or Android. In May 1972, the Chicago police raided a high-rise apartment where a group called the Jane Collective was providing abortions. It was the year before the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision gave women the constitutional right to decide whether to give birth, and abortion was a criminal offense in Illinois. Seven women were arrested, including two who had the names and addresses of patients on index cards in their purses. According to a history written by a member of the collective, the story of Jane, the women destroyed the cards in the police van on the way to the station, tearing them into small pieces and eating some of them. They didn't know what the police might do with the information, so they got rid of it. Fifty years later, the Supreme Court has overturned the Roe decision. Abortions will be banned or seriously limited in much of the country. But now, thanks to the digital trails left behind in the modern technological age, it will be far harder to hide incriminating data about a decision to end a pregnancy. When a draft of the court's decision was first leaked in May, and then when the ruling became official last week, People focused on these digital trails, specifically the information that millions of women share about their menstrual cycles on period tracker apps. The knee-jerk advice was simple and direct, delete them all, immediately, delete those fertility apps now, tweeted Gina Niff, a sociologist and director of the Mindaroo Center for Technology and Democracy at the University of Cambridge, in an interview over Zoom. Dr. Neff said the apps contain powerful information about reproductive choices that now a threat. These apps allow users to record the dates of their menstrual cycles and get predictions about when they are ovulating and most fertile. The apps can also serve as digital diaries for sexual activity, birth control methods and conception attempts. Some women use the apps when they are trying to get pregnant, others to avoid it and many just to know when their next period is coming. The exhortations to get rid of them seem to have had the opposite effect. According to Data.ie, which monitors app store activity, the downloads of period tracking apps doubled in the day since Roe was overturned, compared with average weekly downloads in the three previous months. The biggest gainers were Clue and a little-known astronomy-based period tracker, Stardust, both of which made public commitments to data protection after the Supreme Court's decision. A spokeswoman for Clue said the company, which is based in Europe, 
would not comply with request for users' health information from U.S. law enforcement. While period trackers seem like an obvious source of information about reproductive health decisions, experts say other digital information is more likely to put women at risk. Cynthia Conti-Cook, a civil rights lawyer and technology fellow at the Ford Foundation, researched prosecutions of pregnant people accused of feticide or endangering their fetuses. Cataloging the digital evidence used against them in an academic paper she published in 2020, we should start with the types of data that have already been used to criminalize people, said Ms. Conti Cook, who previously worked in a public defender's office in New York. The text to your sister that says, expletive, I'm pregnant, the search history for abortion pills or the visitation of websites that have information about abortion. One of the cases Ms. Conti Cook highlighted was that of Lattice Fisher, a Mississippi woman who was charged with second-degree murder after a stillbirth at home in 2017. According to a local report, investigators downloaded the contents of her phone, including her internet search history, and she admitted to conducting internet searches, including how to induce a miscarriage and how to buy pregnancy, terminating medicine like mifepristone and misoprostol online. After significant public attention, the case against Ms. Fisher was dropped. In another case, in Indiana, text messages to a friend about taking abortion pills late in a pregnancy were used to convict Pervy Patel, who successfully appealed and reduced a 20-year sentence for feticide and neglect of a dependent. Those text messages, those websites visited, those Google searches are the exact type of intent evidence that prosecutors want to fill their bag of evidence, Ms. Conti Cook said. Investigators could also potentially use smartphone location data if states pass laws forbidding women to travel to areas where abortion is legal. Information about people's movements, collected via apps on their phones, is regularly sold by data brokers. When New York Times investigated a supposedly anonymized data on the market in 2018, it was able to identify a woman who had spent an hour at a Planned Parenthood in New York. In May, a journalist advice was able to buy information from a data broker about phones that had been carried to Planned Parenthoods over the course of a week for just $160 after Vice's report. The data broker said it planned to cease selling data about visits to the health provider. In the past, anti-abortion activists have defenced Planned Parenthoods, creating a digital border around them and targeting phones that enter the area with ads directing owners to a website meant to dissuade women from ending their pregnancies. There are similar attempts to capture the attention of people who go online to seek help with abortions. Pregnancy crisis centers aim to be at the top of Google search results when people seek information about how to end a pregnancy. When someone clicks through to such a website, it will sometimes try to collect information about the person. Given the many ways in which people's movements, communications and internet searches are digitally tracked, the bigger question may be just how zealous law enforcement will be in states with abortion bans. Those advising against the use of period trackers appear to fear the worst, pregnant-style searches for anyone who was pregnant and then ceased to be. It's hard to say what will happen where and how and when, but the possibilities are pretty perilous, Ms. Conti Cook said. It can be very easy to be overwhelmed by all the possibilities, which is why I try to emphasize focusing on what we have seen used against people, she added. Google searches, websites visited, email receipts. That's what we've seen. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022. The New York Times company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy. Terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International Help Subscriptions. This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash two zero two two slash zero six slash three zero slash technology slash period dash tracker dash privacy abortion html previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index Europe login today's paper Europe patient and confident. Putin shifts out of wartime crisis mode https www.nighttimes.com 2022 06 
3.0 World Europe Putin Russia NATO Ukraine HTML Give this article 107 advertisement Continue reading the main story supported by Continue reading the main story news analysis Patient and confident Putin shifts out of wartime crisis mode cloistered and spouting grievances at the start of the war on Ukraine, the Russian leader now appears publicly, projecting the aura of a calm, paternalistic leader shielding his people from the dangers of the world. Give this article 107 credit, Getty Images by Anton Troyanovsky the 30th of June, 2022 Lirin Espinel early in his war against Ukraine, President Vladimir V. Putin of Russia appeared tense, angry and even disoriented. He spent days out of the public eye, threatened the West with nuclear strikes, and lashed out at anti-war Russians as scum, but in June, a new Putin has emerged, very much resembling his pre-war image, relaxed, patient and self-confident. Holding court with young people, he compared himself casually to Peter the Great, Russia's first emperor. Addressing an economic conference, he dismissed the notion that sanctions could isolate Russia and crowed that they were harming the West even more. And on Wednesday, he strode, smiling, across a sun-baked airport tarmac in Turkmenistan, slinging off his suit jacket before ducking into his Russian-made armored limousine to head for a five-country summit meeting. It was Mr. Putin's first trip abroad since the invasion of Ukraine, and his first multi-day foreign trip since the pandemic, an apparently calculated bit of counter-programming to the NATO summit in Spain, where Western nations were announcing a new strategic vision, with Moscow as their primary adversary. Mr. Putin also sent a message to Russians and to the world that despite the fighting in Ukraine, the Kremlin is settling back into a routine. The trip was the latest step in a broader transformation of Mr. Putin that has become apparent in recent weeks. He is telegraphing a shift away from wartime crisis mode back toward the aura of a calm, paternalistic leader shielding Russians from the dangers of the world. It suggests that Mr. Putin thinks that he has stabilized his war effort and his economic and political system, after Russia's initial military failures and an avalanche of Western sanctions. The initial shock has passed and things have turned out to be not all that bad, said Abbas Galimov, a former speechwriter for Mr. Putin, describing the president's perspective. Image credit, Stefan Rousseau-Pool by Reuters birth a change in Mr. Putin also illustrates that he is reverting to his old instincts in trying to paper over the risks that still loom, a Ukraine that shows no sign of giving up the fight, an extraordinarily united and expanding NATO, and a fragile tranquility on the home front where the consequences of sanctions and the ripple effects of the war's death and destruction are still playing out. He understands that his legitimacy is based on being strong and active, on acting and winning, Mr. Gulaimov, now a political consultant living in Israel, went on, paralysis and absence from public view are like death for him, so he has mastered himself and is now trying to do this. Key to Mr. Putin's message this week is that Russia's global isolation is far from total, and that the declarations at the NATO summit a determination to back Ukraine and strengthen the alliance's eastern flank are of little concern. The state of the war price cap. Finance ministers from the group of seven nations agreed to form an international buyer's cartel to cap the price of Russian oil, a move that could drain President Vladimir V. Putin's war chest. UN inspection, amid fears of a possible nuclear accident at the Zaporizhia Hitler power plant, a United Nations team braved shelling to conduct an inspection of the Russian control station. Russia's military expansion, though Mr. Putin ordered a sharp increase in the size of Russia's armed forces, he seems reluctant to declare a draft. Here is why. Unusual approaches, Ukrainian troops, facing strained supply lines, are turning to jury-rigged weapons and equipment bartering among units. Mr. Putin's trip to Central Asia was notable not just because it was the first time he had left the country since he began the invasion on the 24th of February, but also because he has been taking extraordinary pandemic precautions. After flying to Dushanbe, Tajikistan, on Tuesday for a meeting with the country's president, Imamali Raman, 
Mr. Putin spent the night there, the first time he is known to have spent the night outside Russia since January 2020. On Wednesday, Mr. Putin flew to Turkmenistan for a gathering of the leaders of the five countries surrounding the Caspian Sea, which also include Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan and Iran. The summit held practical significance because Russia is trying to expand its influence in the economically vital, energy-rich region, while looking to fill the power vacuum left behind by the American withdrawal from nearby Afghanistan. But the summit was also of symbolic importance for Mr. Putin's audience back home, offering a split-screen image of diplomatic activity and Russian soft power just as Western leaders gathered in Madrid. Mr. Putin presented two handmade sabers and a chess set from the Urals to Gurbanguly Berdimakhamidov, the eccentric former leader of insular Turkmenistan who was celebrating his 65th birthday at the gathering with Caspian leaders. Mr. Putin called for more regional cooperation, including a Caspian film forum. Mr. Putin held a brief news conference afterward and again insisted he was in no hurry to end the war. The work is going smoothly, rhythmically, he said of the fighting. There is no need to talk about the timing. Then, on Thursday, the Russian leader indicated once more that he was not backing down. In a video addressed due to a St. Petersburg legal conference, he again falsely claimed that the Kyiv regime was carrying out a genocide and crimes against humanity in eastern Ukraine's Donbas region. To Tatiana Stanover, a long-time expert on the Kremlin, who is based in France, Mr. Putin's flurry of appearances is the latest iteration in his regular oscillation between periods of intense private and intense public activity. Image credit, Tyler Hicks The New York Times Mr. Putin can be tight-lipped for weeks in high-pressure periods, as he was ahead of the winter invasion, when he went more than a month without speaking publicly about Ukraine. In the weeks after the invasion, he repeatedly went days without appearing on camera. But in other cases, Mr. Putin can embark on a flurry of by Kremlin standards, freewheeling events, as he did this month when he spent more than 90 minutes in a town hall session with young entrepreneurs, and a week later, when he appeared for nearly four hours on stage at the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum. After some very loud and shocking steps, he needs feedback, Mr. Novaya said of Mr. Putin. He starts to actively appear in public, he starts to open up, he starts to be more outspoken. It's as though he's going out into the light to see what he has actually done. Mr. Putin's isolation was magnified by the pandemic, and was accompanied, whether authentically or by design, by outbursts of remarkable anger and grievance directed at the West. In his speech declaring the start of the invasion, he called the American-led Western Empire of lies, and threatened any countries that try to interfere with consequences you have never faced in your history. In March, Mr. Putin lashed out at pro-Western Russians as scum and traitors whom society would spit out like a fly. The ominous language, combined with Western arms deliveries to Ukraine and Russian setbacks on the battlefield, prompted many analysts, including Mr. Novaya, to conclude that Mr. Putin was contemplating a limited use of nuclear weapons to carve the West into submission. But recently Mr. Putin has dialed down the dire threats and returned to a more relaxed public persona. In a casual aside in his town hall, the Russian leader compared his fight to Peter the Great's wars of conquest of the 18th century, making it clear that he saw himself as a historical figure on a years-long quest to return lost lands and glory to Russia. Image credit, Maxim Shemitov Reuters nevertheless, predictions that Mr. Putin would make an official declaration of war and install a military draft have not come to pass, and Western steps that other Russian officials have described as hostile, such as granting European Union candidate status to Ukraine and inviting Sweden and Finland into NATO, have not provoked any harsh retaliation from him. Instead, his strategy now appears to be to wait things out, expecting Western resolve to falter under economic pressure and the government of President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine to crumble as Russia pounds its forces and cities. And Mr. Novaya sees Mr. Putin as having entered a sort of detent with Washington, determining that President Biden is setting limits on the scale of his aid to Ukraine to avoid a broader conflagration. He's betting that with time, the Kyiv authorities will have to accept everything, 
Mr. Novaya said of Mr. Putin, Russia has been following the Biden administration's statements closely, she went on, and has decided, okay, the rules of the game have been established, they are acceptable to us, so we can calm down and simply wait that approach, to be sure, comes with major risks, Mr. Putin's apparent expectation that many Ukrainians would welcome the Russians as liberators exposed his warped understanding of the country, and inside Russia, the consequences of sanctions are still playing out, a point underscored by Maxim Reshetnikov, the economy minister, who warned on Wednesday that the unexpected strength of the rubble was threatening the viability of Russian exporters. Still, Mr. Putin did not mention Ukraine or his showdown with the West in his eight-minute speech in Turkmenistan on Wednesday, another sign of how he is projecting a return to business as usual. Instead, he spoke of Russian efforts to improve transportation and tourism in the region and to address pollution and depleted fisheries. The first Caspian cruise ship, he said, would sail next year from Russia's Astrakhan region at the Volga River Delta. The ship's name, Peter the Great. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 30 slash world slash Europe slash Putin dash Russia dash NATO Ukraine HTML previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index science login today's paper science AK9 companion so nice it maybe evolve twice HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 202206 29 Science Dogs Walls Genetics Evolution HTML Give this article 138 advertisement Continue reading the main story supported by Continue reading the main story A canine companion so nice it, maybe, evolved twice Two different ancient wolf populations contributed DNA to modern dogs, according to a new study Give this article 138 credit, Andrew Spear for the New York Times by Emily Anth is the 29th of June 2022 Lear in Espinal for years, one of the most confounding questions in science, alongside what is dark matter and why do we sleep has been one that many pet owners may have found themselves casually pondering, where did dogs come from? Scientists generally agree that humanity's best friend descended from grey wolves, scampering into our lives at least 15,000 years ago. Virtually everything else is a matter of debate. When and where did this happen and with whom? With what human group said Pontus Scarland, a paleogeneticist at the Francis Crick Institute in London. It's really a mystery. Studies have turned up widely divergent answers, variously concluding that dogs were first domesticated somewhere in Asia or Europe or the Middle East or perhaps in multiple locations. Now, a new analysis of 72 ancient wolf genomes spanning the last 100,000 years suggested one possible explanation for some of the seemingly contradictory results, two different ancient wolf populations, one in Asia and another in the Middle East or surrounding area, contributed DNA to modern dogs. Precisely how that happened remains unclear. It is possible that dogs were domesticated twice, in two different locations, and that the populations subsequently mixed. An alternate scenario is that dogs emerged just once, somewhere in Asia, and later bred with a more western wolf population, picking up additional wolf DNA. We can't tell the scenarios apart, said Anders Bergstrom, an expert in evolutionary genomics at the Francis Crick Institute and an author of the study, which was published on Wednesday in Nature. But we can say that there were at least two source populations of wolves. The research also offers insight into the evolutionary history of grey wolves, providing hints about how the species managed to escape the fate of other long-extinct Ice Age mammals. Ancient DNA is the only way to untangle this history, said Elizabeth Silly, a paleogeneticist at the University of Bologna in Italy, who was not involved in the new research. This study raises the bar of 
profound knowledge of dog domestication and wolf population dynamics, dogs at the door image credit, Love Dalen in the new study. An international team of researchers set out to learn more about the origins of dogs by painting a detailed picture of the grey wolf's past. The goal was to build a big map of wolf ancestry, wolf genetics, around the time of domestication, said Dr. Scarland, the study's senior author, and then we'd take the dog puzzle piece and put it in the big wolf jigsaw puzzle and see where it fits. Archaeologists from 38 institutions in 16 countries donated bones and teeth from ancient wolf specimens that had been previously unearthed in Siberia, Europe and North America. Then, scientists at nine ancient DNA labs set to work. They drilled tiny holes in the specimens, collected samples of bone powder and extracted and sequenced the DNA. Then, the scientists compared the wolf genomes they assembled to genomes from both ancient and modern dogs. The researchers found that as a whole, dogs were more closely related to ancient wolves in Asia than those in Europe. This reinforces the idea that Central Asia was likely to be the center of origins for dogs, said Adam Boyko, a canine geneticist at the Cornell University College of Veterinary Medicine, who was not involved in the research. Of course we want more data to pin that down a bit better. That's a big area, but there were differences between different dog specimens. Early dogs in Siberia, East Asia, the Americas and Northeastern Europe appeared to derive nearly all of their genetic material from an ancient wolf population in Asia. But early dogs from the Middle East and Africa also had significant ancestry from a second, unidentified wolf population. This genetic material was most closely related to DNA from modern Middle Eastern wolves, the scientists found. Image credit, I stock Getty modern village dogs in Africa and the Middle East, as well as breeds that originated in those regions, such as the Busenji, still have considerable amounts of ancestry from the second wolf population, the researchers found. But this genetic legacy persists in nearly all modern dogs, globally. Most dog breeds today can trace between 5% and 30% of their ancestry to the second wolf population, Dr. Bergstrom said. It looks like there is a smoking gun of a second population, said Gregor Larson, a paleogenomicist at the University of Oxford and an author of the new study. Dr. Larson had previously proposed that dogs might have been domesticated twice, before changing his mind when subsequent evidence suggested the single origin. Now, he said he was on the fence about whether dogs truly emerged twice or simply bred with wolves after migrating. We're back to that square one again, he said. Dr. Boyko said that the simplest explanation, and the scenario he favored, was that dogs were domesticated just once, in Central Asia, and later mated with another population of wolves. It just seems more parsimonious to believe because we already know that dogs and wolves exchange genes and have done it at other times, that that's what went on, and not a secondary domestication event. None of the ancient wolf specimens the scientists analyzed were a close enough match to have been part of the actual population that gave rise to our canine companions, suggesting that dogs' ancestors may have come from locations not covered by the study. Pinpointing the specific ancestral populations and determining how the second lineage got into dogs will require more ancient wolf and early dog specimens, especially from more southern regions that were not included in this study, scientists say. We only have the northern half of the map, Dr. Scarland said. Wolves in the wild image credit, Andy Skillen, via Getty Images the researchers also found that ancient wolves that lived in far, flung locations were highly genetically similar more closely related than wolf populations today, indicating that there was extensive movement and interbreeding between wolves across the globe. This fluid, global population might explain how the species survived the end of the last ice age, the scientists posit. Cave lions, hyenas and bears and other mammals went extinct, but wolves revived, Dr. Bergstrom said. And perhaps it was this great connectivity and mobility of wolves that allowed the population to thrive. The researchers also traced natural selection in wolf populations over time, identifying multiple genetic variants that rapidly spread through ancient wolves, likely because they conferred a significant survival advantage. For instance, new mutations in a gene called IFT88, which appeared to be involved in the development of the skull and face, emerged about 40,000 years ago, the researchers found. Over the next 10,000 years, these mutations spread to all wolves, and are still present in both wolves and dogs today.
It is a very dramatic episode of natural selection, Dr. Bergstrom said. What drove it is unknown, but the mutations might have helped ancient wolves adapt to changing diets after some of their preferred prey species went extinct, the researchers speculated. The scientists also found that certain genetic variants affecting wolves' olfactory receptor genes became much more common in wolf populations over time, suggesting that the animal's sense of smell also benefited from natural selection. Although many questions remain, the new data will be a valuable jumping-off point for scientists who are still trying to solve the many mysteries of wolf evolution and dog domestication, scientists said. Having this many ancient wolf genomes is a huge advance in the field, Dr. Boyko said. I'm sure other researchers are going to love to get their hands on it and explore some of their own pet theories, so to speak. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 06 slash 29 slash science slash dogs dash wolves dash genetics evolution html previous article sections next previous article sections next img soc equals images img 1u1 png comma mac poor stands with ukraine here's how you can help our country win with just several clicks store menu store support company blog labs clean my mac x clear vpn new clean my registered sign pc clean my drive 2 setup gemini 2 gemini photos the anarcho the wallpaper wizard 2 in crypto clean my mac x your mac as good as new clean my mac x is all in one package to awesomeize your mac it cleans megatons of junk and makes your computer run faster just like it did on day one free download by now img soc equals images img 15 png comma meet your personal mac genius clean my mac x replaces dozens of optimization tools for mac it can be anything you tell it to be a mac os cleaner a performance monitor a malware remover and well a lifesaver See how it works IMG SOC equals images IMG 20 U2 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 21 U1 PNG comma cleaning liberate your digital space clean my Mac X chases junk in all corners of your Mac OS. It cleans unneeded files like outdated caches broken downloads, logs, and useless localizations. You can remove tons of clutter that lurks in iTunes, mail, photos, and even locate gigabytes of large hidden files. Mac cleaning tools in Clean My Mac X will cut the extra weight in seconds. Learn more about how to clean up your Mac. IMG SOC equals images IMG 23 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 24 U1 PNG comma one button is enough fixing issues on your Mac may take hours or just one click. We went an extra mile to make Clean My Mac X so accessible and informative. It's here to provide easy solutions, no digging through folders, no long instructions. That's because cleaning your Mac should be easy. One big button easy. Smart means safe. The safety database that's built into Clean My Mac X tells junk from important files. It knows the ways of your Mac OS and never deletes anything without asking. The Clean My Mac X's smart assistant will guide you through regular disk cleanups, even showing you what else is there to clean. It's as if it has a PhD in safe cleaning. Speed get more done on a faster Mac every time your Mac stalls, you get a full deck of speed up tools to rely upon, freeing up RAM, running maintenance scripts, managing login items, launch agents, and hung applications. These will lessen your system load and tune the Mac for maximum performance. When your machine is productive, you too are productive. Learn more about how to speed up your Mac. IMG SOC equals images IMG 26 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 24 U1 PNG comma protection someone has to protect your Mac are there viruses on Mac not on yours if you try Mac cleaning with clean my Mac exit fights off malware adware ransomware and all the wares that are specific to Mac OS. 
When an issue is found, the app deletes it right away. We update our malware database regularly and clean my Mac X's protection module always has your back. Learn more about how to protect your Mac. IMG SOC equals images IMG 28U1 PNG comma privacy instantly remove your browsing history, along with online and offline activity traces. IMG SOC equals images IMG 29 PNG malware removal perform an in-depth check up of your Mac for all kinds of vulnerabilities. Application management of your apps the way you want them to make your Mac life more orderly. You get a cool duo of uninstaller and updater. The former fully removes the needed apps, and the latter instantly updates all of your software. Bad apps go away and new ones always arrive on time. This helps sort out software conflicts and keeps your Mac forever young. Learn more about how to manage your apps. IMG SOC equals images IMG 23 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 24 U1 PNG comma so, what are you getting then? You get the Mac you've always wanted 4x faster boot time 2.5x more responsive apps 5x gigabytes of free space testing conducted using MacBook Pro 15 inch. 2016, with 512 gigabytes of storage. Enjoy a living, let go of the cleaning clean. My Mac X has thousands of hours of experience up its sleeve and those are the hours it's saving you. For instance, SmartScan does three jobs at once, it cleans, it protects, and it brings your Mac up to speed. Give Clean My Mac X a spin and prepare to wonder how you ever did without it. IMG SOC equals images IMG 23 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 24 U1 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 31 SVG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 33 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 34 SVG comma Clean My Mac X speaks. IMG SOC equals images IMG 38 SVG comma English. IMG SOC equals images IMG 39 SVG comma Deutsch. IMG SOC equals images IMG 40 SVG comma Espinal. IMG SOC equals images IMG 41 SVG comma Frances. IMG SOC equals images IMG 42 SVG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 43 SVG comma Italiano. IMG SOC equals images IMG 44 SVG comma Polsky. IMG SOC equals images IMG 44 45 SVG, Portuguese do Brazil IMG SOC equals images IMG 46 SVG, Netherlands IMG SOC equals images IMG 47 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 48 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 49 SVG, for all Macs in your organization clean my Mac X can care for any number of Macs. Take advantage of our special prices for businesses and educators. Clean My Mac X for business learn more. Clean My Mac X for academia learn more. Industry experts talk about Clean My Mac X. IMG SOC equals images IMG 16 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 17 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 18 U1 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 19 PNG comma with Mac OS Mojave's release just around the corner. Mac Paul's Clean My Mac X launches today as the best whole system cleaner around, a Swiss army knife of simple tools that radically slim a Mac's software footprint, improve performance, and augment Apple's existing malware protection. Jeremy Horwitz If you found yourself struggling with a nearly full Mac, check out Clean My Mac X. The app has been an excellent way to recover space with minimal effort for many years. John Voorhees from Insane Speed Improvements to Malware Removal a new menu design, and more, this release is packed with new features that you are going to want to check out. Jared Dupain are you maintaining a healthy Mac? It doesn't have to be hard. Clean My Mac X offers all the tools you need to ensure your machine is always speedy and safe. Killian Bell Clean My Mac X helps you remove unneeded files and get an overview of what is slowing down your computer. Romain Delict Clean My Mac X make your Mac as good as new get Clean My Mac X to do helpful things on your Mac. It deals with storage, speed, and malware issues. It even turns junk into free space. Run it once, never part with it. Free download by now system requirements, macOS 10.12 and higher. 
210 megabytes rating, 4.9 pricing, starting at $34.95 latest version, 4111, the 13th of July 2022 4.9 rating for all versions, based on 539 user reviews. Subscribe to No First Hour Delivery Owl will bring you our best deals and news about Mac Power Apps. Subscribe thanks for signing up, you're almost done. Now, please check your email, imgsoc equals images img52 png comma clean my Mac x free download by now products clean my Mac x clear VPN clean my registered sign PC clean my drive 2 setup Gemini 2 Gemini photos the unarchive the wallpaper wizard to encrypto clean my Mac. 3 Clean My Mac Classic Gemini Classic Popular Mac Running Slow Speed Up Mac Startup Disk Full Mac Cleaner Clear Cache on Mac Clean Other Storage Uninstall Apps on Mac Clean Up Mac Mac Security Guide Company About Mac Poor Clean My Mac Reviews Mac Poor How Tools Mac Poor Blog Malwarepedia Affiliate Program Press Page Career Support Contact Support Knowledge Base License Management Products FAQ Clean My Mac Coupons Activation Number Uninstall App Submit Malware Sales Corporate Sales Student Discount Partnership offers Clean My Mac X Business Clean My Mac X Academia Policy Cookie Policy User Agreement Refund Policy Privacy Policy Trademarks Affiliate Terms Follow Us Language English English Deutsch Espanol Francais Italiano Polski Portuguese do Brazil Netherlands no Norsk Svenska English Deutsch Espanol Francais Italiano Polski Portuguese do Brazil Netherlands no Norsk Svenska Copyright Copyright Sign 2022 Mac Pouring 601 Montgomery Street Suite 1400 San Francisco CA 94111 Tel Plus 1, 877, minus 5 MACPAW, IMGSOC equals images IMG 53 SVG Comedy MCA Protected Clean My Mac Classic Works Better For You. This version of Clean My Mac X is compatible on Mac OS 10.12 to Mac OS. Clean My Mac Classic will work better on your operating system. Or download Clean My Mac X anyway IMGSOC equals images IMG 55 PNG common Mac poor useless cookies to personalize your experience on our website. By continuing to use this site, you agree to our cookie policy. Click here to learn more. Okay, this article was downloaded by Calibre from HTTPS. Mac poor complete the Mac previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index style login today's paper style Solvay Gold is proud to be the wife of a cancelled Princeton professor HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-01 style Solvay Gold Joshua Katz Princeton. Professor HTML give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story Salve Gold is proud to be the wife of a cancelled Princeton professor but she also wants to be known as more. At dinner with the aspiring public intellectual Anna Cabell, give this article credit, Brian Anselm for the New York Times by Anna Mona Hartikolis published the 1st of July, 2022 updated the 5th of July. 2022 Princeton, NJ Salveg Lucia Gold was setting the table in her backyard, next door to the house once occupied by Albert Einstein. Her yard is a sweeping field of emerald green grass leading down to the 18th century blacksmith's cottage with stone floors that houses her home study. Miss Gold, 27, was preparing for an intimate dinner with some of the few people our little cabal, she said, who publicly admit to being on friendly terms with her and her husband, the recently fired she prefers cancelled. Former Princeton Classics professor Joshua Katz. Most of the guests were much older than Ms. Gold. This included Dr. Katz, who is 52 and was once her professor. They married last July, four years after she finished Princeton with a summa cum laude degree in classics, and one year after Dr. Katz began his public fight with the campus left. 
The couple ran arms wide open into the culture wars, which Ms. Gold says was characteristic of her, but not of him, the low-key professor whom everyone liked, who previously didn't ruffle feathers at a university where he had worked since 1998. I am the Alpha, she wrote in an essay about their relationship, I'm not Lady Macbeth in the story, but I'm obviously implicated in some way in getting him involved, she said. She gave me a certain kind of courage for doing this type of thing, Dr. Katz said. She was not responsible for my action in doing it. The trouble began on the 4th of July. 2020, when a group of Princeton faculty sent a letter to the university's president, demanding that the university combat institutional racism. Anti-blackness is foundational to America, it declared. Four days later, Dr. Katz responded with a manifesto, a declaration of independence by a Princeton professor, Inquilate, which is something of a house organ for the so-called intellectual dark web. He took issue with proposed changes that would lead to civil war on campus and erode even further public confidence in how elite institutions of higher education operate, but the part that drew the most notice was his characterization of the Black Justice League, a student group that had called on Princeton to acknowledge the racist legacy of Woodrow Wilson some six years before it finally took his name off its public policy school. In June of 2020 as a small local terrorist organization, as it happens, when she was a student at Princeton, Ms. Gold had helped found a group called the Princeton Open Campus Coalition for the express purpose of opposing the Black Justice League and its demands. Image credit, Brian Anselm for the New York Times outrage ensued over Dr. Katz's choice of words, which he defended as metaphorical. Nearly two years later, this spring, Princeton fired Dr. Katz, who had tenure, saying it was not for his outspokenness, but for new information that had emerged about his conduct during a sexual relationship he had with a student some 15 years earlier, an affair he had been suspended over the fall. Ms. Gold says she has often been the only one standing between her husband and utter despair, as his career crumbled and colleagues deserted him. He has said essentially that if I weren't there, he probably wouldn't be here either, she said. That's a lot of pressure on me, being responsible for keeping someone alive. On the other hand, I'm glad to do it. A certain amount of prurient interest accompanied the revelation that a Princeton professor who lost his job over a relationship with one former student was now married to another. Ms. Gold doesn't shy away from it. On her Twitter account, her avatar is a photo of herself in a wedding dress, and the background picture is of her with a group of Princeton professors, including her husband. And when Dr. Katz lost his job, Ms. Gold promptly published an essay about their relationship in Common Sense, the newsletter run by Barry Weiss, a former writer and editor for the opinion department of the New York Times. My alma mater is not the school I once loved, went part of the headline, but Joshua Katz is exactly the man I knew I married, he's young at heart, and I'm an old soul, and it works, Ms. Gold said later. While she is not a national player yet, she has long imagined the possibility. When Ms. Gold was named a winner of the Pine Prize, one of Princeton's highest undergraduate honors for which Dr. Katz, they were not in a relationship at the time, was one of her nominators. The official announcement said she aspired to become a public intellectual she had a head start. Ms. Gold and her grandfather Robert W. Jensen, a Lutheran theologian, wrote a book, Conversations with Poppy About God, when she was just eight, as her guests were about to arrive. Ms. Gold changed from a plain blue summer shift into a more glamorous cinched waist yellow dress, drawing an approving smile from her husband, who was wearing a pink linen shirt. She set the long rectangular table in the grass precisely, with a wet wood blue and white tablecloth, cloth napkins tied up in yellow ribbons, place cards inked in a neat cursive hand and melamine dishes in a Provencal design. She was schooled in formal manners from a young age, she said, as an only child to an actress and a soap opera writer. My mom threw a lot of dinner parties, and I ended up talking to adults, Ms. Gold said. Dr. Katz was her professor in two classes, Egyptology and Hesiod, and her freshman advisor, but there was no romance in sight, she said, until the summer of 2017, her graduation year, and then it was a slow burn.
Besides, as a Democrat and comfortably paunchy middle-aged man, he wasn't her type. Most of my boyfriends were conservative, they were all pot-smoking Republicans, she told her dinner guests later that night. That's the worst, said her husband, Dr. Katz was married once before, at 28, Solveigert pronounced Solveig has always received a lot of favorable male attention, said her best friend from Princeton, Claire Ashmead, now a medical student at the University of Michigan. She's very feminine, I might describe her as ultra-feminine, at the same time, Ms. Ashmead said, she never pretended to be dumber than she was, the relationship surprised Ms. Ashmead, what made me come to terms with the fact that Joshua was the partner she had chosen was that I don't think any of the guys she had dated were her intellectual equal, Ms. Ashmead said. They are intellectually so well matched, Ms. Gold said she has always been a contrarian. Her parents sent her to the all-girls Nightingale Bamford School in Manhattan, the Gossip Girl School, where she wrote a column for the school paper called Or Contraire, on topics ranging from a defense of Sarah Palin, which she said she would probably not write today to an endorsement of watching old black and white movies. She registered to vote Republican at age 18, mostly to be different on the liberal Upper West Side, she said. Image credit, Brian Anselm for the New York Times on the night of the dinner, the couple had just returned from a brief decompression trip to Amsterdam and Cambridge, England, where Ms. Gold is completing her PhD in classics. She just submitted her dissertation tracing the metaphorical language of slavery across the Platonic corpus. In her introduction, she writes, the very use of slavery as a metaphor may be hideous to many. Although the enduring popularity of Britney Spears's 2001 hit song, I'm a Slave for You, suggests that the metaphor has survived somewhat unscathed. She relishes that it's a hot-button topic, but fears that the woke people in classics won't read it because it's by me. Her dinner guests, on the other hand, position themselves as the resistance to intellectual conformity. There was Robert P. George, 66, a professor of jurisprudence, in the chair once held by the now ignominious Woodrow Wilson. The New York Times magazine once called Professor George the country's most influential conservative Christian thinker, for his role in laying the intellectual groundwork for the fights against marriage equality and abortion rights. He founded the James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions, where Ms. Gold is senior research assistant, and where another dinner guest, Bradford Wilson, 71, is executive director. Professor George's family, West Virginia coal miner stock believe in Jesus, FDR, Democrats and the United Mine Workers of America, he said. He arrived in a natty three-piece off-white suit with a bottle of 1997 New Salt. During the pandemic, Professor George has been presiding over an almost weekly Zoom meeting called the Friday Group, where about 30 regulars, mostly professors, but also alumni, including Ms. Gold, and some students, get together to talk about threats to academic freedom and to socialize. Also in attendance at the dinner, Edgar Chowiri, 60, compact, bearded, lover of Bach, an expert at Princeton in spacecraft propulsion and 3D audio, with his more reserved wife, Martina Bailey, 43, a land use lawyer. Frustrated by political labels, Professor Chowiri pronounced himself a libertine. Martina and I feel that we have been on a human level, part of the support of someone who has been going through hell, he said. They bring Ms. Gold and Dr. Katz pastries on bad days. And finally there was Abigail Anthony, 22, an ex-ballerina and the current vice president of the Princeton Open Campus Coalition, the organization Ms. Gold helped found. Ms. Anthony stood up and left before the alcohol was served. Can a student stay for dinner, if it's not against university rules, Dr. Katz said. But nobody would do it, Ms. Anthony said. The professors are afraid to take students out to coffee or lunches, Dr. Katz said. Last I asked, a major part of education was extracurricular activity, he added. People are going to jump on me. I know what he means by extracurricular activity later, he insisted on adding a clarification. That's obviously not what I mean. She did not anticipate the force of the backlash against her husband, Ms. Gold said, because she had voiced controversial opinions before, and had not been shunned. As an undergraduate, for instance, she wrote an essay criticizing the Women's March for providing a platform only for supporters of abortion rights. She attributes this new feeling of hostility to a culture of lockstep thinking ushered in by Jane Z, 
the generation right behind hers, image credit, Brian Anselm for the New York Times Bert Misgold has in fact drawn controversy of her own in the academic world. The summer after graduation, she engaged in a very public debate with Dan L. Padella Peralta, an associate professor of classics, a historian of Rome, who has argued that the discipline of classics has contributed to the invention of whiteness and to its domination. In an essay entitled The Colorblind Bart, published in the New Criterion, Ms. Gold invoked Dr. Padella, who is black and a Dominican immigrant, as evidence that Western civilization does not belong to white men. In a fierce public exchange of letters after that, he criticized her for using him as a signifying monkey, the way, he wrote, some people will claim a token black friend. Dr. Padilla did not return emails and calls for comment. People went after me pretty hard, Ms. Gold recalled. Some professors at Princeton, people I had liked and who liked me were horrified by what I had written. They accused me of Blinky Lion Conway and Laura Ingraham. She and Dr. Katz privately joked that the faculty reaction was quite discriminatory toward blonde women, she said. In an indication of what a fishbowl academia is, Dr. Padilla and Ms. Gold both asked Dr. Katz to read their dueling letters, and he made suggestions, Ms. Gold says. Dan L. and I, we were not dating, Dr. Katz said, with typical mordant humor, the evening of the dinner party, you weren't dating Ms. Gold said, archly, I thought he was still my friend, Dr. Katz replied, three years after that exchange, Dr. Padilla was one of the organizers of the faculty letter that so riled Dr. Katz, at the dinner table, Ms. Gold, wearing a checked kitchen apron over her yellow dress, sat at one end and Dr. Katz at the other, Ms. Gold said a swift prayer, Come Lord Jesus be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed, and the chilled pea soup was served. Dr. Katz previously had a cultural interest in religion, but her faith has rubbed off on him. I don't think he ever had taken seriously the idea of actually believing in anything until he started dating me, she said. Both of them have published in First Things, a conservative religious journal founded by her godfather, Richard Newhouse. Dr. Chowery offered a toast, when Salvega becomes, I don't know, the next Nancy Pelosi, he began. God, no. Professor George objected, replaces Nancy Pelosi is what I wanted to say, Dr. Chowery said, or becomes the next humor. I can say, this lady, I hired her to perform at my party with her a cappella group, the Tijolalis, Ms. Gold said she once aspired to be a cross between Professor George and Mary Beard, the iconoclastic University of Cambridge popularizer of classics. Now she is less certain that she has a future in the academy, but would like to write about public issues. They are going to start house hunting in Washington, D.C., where Dr. Katz is a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Somehow one thing led to another and he ended up in the position that I had imagined for myself, his wife said. Alain Delica Area contributed research advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 the New York Times company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada international help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 01 slash style slash solvig dash gold dash joshua dash cat z dash princeton professor html previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index science login today's paper science and excavation in the sea depths recovers hercules from the afterlife https www.nighttimes.com 2022-06-30 science shipwreck ancient roman Hercules HTML give this article 154 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story and excavation in the sea depths recovers Hercules from the afterlife an ancient shipwreck off the coast of Greece's yielding secrets as an archaeological exploration project dives deeper the effort relies on technological innovation give this article 154 credit Swiss School of Archaeology in Greece Hellenic Ministry of Culture and Sports by April Rubin the 30th of June 
2022 as myth has it, Hercules had to complete 12 heroic labors to be absolved of guilt and to become immortal. A recent discovery picks up the story, long after the Greek and Roman tales concluded, to tell us a new version of his afterlife. A likeness of the demigod of strength, who, the story goes, strangled a lion, decapitated a nine-headed underwater snake and captured a man-eating boar, among other feats, was lying at the bottom of the Aegean Sea, or at least its head was. A team of experts searching through a shipwreck off the coast of Greece, an excavation effort that took place from the 23rd of May to the 15th of June, dredged up what researchers believe is the marble head of a Hercules statue from ancient Rome dating back about 2,000 years. The discoveries of the Antikythera shipwreck included parts of marble statues, human teeth and bronze and iron nails, said Lorenz E. Baumer, a professor of archaeology at the University of Geneva and one of the lead researchers on the project. This was the second excavation season of a five-year program, led by the Swiss School of Archaeology in Greece, that aims to continue research at the site, which was first discovered in the early 1900s by Greek sponge divers. 2,000 years is a very long time, but when you're thinking in generations, generations of 25 years that gives 80 generations, Professor Baumer said, that's quite close. The connection to ancient civilization enthralls researchers, he added, this is what is fascinating in archaeology. You get in direct contact with people, the discovery of the site was accidental. Antikythera is an island between mainland Greece and Crete, its name referring to its location, south of the island of Kythera. The Greek divers who found the shipwreck more than a century ago were harvesting sponges and initially thought that they had come across dead bodies at the bottom of the sea, but later realized that they had found pieces of sculptures, Mr. Baumer said. Since then, the Antikythera site has yielded items that have provided insight into ancient Roman history, economics, technology and art. Researchers speculate that a device that was previously discovered there, which was named after the island, may have been used for navigation and astronomy. It has even been called the first computer by some researchers. Getting to those items has proved to be a Herculean task. Considered one of the richest shipwrecks, the Antikythera had been hidden under boulders that weighed as much as 8.5 tons and that were believed to have settled there during an earthquake sometime after the shipwreck, but soon enough after it to have helped preserve the artifacts. Ropes attached to pressurized airbags, like underwater balloons, were used to lift the rocks and expose parts of the wreckage that had been blocked off. That was where the giant head believed to represent the mythical hero was hidden, as if felled by the curse of the jealous goddess Hera, who was said to have made his life difficult from birth. The twice life-size head is of a male bearded figure, and is covered by marine deposits that are being cleaned so that the piece can be restored. The head likely completes another ancient statue that was found in 1900, Heracles of Antikythera, which currently stands headless in the National Archaeological Museum in Athens, Mr. Baumer said, Heracles, or Heracles, is the Greek name for Hercules four hours before divers came across the marble head. Professor Baumer left the site to go back to Athens. He and a colleague stopped driving to look at pictures of the sculpture. He celebrated not only the thrill of the discovery, but also what it meant for research going forward. Knowing the underwater spot that the artifact was found gave explorers a better idea of the layout of the shipwreck, because early excavators hadn't documented where they discovered the body of the statue. He said, experts are using 3D mapping to digitally document how the wreck looks before any artifacts are removed, said Elisa Costa, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Venice who is part of the effort. Her mapping captured each layer that was uncovered as the boulders were lifted, and she said she would continue to document the space around a site, which team members believe could help explain the wreck. It's very exciting to be part of this important excavation project that started 120 years ago, she said. It's really incredible, the Swiss watchmaker Hublet created the balloon system that lifted the submerged boulders specifically for this project. For next year's excavation, the company is designing robots that can do some of the work of scuba divers, Professor Baumer said, freeing the human divers to do more of the analytical work. Because of the depths they are exploring, divers can only spend 30 minutes near the wreck after a 15-minute descent before needing to slowly go back up for air. Water pressure puts five times more resistance on the divers' movements than people experience on land. 
Professor Baumer said, for safety, the divers never go down alone. Each item excavated from the Antikythera shipwreck will be studied in an effort to piece together the story of the crew and the wreck, said Carlo Beltrame, an archaeology professor at the University of Venice. As a maritime archaeologist, he will use the discoveries to figure out the type of ship that sank and its likely route. Part of his role is to study the social and economic conditions of the time, around 60 BC and he already has questions. Which type of ship was this? Professor Beltrame said. What were the aspects of the traffic of the ship? Life aboard the ship details such as the size of the wooden planks used to build the ship have laid Professor Beltrame to posit that this was likely a large vessel, he said. Teeth found in the wreck this year could introduce researchers to the people who might have been on board. If bones or other human remains were found, they could help establish the gender and ages of the passengers and crew. Brendan Foley, a former researcher at the site who is an archaeology professor at Lund University in Sweden, said there could be more life-size sculptures from the wreck, which he theorizes occurred around 65 BC, when this enormous ship crashed into the cliff and sank onto the steep slope. He said he had predicted the existence of some of the latest archaeological treasures, including the head of Heracles, from other discoveries in 2017. At the turn of the 20th century, divers found six bronze arms and a fragment of what came to be called the Antikythera mechanism. In 2017, they found a seventh arm and another piece of the tool, which they believe could have been used to track astronomical movements. At the end of the project in 2025, the team aims to publish its findings on the return to Antikythera, but they believe that there will still be more to find in the shipwreck. It's possible that, deep in the waters, more mythical beings wait for their stories to be told. Image credit, Nikos Ginaulikis Swiss School of Archaeology in Greece Hellenic Ministry of Culture and Sports Advertisement Continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO Contact Us Accessibility Work With Us Advertise T-Brand Studio Your Ad Choices Privacy Policy Terms of Service Terms of Sale Site Map Canada International Help Subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 2022-06-30 Science Shipwreck Ancient Roman Hercules HTML Previous Articles Sections Next Previous Articles Sections Next Sections Search Skip to Content Skip to Site Index Technology Log in Today's Paper Technology Father of Technoblade YouTube Minecraft Star Says His Son Has Died HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-01 Technology Technoblade Minecraft YouTube Dead HTML Give This Article Advertisement Continue Reading The Main Story Supported By Continue Reading The Main Story Father of Technoblade YouTube Minecraft Star Says his son has died. He read his son's final message on the YouTube channel where the 20-something had entertained more than 11 million subscribers with Minecraft gameplay and dry commentary. The title, So Long Nerds, give this article by Manda Holpatch the 1st of July. 2022 Technoblade, a YouTube personality who built a following of millions with his wry commentary on videos of himself playing Minecraft, has died. His father announced in a video posted on his son's account, more than 11 million subscribers made a habit of watching screen recordings of Technoblade's Minecraft gameplay as he provided commentary off-camera. While he usually focused on what was happening in the game, in some videos he described life events as mundane as going to the DMV or as devastating as receiving a cancer diagnosis. A video titled So Long Notes, which was posted on Technoblade's YouTube channel on Thursday and has been viewed more than 26 million times as of Friday afternoon, departed from the channel's usual aesthetic of colorful, pixelated bricks. Instead, a man who identifies himself as Technoblade's father appears, sitting in a chair against a stark white background with a small white dog in his lap. His father, who does not give his name, reads a message from his son that begins, Hello, everyone, Technoblade here. If you are watching this, I am dead. The message goes on to reveal Technoblade's first name, Alex, which he did not use online. The video also features a handful of photos of Alex with loved ones. He had rarely shown himself in his YouTube videos, preferring instead to present himself as his avatar. A crowned, sword-wielding pig, 
If I had another hundred lives, I think I would choose to be Technoblade again every single time, Alex's letter says. Those were the happiest years of my life, his father, who remains emotional throughout the video, says he and his son talked for months about whether to record a final video. Instead, Alex decided to write the letter and died about eight hours after finishing it, his father says. I don't think he said everything he wanted to say, but I think he got the main points, he says. The video ends with a written statement attributed to Alex's mother, who is not named. She wrote that her son avoided personal fame and was self-deprecating, even as his channel skyrocketed in popularity. From Technoblade's earliest online days, he was always strategizing ways to delight and reward his audience, giving away online prizes, encouraging good sportsmanship and, most of all, sharing his Minecraft adventures for entertainment and laughs. She wrote, Alex's family could not be reached on Friday. Hipixel, a gaming company that worked with Technoblade, said the family had asked that request for comment not be forwarded to them. The video they shared contains all information they are comfortable sharing at this time. Don Pyrizo, the company's lead administrator, said in a Twitter direct message, Alex first publicly acknowledged his cancer diagnosis in a video posted on his channel in August. Like the others, the video showed the game while he spoke off-camera. He retained his self-deprecating, humorous style, refusing to get too earnest. He also revealed his age at the time, 22. In the video, he described how the first round of chemotherapy left him so exhausted that he could barely sit up for a virtual doctor's appointment. Then, he joked, sitting in a chair, am I Superman? He said he was diagnosed after experiencing serious pain in his arm. He initially dismissed it as a repetitive stress injury from playing video games, but even after a few days of rest, he said, his shoulder was swelling like crazy. He also implored people to get a COVID-19 vaccine, saying that the cancer treatments had weakened his immune system putting him at greater risk of serious illness from the coronavirus. I'm going to go ahead and speak on behalf of all cancer patients when I say it is incredibly annoying when the hospitals are getting overworked by people dying of preventable diseases, he said in the video. I am just saying, we've got dibs on those hospital beds. On social media, Technoblade's friends and fans praised him for his humor and for being a role model among Minecraft players. Minecraft is unlike most games because its owner, Microsoft, does not control the servers where players meet online. Players can instead create their own servers or join one made by someone else, creating a sprawling network of worlds in the Minecraft universe. Hipixel, which runs a network of Minecraft servers, said it had created a digital memorial book for people to write messages that would be printed and sent to Technoblade's family. The company's tribute featured an illustration of Technoblade's pig avatar as a statue. In many ways, the success of many of us is tied to the success of Technoblade, the company said. One of Technoblade's friends, the YouTuber Thomas Simons, better known as Tommy Innit, described him on Twitter as a legend, I just know, Mr. Simons wrote, he's strategizing in heaven on how to beat God, clarify he contributed reporting. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertised T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 01 slash technology slash technoblade dash minocraft dash youtuber dead html previous article sections next previous article sections next looks like you are using new reddit on an old browser the site may not work properly if you don't update your browser if you do not update your browser we suggest you visit old reddit press j to jump to the feed Press question mark to learn the rest of the keyboard shortcuts login sign up user account menu, IMGSOC equals images IMG2U16PNG comma found the internet fat fire posts 174 posted by two months ago those with kids. 
How do you do school fundraisers? IMG SOC equals images IMG 3U1 PNG comma lifestyle The public school we send our kids to typically has quite a number of fundraisers. We are more than happy to support. I send my kids in with the money or place order and call it a day. I also get in contact with the PTSA and fund other students fundraising because I believe low-income students deserve to join in on the parties or activities that the other students are doing. So for those with kids or those who plan on having kids, how will you handle school fundraisers? How do you handle them? Do you select the highest price level? Choose the one most students will be getting? Not do fundraising whatsoever or something else? Just curious 86 comment share save hide report 92% upvoted sought by best IMG SOC equals images IMG 3U1 PNG comma level 1 2 more ago we sent our oldest son to a highly capable school years ago and they offered an opt-out donation at the beginning of the school year. I think it was $150 per kid and they agreed to not bother you again with fundraising for the year. I wish our current school did that 253 reply share report save follow level 2 up to more ago that's a great idea for a T8 reply share report save follow continue this thread level 2 2 more ago bingo my parents hated fundraisers with a passion and wrote a check every year to get us out of them flip side is i always felt kind of left out in the mom and cause kids were celebrated for their efforts but so glad looking back it's funny cause now i am in sales would have been good practice i suppose lol 62 reply share report save follow continue this thread level 2 2 more ago verified by mod is nice i don't mind giving money to the kids in the neighborhood but the sheer volume of requests starts to annoy and i'm relatively minimalist and really hate being asked to buy something i'd rather just give them three dollars reply share report save follow level 1 2 more go 45.5 mnw fire 2019 I fulfill my son's teacher's Amazon wish list weekly and have it delivered to the school. It's anonymous 190 reply share report save follow level 2 up to more ago glad to know that I'm not the only one that does something like that. Our kids teachers have wish lists for classroom supplies and the like. Every month I clear any requests on their out 88 reply share report save follow continue this thread level 2 to more ago that's a thing. Teachers have Amazon wish lists now 65 reply share report save follow continue this thread level 2 to more ago as a brother of a new teacher in Chicago. Seriously thank you hands press together 9 reply share report save follow level 2 to more ago still working 20 million dollar 35 great idea. Thanks for sharing 8 reply share report save follow level 2 to more ago how do you know a teacher has an Amazon wish list? Do they link you to it by email at the beginning of the year or you just search to see if they have one one reply share report save follow continue this thread level one two more go same as above. Also sometimes pay the way for an extra kiddo for school trips so everyone can go. The coaches or teachers know who can't travel due to cost. They usually just tell the kid parents that the school has funds to cover them so they aren't sheepish about the money. 67 reply share report save follow level 2 up to more go we do that too. The 12th graders at our school went on a huge overnight trip before graduation. When I heard about it I sent over a sizable amount of money compared to trip costs to the teacher in charge of the trip saying if any students can't go for financial reasons here is some money. Please make sure they get to go on the trip 67 reply share report save follow level 2 2 more go that's pretty dope of you 1 reply share report save follow continue this thread level 1 2 more go my daughter goes to a public school in a low income district. The first year they had cookie sales as a fundraiser and I bought a few cases and gave the cookies away at work. The next year I just donated $1k. I've also bought extra backpacks and dropped them off at the office and bought extra school t-shirts and dropped them off at the nurse's office. Every year at the beginning of the school year I tell my daughter's teacher to let me know if they need any classroom supplies and I buy it instead of the teacher paying out of pocket. My daughter goes to the school because I honestly believe it's a good school. It's the elementary school I attended and we lived in the districts when my daughter started kindergarten. Even though we've since moved out of the districts 36 reply share report save follow level 1 2 more go edited 2 more go so our donor level for school is like 200 
I just donate the highest level per child because $75 will not affect our daily lives. Also my spouse's work will double the donation. One year they doubled it so the school got $1,050 for each of my kids. Our public school is also in an area where I have raised enough money some years to build a steam building. I also double donate to the class parent for activities at the highest level. Also like bigger ones where we have to ask others, I only ask my siblings parents, relatives to cap donations at $20 otherwise some will donate in the 100s just because my kids get excited when they see others supporting them. Edit. Forgot to add that they have to ask each family member over FT or in person and have to call draw thank you cards for each donation. 32 reply share report save follow level 2 2 more ago my kids are not school age but I was told the fundraising expectation where we live is $3,000 per student. 7 reply share report save follow continue this thread level 1 2 more ago I tend to donate the expected standard amount and call it a day. The gamification of fundraising is something I've opted out of 142 reply share report save follow about community are fat fire retire with a fat stash 324k member 664 online created the 28th of November. 2016 joined back to top advertisement this article was downloaded by caliber from https www.reddit.com rfat fire comments vq 5404 slash those with kids shall do you do school fundraisers previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index health log in today's paper health new dementia prevention method may be behavioral not prescribed https colon slash slash www dot nighttimes.com slash two zero two two slash zero seven slash zero three slash health slash dementia dash treatment dash behavior dash eye care html give this article 646 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story new dementia prevention method may be behavioral not prescribed as experimental drugs proven effective against increasing dementia cases in the u.s researchers argue that improving eyesight can have an effect give this article 646 credit B.A. LaRue Lamy by Paula Spann the 3rd of July, 2022 Dementia cases are climbing along with an aging world population, and yet another much-anticipated Alzheimer's medication, Crenizumab, has proved ineffective in clinical trials, the latest of many disappointments. Public health experts and researchers argue that it is past time to turn our attention to a different approach, focusing on eliminating a dozen or so already known risk factors, like untreated high blood pressure, hearing loss and smoking, rather than on an exorbitantly priced, whiz-bang new drug. It would be great if we had drugs that worked, said Dr. Gil Livingston, a psychiatrist at University College London and chair of the Lancet Commission on Dementia Prevention, Intervention and Care. But they are not the only way forward. Emphasizing modifiable risks, things we know how to change, represents a drastic change in concept, said Dr. Julie O. Rojas, a neurologist at the University of California, San Francisco. By focusing on behaviors and interventions that are already widely available and for which there is strong evidence, we are changing how we understand the way dementia develops, he said. The latest modifiable risk factor was identified in a study of vision impairment in the United States that was published recently in JAMA Neurology. Using data from the Health and Retirement Study, the researchers estimated that about 62% of current dementia cases could have been prevented across risk factors and that 1.8% about 100,000 cases could have been prevented through healthy vision. Though that's a fairly small percentage, it represents a comparatively easy fix, said Dr. Joshua Ehrlich, an ophthalmologist and population health researcher at the University of Michigan and the study's lead author. That's because eye exams, eyeglass prescriptions and cataract surgery are relatively inexpensive and accessible interventions. Globally, 80 to 90 percent of vision impairment and blindness is avoidable through early detection and treatment, or has yet to be addressed, Dr. Ehrlich said. The influential Lancet Commission began leading the modifiable risk factor movement in 2017. 
A panel of doctors, epidemiologists and public health experts reviewed and analyzed hundreds of high-quality studies to identify nine risk factors accounting for much of the world's dementia, high blood pressure, lower education levels, impaired hearing, smoking, obesity, depression, physical inactivity, diabetes and low levels of social contact. In 2020, the commission added three more, excessive alcohol consumption, traumatic brain injuries and air pollution. The commission calculated that 40% of dementia cases worldwide could theoretically be prevented or delayed if those factors were eliminated. A massive change could be made in the number of people with dementia, said Dr. Livingston. Even small percentages because so many people have dementia and it's so expensive can make a huge difference to individuals and families and to the economy. In fact, in wealthier countries, it's already happening as people get more education and smoke less, she pointed out. Because the odds of dementia increase with age, as more people reach older ages, the number of dementia cases keeps rising. But the proportions are dropping in Europe and North America, where the incidence of dementia has fallen by 13% per decade over the past 25 years. Dr. Ehrlich hopes the Lancet Commission will add vision impairment to its list of modifiable risks when it updates its report. And Dr. Livingston said it would indeed be on the Commission's agenda. Why would hearing and vision loss contribute to cognitive decline? A neural system maintains its function through stimulation from sensory organs, explained Dr. Rojas, a co-author of an accompanying editorial in JAMA Neurology. Without that stimulation, there will be a dying out of neurons, a rearrangement of the brain, he said. Hearing and vision loss could also affect cognition by limiting old adults' participation in physical and social activity. You can't see the cards, so you stop playing with friends, Dr. Ehrlich said, or you stop reading, the link between dementia and hearing loss, the single most important factor the Lancet Commission cited as a modifiable risk, has been well established. There is less clinical data on the connection to impaired vision, but Dr. Ehrlich is a co-investigator of a study in southern India to see whether providing old adults with eyeglasses affects cognitive decline. Of course, this approach to reduce dementia is aspirational, he acknowledged, we're not going to eliminate low education, obesity, all of these, some efforts, like raising education levels and treating high blood pressure, should begin in youth or at midlife, others require major policy changes, it's hard for an individual to control air pollution, for example, altering habits and making lifestyle changes, like stopping smoking, reducing drinking and exercising regularly are not simple, even fairly routine medical practices, like measuring and monitoring high blood pressure and taking drugs to control it, can be difficult for low-income patients. Moreover, older Americans will be likely to notice that routine vision and hearing care are two services that traditional Medicare does not cover. It will pay for care related to diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma or age-related macular degeneration, and it covers cataract surgery. But for more common problems correctable with eyeglasses, traditional Medicare is not going to help you out much, said David Lipschitz, associate director of the nonprofit Center for Medicare Advocacy. Nor will it cover most hearing aids or exams, which are much higher expenses. Medicare Advantage programs, provided through private insurers, usually do include some vision and hearing benefits, but look at the scope of coverage, Mr. Lipschitz cautioned. They might apply $200 or $300 or $500 towards hearing aids but at a typical $3,000 to $5,000 a pair, they still might be far out of reach, he said. Expanding traditional Medicare to include hearing, vision and dental benefits was part of the Biden administration's Build Back Better Act. But after the House passed it in November, Republicans and Senator Joe Manchin III, a Democrat, scuttled it in the Senate. Still, despite the caveats and cautions, reducing modifiable risk factors for dementia could have enormous payoff. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has incorporated that approach into its national plan to address Alzheimer's disease. A focus on these factors could also help reassure older Americans and their families. Some important risks for dementia lie beyond our control genetics and family history, and advancing age itself. Modifiable factors, however, are things we can act on. People have such fears of developing dementia, losing your memory, your personality, your independence, Dr. Livingston said. 
the idea that you can do a lot about it is powerful, even delaying its onset can have a great effect, if, instead of getting it at 80, you get it at 90, that's a huge thing, she said, iron hearing exams, exercise, weight control, stopping smoking, blood pressure medications, diabetes care we're not talking about expensive interventions or fancy surgery or seeing specialists who are hours away, Dr. Ehrlich added, these are things people can do in the communities where they live, advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 the New York Times company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T brand studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada international help subscriptions this article was downloaded by caliber from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 03 slash health slash dementia dash treatment dash behavior dash eye care html previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index health log in today's paper health updated covid shots are coming will they be too late https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 04 slash health slash updated dash cover dash vaccines dash omicron dot html give this article 873 advertisement continue reading the main story updated covid shots are coming will they be too late the government has greenlit new vaccines to defend against the latest omicron variants but the shots won't arrive until the fall and cases are rising now Give this article 873. This article is part of our daily COVID briefing credit. Erica P. Rodriguez for the New York Times by Benjamin Mueller the 4th of July. 2022 Roseanne Renault, 77, has grown tired of the current generation of coronavirus shots. Having never been one for a lot of vaccination, she decided to forego the latest round of boosters after watching vaccinated friends contract COVID-19, even though the doses offer a critical extra layer of protection. It's just taking another sane booster, Ms. Renault, a retired nurse and aesthetist from Fort Worth, said. They haven't done anything different with them to cover new variants, but a gripe about the COVID vaccines may soon be settled. American regulators committed last week to updating the 2020 vaccine recipes for this fall's booster campaign with new formulas meant to defend against the ultra-contagious Omicron subvariants, offering Ms. Renouf and other holdouts a fresh reason to change their minds. The Biden administration is betting that the new cocktails, the centerpiece of an effort to drastically speed up vaccine development, might appeal to the half of inoculated Americans who have so far spurned booster shots. A key constituency in the fight against future COVID waves. Vaccine updates are becoming more urgent by the day, many scientists said. The most evasive forms of Omicron yet, known as BA4 and BA5, appear to be driving a fresh surge of cases across much of the United States. The same subvariants have sent hospital admissions climbing in Britain, France, Portugal, Belgium and Israel. COVID deaths in the United States, which had been hovering for months near the lowest levels of the pandemic, are rising again. In the worst case, epidemiologists have predicted some 200,000 COVID deaths in the United States within the next year. We are hoping that we can convince people to go get that booster, said Dr. Peter Marks, who oversees the vaccines office at the Food and Drug Administration, and help mature their immune response and help prevent another wave. Many scientists believe that updated boosters will be critical for diversifying people's immune defenses as subvariants eat away at the protection offered by vaccines. Catching up with a virus that has been so rapidly mutating may be impossible, they said, but it was far better to be only a few months, rather than a couple of years, behind the pathogen. Omicron is so different that, 
To me, it seems pretty clear we're starting to run out of ground in terms of how well these vaccines protect against symptomatic infections, said Deep Tabatacheraya, an immunologist at the University of Arizona. It's very important that we update the shots. Now, the question is whether those modified boosters will arrive in time. In a bid to match the latest forms of the virus, the FDA asked vaccine manufacturers to tailor their new shots to the BA4 and BA5 subvariants, rather than to the original version of Omicron from last winter. Read more on the coronavirus pandemic heavy toll. The average life expectancy of Americans fell precipitously in 2020 and 2021. The decline, largely driven by the pandemic, was particularly pronounced among indigenous communities. Boosters, an influential panel of expert advisors to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recommended updated coronavirus booster shots to the vast majority of Americans, clearing the way for health workers to begin giving people the redesigned shots within days. Paxlovid study, the COVID-19 medication Paxlovid reduced hospitalizations and deaths in older patients, but made no difference for patients under 65. New research from Israel found, Moderna's lawsuits, the vaccine manufacturer sued Pfizer and BioNTech, claiming that its rivals COVID-19 shot copied groundbreaking technology that Moderna had developed before the pandemic. Virologists said that a subvariant vaccine would generate not only the strongest immune defenses against current versions of the virus but also the type of broad antibody response that will help protect against whatever form of the virus emerges in the months ahead. But building a fall booster campaign around vaccines at the forefront of the virus's evolution could also come at a cost. Pfizer and Moderna said that they could deliver subvariant vaccine doses no earlier than October. Some FDA advisors warned in a public meeting last week that the timeline could be slowed even further by any number of routine delays. Image credit, saw Martinez for the New York Times in contrast, a vaccine targeting the original version of Omicron is closer at hand. Moderna and Pfizer have already started making doses tailored to the original form of Omicron, and Moderna said that it could start supplying them this summer. Whether the benefits of a new subvariant vaccine outweigh the drawbacks of having to wait longer depends on when exactly it arrives and how much havoc the virus wreaks before then, scientists said. They said that having some form of an updated vaccine by the fall was crucial. I would lean toward thinking BA4, BA5 is a good choice unless it dramatically extends the timeline, said Jesse Bloom, a virologist at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center in Seattle, voicing support for the subvariant vaccine. If using BA4, BA5 only modestly extends the timeline. I think it's a good choice. The updated shots will test the public's openness to an accelerated vaccine program that is reminiscent of the way annual flu shots are formulated. But that is entirely new when it comes to the coronavirus. The original COVID vaccines had to withstand slow and laborious testing. Volunteers took the shots and then went about their lives while researchers tracked who got sick. But there is now ample evidence that the shots are safe, and any tweaks to the recipe could be wasted if scientists were to spend the better part of a year testing them. Instead, vaccine manufacturers have been studying volunteers' blood samples in the lab to gauge their immune responses to a booster that is tailored to the first version of Omicron. The subvariant boosters have so far been through lighter testing. Pfizer has studied only how they have affected antibody responses in mice. The FDA said that it would not require clinical trial data for the subvariant boosters before authorization and would rely instead on studies of boosters targeting the original version of Omicron. Some scientists said that authorizing modified vaccines without time-consuming human studies was essential to keeping up. It just seems dangerous to overly bureaucratize the rollout of an updated vaccine, said Jeremy Camille, a virologist at Louisiana State University Health Shreveport. Moving too slowly, he said, would risk leaving older and other vulnerable people exposed to a pathogen that looks different than what the original vaccines had prepared them for.
If a bank robber's grown a beard and dyed their hair, he said, it's going to help your response to know what they look like today rather than when they were 14 years old. Some government vaccine advisors have said that regulators had not yet proven that updated boosters protected substantially better than existing boosters against severe COVID. Others have expressed concern that reformulating vaccines would undercut confidence in the vaccination program. For some booster-shy Americans, though, the fact that the current offerings had grown data was the source of their apathy. It probably helps a bit, the booster, but not to the extent of going to the trouble of getting it, said Cherry Olena, a retired medical secretary in her 70s from Northern California, whose last COVID vaccine was 16 months ago. It's not specifically formulated for the thing that's going around. A modified shot would appeal to her, she said because it gives you specific immunity against the specific thing. Gaps in booster coverage have left the United States more exposed to deaths during Omicron waves. More than half of vaccinated Americans have not received a booster. Three quarters of those eligible for a second booster have not gotten one. This spring, people age 50 and older who had received a single booster were dying from COVID at four times the rate of those with two booster doses, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Image credit, Pfizer, via Associated Press There are no certainties when it comes to forecasting the pathogen's evolution. Come winter, the virus could take an unexpected turn away from the Omicron branch of the evolutionary tree. And whereas flu viruses typically turn over in the course of years, new coronavirus variants can emerge and then start stampeding across the world within months. But scientists said it was reassuring that the updated boosters, which would also contain a component of the original formulation appeared to generate strong immune responses to many different versions of the virus. And for now, signs are pointing toward this winter's virus being a descendant of Omicron. The more time that passes, the more likely it is that anything new is going to emerge from Omicron, said Trevor Bitford, an evolutionary biologist at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center. Even though the coronavirus evolves faster than the flu, Dr. Bitford said, mRNA technology enables COVID shots to be modified more quickly, too. Decisions about the composition of an autumn flu vaccine are typically made in February, he noted. This fall's coronavirus vaccines are not being decided upon until early summer, and scientists have a wider window into what coronavirus strains are spreading and how quickly. With SARS-CoV-2, we have 12 million genomes, Dr. Bedford said of the virus. For flu, we have collected 250,000 over decades. The FDA's decision to give its blessing to updated vaccines may have ripple effects across the globe setting Moderna and Pfizer on the path to making those shots. But some countries may choose boosters targeting the earlier version of Omicron because they will be ready sooner. Some FDA advisors also said that a vaccine made for the original strain by a third company, Novavax, held promise as an Omicron-targeted booster. That shot is not yet authorized for use. Scientists said they were eager for a clearer picture of how updated vaccine candidates would be chosen in the future and how quickly they could be made. Some also pressed for closer cooperation between American regulators and the World Health Organization, which supports updated the vaccines but with the original version of Omicron, not its latest subvariants, as a different way of broadening immune responses. The ultimate goal, many scientists said, was to compress the time between when the next immune-dodging variant emerges and when people can be vaccinated against it. We're now seven months out from when we first detected Omicron, said Dr. Michael Zedlin, a professor of neurobiology at Stanford who has tracked the regulatory process. We need a rapid way for strain selection, and it needs to be more rapid than what we've done so far. Among those likely to line up for a modified vaccine is Randy Plevy, 57, of New York. Having been vaccinated, and then infected twice, she held off on getting a booster shot. Why am I getting a booster if it's not going to protect me against what's out there, she said. If they can demonstrate you're getting ahead of the curve, and here is the latest and greatest that is going to protect you from the next strain. I think that'd be really attractive to a lot of people. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-brand. Studio your ad choices privacy policy 
terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International Health Subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 04 slash health slash updated dash cover dash vaccines Omicron HTML previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index space and cosmos login today's paper space and cosmos James Bardeen an expert on unraveling Einstein's equations dies at 83 https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 03 slash science slash space slash James dash Bardeen dash an dash expert dash on dash unraveling dash Einstein's dash equations dash dies dash 80 83 html give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story James Bardeen an expert on unraveling Einstein's equations dies at 83 a scion of a renowned family of physicists he helped set the stage for what has been called the golden age of black hole astrophysics Give this article credit, University of Washington by Dennis Overby published the 3rd of July, 2022 updated the 5th of July, 2022 James Bardeen, who helped elucidate the properties and behavior of black holes, setting the stage for what has been called the golden age of black hole astrophysics, died on the 20th of June in Seattle. He was 83. His son William said the cause was cancer. Dr. Bardeen, an emeritus professor of physics at the University of Washington, had been living in a retirement home in Seattle. Dr. Bardeen was a scion of a renowned family of physicists. His father, John, twice won the Nobel Prize in Physics for the invention of the transistor and the theory of superconductivity. His brother, William, is an expert on quantum theory at the Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory in Illinois. Dr. Bardeen was an expert on unraveling the equations of Einstein's theory of general relativity. That theory ascribed what we call gravity to the bending of space-time by matter and energy. Its most mysterious and disturbing consequence was the possibility of black holes, places so dense that they became bottomless one-way exit ramps out of the universe, swallowing even light and time. Dr. Bardeen would find his life's work investigating those mysteries, as well as related mysteries about the evolution of the universe. Jim was part of a generation where the best and brightest went to work on general relativity, said Michael Turner, a cosmologist and emeritus professor at the University of Chicago, who described Dr. Bardeen as a gentle giant. James Maxwell Bardeen was born in Minneapolis on the 9th of May, 1939. His mother, Jane Maxwell Bardeen, was a zoologist and a high school teacher. Following his father's work, the family moved to Washington, D.C., to Summit, N.J., and then to Champaign-Urbana, Ill., where he graduated from the University of Illinois Laboratory High School. He attended Harvard and graduated with a physics degree in 1960, despite his father's advice that biology was the wave of the future. Everybody knew who my father was, he said in an oral history interview recorded in 2020 by the Federal University of Para in Brazil, adding that he had not felt the need to compete with him. It was impossible, anyway, he said, working under the physicist Richard Feynman and the astrophysicist William A. Fowler, who would both become Nobel laureates. Dr. Bardeen obtained his PhD from the California Institute of Technology in 1965. His thesis was about the structure of supermassive stars millions of times the mass of the Sun. Astronomers were beginning to suspect that they were the source of the prodigious energies of the quasars being discovered in the nuclei of distant galaxies. After holding postdoctoral positions at Caltech and the University of California, Berkeley, he joined the astronomy department at the University of Washington in 1967. An avid hiker and mountain climber, he was drawn to the school by its easy access to the outdoors. By then, 
what the Nobel laureate Kip Thorne, a professor at the California Institute of Technology, refers to as the golden age of black hole research was well underway, and Dr. Baldin was swept up in international meetings. At one, in Paris in 1967, he met Nancy Thomas, a junior high school teacher in Connecticut who was trying to brush up on her French. They were married in 1968. In addition to his son William, a senior vice president and the chief strategy officer of the New York Times Company, and his brother, William, Dr. Bardeen's wife survives him, along with another son, David, and two grandchildren. A sister, Elizabeth Greatak, died in 2000. Image credit, Edward Branf Dr. Bardeen was a member of the National Academy of Sciences, as is his brother and as was his father. Although he was speedy at math, Dr. Bardeen didn't write any faster than he spoke. William Press, a former student of Dr. Thorne's now at the University of Texas, recalled being sent to Seattle to finish a paper that Dr. Bardeen and he were supposed to be writing. Nothing had been written. Dr. Bardeen's wife then commanded the two to sit on opposite ends of a couch with a pad of paper. Dr. Bardeen would write a sentence and pass the pad to Dr. Press, who would either reject or approve it and then pass the pad back. Each sentence, Dr. Press said, took a few minutes. It took them three days, but the paper got written. One of the epochal moments of those years was a month-long summer school in Le Hatches, France, in 1972 featuring all the leading black hole scholars. Dr. Bardeen was one of a half-dozen invited speakers. It was during that meeting that he, Stephen Hawking of Cambridge University and Brandon Carter, now of the Paris Observatory, wrote a landmark paper entitled The Four Laws of Black Hole Mechanics, which became a springboard for future work including Dr. Hawking's surprise calculation that black holes could leak and eventually explode. In another famous calculation the same year, Dr. Bardeen deduced the shape and size of a black hole's shadow as seen against a field of distant stars a donut of light surrounding dark space. Image credit, Getty Images North America, via EHT collaboration that shape was made famous, Dr. Thorne said by the Event Horizon Telescope's observations of black holes in the galaxy M87 and in the center of the Milky Way, and by visualizations in the movie Interstellar, another of Dr. Bardeen's passions was cosmology. In a 1982 paper, he, Dr. Turner and Paul Steinhardt of Princeton described how submicroscopic fluctuations in the density of matter and energy in the early universe would grow and give rise to the pattern of galaxies we see in the sky today. Jim was delighted that we used his formalism, Dr. Turner said, and was sure we got it right. Dr. Bardeen moved to Yale in 1972. Four years later, unhappy with the academic bureaucracy in the East and yearning for the outdoors again, he moved back to the University of Washington. He retired in 2006, but he never stopped working. Dr. Thorne recounted a recent telephone conversation in which they reminisced about the hiking and camping trips they used to take with their families. In the same conversation, Dr. Bardeen described recent ideas he had about what happens as a black hole evaporates, suggesting that it might change into a white hole. That was one aspect of Jim in a nutshell, Dr. Thorne wrote in an email, thinking deeply about physics in creative new ways right up to the end of his life. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work. With us advertised T-Brand Studio Your Ad Choices Privacy Policy Terms of Service Terms of Sale Site Map Canada International Help Subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 03 slash science slash space slash James Dash Bardeen An expert on unraveling Einstein's equations dies at 83 HTML Previous articles sections next Previous articles sections next IMGSOC equals Images IMG 1 U 3 PNG, IMGSOC equals images IMG 2 U 25 PNG, home login sign up about how it works, blog pricing contact IMGSOC equals images IMG 2 U 25 PNG, home login sign up.
about how it works blog pricing contact IMG SOC equals images IMG 2U25 PNG comma home about how it works pricing blog log in sign up auto make your crypto build your personal trading strategy to save time and make your crypto work for you 24 slash 7 try free today learn Arcturus never miss a market movement whether you're spending time with your family relaxing on the beach or asleep we ensure your crypto always has its finger on the pulse Try free today. Learn Arcturus. Remove emotion and subjective trading. Automating your strategy removes impulsive trading. Maintains objectivity and helps keep you in profit. Try free today. Learn Arcturus. IMG SOC equals images. IMG 3U6 PNG comma. IMG SOC equals images. IMG 2U25 PNG comma. X stress free. Automated crypto trading is just a few clicks away. Sign up already a member. Sign in X. IMG SOC equals images. IMG 2U25 PNG comma. Have you joined the amazing Arcturus Discord community? Join now about us every successful trader has an array of tools at their disposal. Technical analysis, order flow, leverage are to name a few. For many, automation doesn't exist. We are here to change that. We enable you to automate every aspect of your portfolio without writing a single line of code. Want to configure a market-making bot that puts your orders at the top of the order book, a fully automated strategy, or even a big red button to liquidate all your risky positions into USD? It's all possible with Arcturus. If it isn't let us know and we'll build the tools to let you do it. We believe automated systems that protect pennies and project pounds shouldn't be exclusive to large trading firms. If you're a bear, a bull, or a bit of both, Get in touch to learn more or sign up to get started. Our mission empower every trader. Our values simplicity through innovation opportunities through education community through collaboration example strategies IMG SOC equals images IMG 4U2 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 5U2 PNG comma IMG SOC equals images IMG 6 PNG comma stagger orders in the order book place orders dependent on the current order book so you're always exactly where you want to be. Stock RSI strategy by every time the stochastic RSI indicator crosses your chosen threshold. For example, 80 slash 20. You can configure the indicator however you like, choose your order type, execute once, multiple times, or repeat forever, and much, much more. DCA bot one of the simplest bots, dollar cost averaging allows you to mitigate volatility by spreading your entries and exits over time. Here we're buying 0.1 F every day for 10 days. How it works build the logical way to be the first to invest or sell cryptocurrency when needed. Need some further tutorials? Head to our YouTube for more or live chat with us. Sign in or register an account to begin your automated trading experience tag and drop simple blocks to build your strategy. It's as simple as plug, play, profit once you've designed your system we do our magic. Converting into an automated trading strategy choose from over 50 technical indicators trade on breaking news through real-time social media integrations and news alerts trade how you like. We are committed to being the most versatile tool on the market. If you can think of the strategy, we'll help you automate it. Frequently asked questions What does Arcturus mean? Arcturus is a portmanteau from the ancient Greek word Arcturus, meaning defender of the bear combined with the Latin Taurus, meaning bull. We are traders with experience in building automated strategies who want to give the tools we spent so long learning to every trader. We enable you to up your trading game, allowing you to optimize and customize your trading strategies with the precision of hand-coded solutions. Our platform is easy to use, flexible, and powerful and our users are central to our mission. Why should I use Arcturus? We help you build and maintain your crypto trading strategies. It can be tiresome and expensive to build your own automations on your own with little assurance of tangible results. We enable you to build and test a full strategy in minutes rather than days. Arcturus will save you time, sweat and tears. No longer will you need to keep one eye on the market 24-7. What is automated crypto trading? Automated trading is the same as regular trading except a computer makes the trades on your behalf. We let you define what triggers the bot to trade and as soon as that happens the bot executes the orders in a blink of an eye. This can be changes in price, 
technical indicators, with more integrations coming soon. That means that come rain, shine, holiday or family commitment you'll never miss your entry or exit. Do I need to know how to code? How much is it? Tiers start at 25 British pounds per month. To find the right package for your needs check out our pricing page. We're also open to more bespoke solutions. If that's something you'd like, make sure to get in touch using our live chat. How much do I need to invest? Invest as much or as little as you like. Arctorus is a flexible crypto trading software allowing you to trade customized amounts relevant to your lifestyle. We have no volume caps for our tiers so if you're trading $1 or $1 million we'd love to help you improve your trading. How do I build a crypto trading bot? Building crypto bots using Octores is fast and easy. We have a range of custom blocks for you to drag and drop into place to quickly build a program to trade on your behalf without writing a line of code. This bot will follow the logic you set out and trade based on it. No need to do any other work once you hit publish. Where do I learn more about trading? There's plenty of resources available out there. We have a blog section with multiple posts, written by our employees. We discuss a wide range of topics going into detail to help you improve your trading. Feel free to ask us any questions you have on our live chat as we're always happy to chat. How confidential are the strategies I build on Arcturus? We will never share, sell, copy, or distribute your unique trading strategies unless you explicitly authorize us to do so. They are for your use only. Check our, our full privacy policy to understand how we keep you and your data secure while using Octorus. Is it possible to sell my trading bot to other users currently? No. But please contact us if you would like to do this as we are currently in the process of developing a system such that users can sell or sublicense their automated trading strategies. Exchanges These are the exchanges we currently support. We're always looking at expanding, so if your favorite exchange is missing let us know. IMGSOC equals images IMG7U1PNG, IMGSOC equals images IMG8U1PNG, our blog at Artores HQ, our medium provides in depth expert written blogs covering everything cryptocurrency and automated trading. View all posts, follow us on Medium, read more blogs. We have a podcast. We've launched our own podcast series, Trading Explained, where founder and CEO Jonti goes in depth into automated trading strategies with Andrew, our resident trading guru. IMGSOC equals images IMG9U1PNG, IMGSOC equals images IMG10PNG. Our social stay up to date with us on our social media Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. Contact us, get in touch via the form below to let us know if you need any help, want to discuss an issue, or just really like us. Copyright Arctorus Copyright Sign 2022 Trust Billet Privacy Policy Terms and Conditions Beta Access Contact Us This article was downloaded by Calibre from HTTPS. Arctorus Come Home Ref equals Products and Previous Articles Sections Next Previous Articles Sections Next Sections Search Skip to Content Skip to Site Index Login Today's Paper Opinion I'm a high-risk obstetrician, and I'm terrified for my patients HTTPS www.nightimes.com 2022-07-05 Opinion Objin Roe v. Wade Pregnancy HT ML give this article advertisement continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story guest essay I'm a high risk obstetrician and I'm terrified for my patients the 5th of July 2022 credit Matt Yoon give this article by David N. Hackney Dr. Hackney is a maternal fetal medicine specialist and chair of the Ohio section of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists my wife and I practice in medical fields obstetrics and pediatrics that should be filled with happiness and often they are, though we have selected subspecialties that are often shrouded in sadness, high-risk obstetrics for me, and pediatric oncology for my wife. We have both watched children die while held in their mother's arms. Often we are asked about our psychological defenses in the face of tragic outcomes, the cancer that does not have a cure, or preeclampsia that becomes life-threatening to the pregnant woman before viability. 
In my opinion, the most important defense is the voice in your head that says, I did everything I could, I tell myself that I used treatments supported by research and monitored pregnancies with the highest quality technology, I performed complex procedures, listened and counseled, I did everything I could, but ultimately the preterm labor could not be stopped, or, in my wife's case, the child's leukemia was just too aggressive, so we provide comfort and bear witness. On the 24th of June, Roe v. Wade was overturned and the near total abortion ban became law in Ohio, where my wife and I practice. There are no exceptions for rape, incest or fetal anomalies, including lethal conditions. Diagnosing birth defects is what I do. Over the years many of my patients with lethal anomalies have elected to continue their pregnancies knowing that their children will die after delivery. These patients always have my full support. Sometimes this is in concurrence with their religious beliefs, though sometimes it's simply meaningful for them to deliver and spend time with their child, even if only for minutes or hours. Most patients, however, elect to discontinue the pregnancy. For these patients, abortion is now illegal in Ohio. Some people will travel out of state. However, many people will not be able to do so, particularly people of color and those living in strategically disenfranchised communities. Sometime soon, I am going to meet a patient who has no ability to leave the state, and I am going to have to tell her that her baby has a lethal condition, and she is going to have to carry a pregnancy to term against her will. It might be tomorrow, it might be weeks from now, but this is going to happen, and I cannot stop it. This patient will go through her third trimester visibly pregnant. Strangers in the grocery store will congratulate her. She will have to explain her story over and over again to friends, neighbors and co-workers. She will be forced to experience labor and delivery, and then her child will die. The risks of term delivery are far greater than the risk of abortion, so she may also experience hemorrhage, preeclampsia, blood clots or other complications. Ohio's new law is unimaginably cruel. What am I going to do when I meet this patient, when I am sitting in an examination room with her as a nightmare unfolds before us? I hope the voice inside my head will again say, I did everything I could, but this time the voice would not only be talking about my medical management. Over the years, the Ohio section of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which I chair, has issued statements, engaged social media and organized action alerts and membership lobby days on a wide range of important issues, including abortion. We have testified publicly before Ohio House committees and made direct appeals to legislators in their offices. For instance, in 2019 we successfully fought HB 413, which would have made abortion murder a crime and could have required doctors to re-implant an ectopic pregnancy into the woman's uterus, which is impossible. And in February we testified against HB 598, which would ban virtually all abortions in the state and could even affect fertility services. So I will try to tell myself that this is not my fault. I will remind myself of the politicians who either did not believe me or did not care. But did I do everything? It is impossible to not worry that I have failed the physicians and patients of Ohio. As physicians, what would we not do to save our patients from suffering and death? We have worked in hospitals through the night. We have performed surgery for hours. We have been splashed with blood, urine and amniotic fluid. We have listened to our patients' concerns and sometimes held their hands and cried with them. The Supreme Court ruling in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, which overturned Roe, is a tragedy for our patients, many of whom will suffer and some of whom could very well die. Did we vote in every election? Did we call our legislators? Were we always brave enough to speak clearly and truthfully about abortion, especially in settings that make us uncomfortable? When we are in the room with our patients, will the voice in our head still say, I did everything I could? David N. Hackney is a maternal fetal medicine specialist and chair of the Ohio section of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at, nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times opinion section on Facebook.
Twitter, at N White Opinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 05 slash opinion slash ob dash v dash wade pregnancy html previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index america's login today's paper america's has biden's top diplomat in mexico gone too far officials ask https www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-05 world america's united states mexico diplomacy html give this article 287 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story has biden's top diplomat in mexico gone too far officials Ask, administration officials fear that the U.S. ambassador's cozy relationship with the Mexican president has backfired and may be setting back American interests in the region. Give this article 287 credit, Alejandro Seguera for the New York Times by Natalie Kithroff and Maria Abby Habib the 5th of July. 2022 Lear in Espinal, Mexico City, Mexico's elections are delivered a message to the American ambassador. The Mexican president was mounting an all-out assault on the National Elections Authority, sowing doubt about a pillar of the country's democracy. But instead of expressing alarm, America's top diplomat in Mexico took up one of the president's lines of attack, entertaining claims that an election long in the past, in 2006, had been stolen from the Mexican leader. The ambassador, Ken Salazar, said in an interview that he was not convinced that the election was clean, challenging the stance of the United States at a time when democracy is under threat at home and across the hemisphere. Mr. Salazar, who invited the election overseer to his residence, told the New York Times he wanted to know, was there fraud the matter had long been settled, for Mexico's judicial system, the European Union and the American government until now. This ambassador's willingness to question the election's legitimacy is the latest example of what several U.S. officials say is a worrying pattern, in which America's top diplomat in Mexico has appeared to contradict his own government's policies in the interest of aligning himself with President Andres Manuel López Obrador. Image credit, Luis Antonio Rojas for the New York Times when he took the job in September 2021, Mr. Salazar was told to prioritize building a strong relationship with Mr. López Obrador in hopes it would advance the White House's agenda. As the primary buffer between the United States and record high flows of migrants, Mr. López Obrador holds enormous leverage over Mr. Biden and his presidency. Preserving Mexico's cooperation, administration officials said, meant avoiding conflict with a mercurial Mexican leader who had the power to damage Mr. Biden's political future by refusing to hold the line on migration. Mr. Salazar has in fact succeeded in getting close to the Mexican president. But there is growing concern within the administration that the ambassador may have actually compromised U.S. interests in the process and has not leveraged the relationship into policy wins when Mr. Biden needs them most. According to interviews with more than a dozen current and former officials and analysts, the ambassador has rehashed debunked claims of a stolen election used by the Mexican president to fuel distrust in the country's democracy, questioned the integrity of a U.S funded anti-corruption non-profit that had gone up against the president, caused a political storm by appearing to signal support for an energy overhaul the U.S. government opposed, and has stayed silent as Mr. López Obrador relentlessly attacks journalists. In strategically important countries governed by volatile leaders, U.S. ambassadors often have to walk a fine line between cultivating a bond with the president and pushing their own government's priorities. Mr. Salazar insists his direct relationship with Mr. López Obrador benefits the United States, 
Yet inside the U.S. government, some are questioning whether the administration's soft approach is actually working or merely emboldening Mr. Lopez Obrador as he challenges American influence and undermines democratic safeguards. According to senior U.S. officials who were not authorized to speak publicly, the Mexican leader has pursued an energy agenda that threatens American companies and regularly uses his bully pulpit to discredit and personally insult those who question his government. The economy is cratering, violence continues to rage and now Mexico, not Central America, has become the biggest source of migrants arriving at the U.S. border. Even after the ambassador's charm offensive, the Mexican president led several leaders in boycotting a major summit hosted by the administration in June, embarrassing Mr. Biden on a global stage. The ambassador believes he's close to AMLO, said Duncan Wood, the vice president of strategy at the Wilson Center, using the Mexican leader's nickname. Is there anything to show for it? I can't find anything. The Biden administration, Mr. Wood said, is being played by AMLO. Image credit, Alejandro Seguera for the New York Times from the beginning of his tenure. Mr. Biden has had a fraught relationship with the Mexican president, who initially refused to recognize his election victory. President Donald J. Trump, when he was in office, coerced Mr. Lopez Obrador into executing his hardline immigration policy under the threat of tariffs, and in exchange left the Mexican leader alone to pursue his domestic agenda. The Biden administration is just as reliant on Mexico for migration enforcement, and Mr. Lopez Obrador's government has dedicated significant resources to that effort, arresting a record number of migrants last year. At the same time, though, Mr. Biden has vowed to pursue a broader agenda in the region, including defending human rights and democracy, without the heavy-handed tactics of his predecessor. Mr. Salazar was seen as the perfect man to mollify the Mexican president. Officials assumed the former Democratic senator's folksy manner would work well with Mr. Lopez Obrador's man of the people persona. What we need to do is to address these huge, unprecedented problems together, Mr. Salazar said. And you can't do it if you have an enemy, what we consider before using anonymous sources. How do the sources know the information? What's their motivation for telling us? Have they proved reliable in the past? Can we corroborate the information? Even with these questions satisfied, the Times uses anonymous sources as a last resort. The reporter and at least one editor know the identity of the source. Learn more about our process. Mr. Salazar meets with Mexico's leader on a regular basis, securing significant access to the country's top power broker. As Mr. Lopez Obrador pursued energy overhauls, the ambassador set up meetings between the Mexican leader and U.S. companies affected. Mr. Salazar told Reuters that the U.S. government is making progress on settling disputes affecting more than $30 billion of American investment in Mexico's energy sector. Publicly, the Biden administration stands by Mr. Salazar. Some of the criticism that is levied at him is because he is engaging so actively with this government, but frankly, he's doing it to try to advance U.S. interests, said Juan Gonzalez, Mr. Biden's top advisor on Latin America. Image credit, Alejandro Seguera for the New York Times as for Mr. Lopez Obrador's claim that the 2006 election was stolen from him, Mr. Gonzalez confirmed in an interview that the U.S. position on the matter has not changed. Despite the ambassador's skepticism, we recognize the outcome of the election results, Mr. Gonzalez said. The U.S. has been on the record, Mr. Salazar, however, told the New York Times that he was not aware of the U.S. government line, and that he still had doubts. I have been told by many people who watched the vote that night, including people that have no axe to grind, who are very credible people, that there was fraud. It is episodes like these that have stoked concerns among U.S. officials who say that the ambassador may have gone too far. At times, he has caused confusion about the U.S. position on some of the most sensitive policy issues. Weeks after Jennifer Granham, the U.S. Energy Secretary, flew to Mexico to express concern about the energy changes, Mr. Salazar appeared to contradict her message, 
telling Mexican journalists that the president is right to pursue changes to the law. The comment, which Mr. Salazar said was taken out of context, was marshaled by Mr. Lopez Obrador to signal the ambassador's support for legislation that would boost Mexico's state-owned electrical utility and jeopardize billions in U.S. investments. In March, the Mexican president invited the ambassador to join him at his daily news conference, where he takes the stage to push government talking points and assail anyone he considers an adversary, including the U.S. government. Mr. Salazar wanted to attend, he told the Times, but his staff urged him to reconsider, arguing that standing by Mr. Lopez Obrador during one of his tirades would be risky for the Biden administration. Eventually, the potential awkwardness was avoided by what the ambassador said was a scheduling conflict. Earlier this year, one prominent civic leader wrote to Mr. Salazar seeking support against Mr. Lopez Obrador's attacks on advocacy groups. The leader, Maria Amparo Casa, was then summoned to Mr. Salazar's residence. Ms. Casa's nonprofit, Mexicans Against Corruption and Impunity, investigates graft and is a regular target of Mr. Lopez Obrador's scoring. The president had also assailed the U.S. government for funding the group, which was co-founded by a businessman who left the organization to form an opposition movement. A senior Biden administration official had already told Mr. Salazar that the administration would not pull financing for the organization, said two U.S. officials who were not authorized to speak publicly. But in the lead up to the meeting, he told his staff he had grown suspicious of the group and wanted to investigate it. The ambassador told the Times he believed the opposition activism of the group's founder created the appearance of impropriety and said he would advocate for the funding to be cut if he found charges of political activity to be credible. At the meeting, Mr. Salazar grilled Ms. Kesa, questioning whether her group was secretly involved in politics. Ms. Kesa, shocked, said no, explaining that U.S. government auditors had determined over and over again that the group was not involved in politics. Image credit, Alejandro Seguera for the New York Times Why should I believe you? The ambassador then asked, according to two people familiar with the meeting who asked not to be named for fear of reprisal. The only proof I have is my word, Ms. Kesa answered. The ambassador told her that this doesn't smell good, before abruptly rising and cutting the meeting short. Mr. Salazar told the Times he had every right to raise legal and ethical issues with a recipient of U.S. funding, adding, somebody can tell you a lot of things that just aren't true. Mr. Gonzalez told the Times that the American government would continue to fund Ms. Kesa's group. The policy of the U.S. is clear on this, he said. All of the political capital the ambassador has tried to build with Mexico's president was not enough to stop him from delivering a humiliating rebuke to Mr. Biden last month. In the lead-up to a key regional summit hosted by the administration in June, the Mexican president repeatedly bashed the United States for not inviting Cuba, Nicaragua or Venezuela. Mr. Salazar pleaded with him to attend, said a U.S. embassy official who requested anonymity to avoid reprisal. But Mr. Lopez Obrador kept threatening to boycott the event, and a wave of countries followed suit. In a last-ditch effort at diplomacy, the ambassador paid a visit to Mexico's most important religious site, a shrine to the Virgin of Guadalupe, the day before the summit was set to begin. I pray at the Basilica to the patroness of the Americas to lift up our leaders to chart a new transformative era for the Americas and the U.S.-Mexico relationship, Mr. Salazar posted on Twitter. Mr. Lopez Obrador officially dropped out of the event the next day. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright signed 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertised T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada international help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 05 slash world slash Americas slash United dash States dash Mexico diplomacy HTML previous article sections next previous article sections next section search skip to content skip to site index style login today's paper style when the arenas rule the front row https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 
slash zero seven slash zero four slash style slash myra dash duma elena permanova ukraine html give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story when the tsarinas ruled the front row a group of russian women were once the hottest things at couture embraced not just by fashion but by the watching world where are they now Give this article credit, Rindoflo Segretan, via Getty Images by Vanessa Friedman the 4th of July, 2022 around this time just over a decade ago something happened in fashion that was as rare and unexpected as the sight of Kate Moss in a tutu. The front row of the couture shows, that rarefied array that often seems preserved in amber, underwent something of a metamorphosis seemingly overnight. A group of young women materialized en masse, with a magnetic combination of beauty, charm, wealth and wardrobes that sent the watching fashion world into a frenzy. That they happened to emerge from Russia, once considered something of a fashion wasteland and then a flashy arrivist, made them irresistible. The Tsarinas are back, crowed a headline in the New York Times, not long after a style.com story called them the new Russian Federation, they broke the stereotype of Russia, said Robert Burke, the founder of a namesake luxury consultancy, also known as the Russian Fashion Mafia, the Russian Fashion Pack and the Russian Fashion Royals, they were a rotating group that included the designer Vika Gazinskaya as well as the model and charity founder Talia Vodianova, but with a core composed of Miroslava Duma, a fashion editor and entrepreneur, Elena Permanova, a model with a Cinderella backstory, and Ulyana Sajinko, a designer. All were connected by their offbeat personal taste, a tendency to change clothes multiple times a day and their photographer friendliness and wealth. And they were following in the footsteps of Dasha's Hugh Kiver, the society figure and art and magazine world entrepreneur. Their profiles rose with the advent of street style and Instagram and the post-glasnost emergence of Russia as a flourishing market. Later they built fiefs and brands of their own on the foundation of their early fashion fame. They were eye-catching bridges between Russia and the world. As Karen Winrith, an associate professor of business at Sutterton University in Sweden, wrote in the scholarly journal Baltic Worlds, they were not only seen as role models and inspirational for fashion, they were also regarded as ambassadors of a new Russia. Their popularity put Russia on the map as a country offering fashionable inspiration, at least until this February, when Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine and those bridges began to look very shaky, along with the way fashion itself can be a shortcut to acceptance, reverberating beyond individuals to affect perception in the world world at large. Makeovers, after all, are not limited to people. The transitive theory of image making people use fashion and taste to rehabilitate themselves or empower a larger project like a profession or country, said Sophia Rosenfeld, a professor of history of the University of Pennsylvania and the author of Democracy and Truth, a short history, to whitewash themselves or a national culture or a set of business practices, the state of the war price cap. Finance ministers from the Group of Seven Nations agreed to form an international buyer's cartel to cap the price of Russian oil, a move that could drain President Vladimir V. Putin's war chest. UN inspection, amid fears of a possible nuclear accident at the Zaporizhia power plant, a United Nations team braved shelling to conduct an inspection of the Russian control station. Russia's military expansion, though Mr. Putin ordered a sharp increase in the size of Russia's armed forces, he seems reluctant to declare a draft. Here is why. Unusual approaches, Ukrainian troops, facing strained supply lines, are turning to jury-rigged weapons and equipment bartering among units. Think of it as the theory of the transitive properties of taste and connoisseurship qualities that suggest shared value systems that transcend borders and connect worldviews. In practice, clockwise from top left, Vikov Gazinskaya, Ulyana Sajinko, Miroslava Duma and Elena Permanova. Credit, clockwise from top left, Ashiel Tambatova for the New York Times, Antonio de Moraes Barros for Hawaii Image, via Getty Images, Marcy Swingle for the New York Times, 
Pascal Le Secret and Getty Images it was true, Ms. Rosenfeld said, as long ago as the Empress Josephine, who helped add legitimacy to Napoleon and the regime by transforming herself into a patron of French fashion and design and making herself into an icon for countries all over Europe, ditto the robber barons of the Gilded Age, and women like Caroline Astor and Elva Vanderbilt, whose philanthropy, fashion and taste catapulted them into the center of society, ditto the current Qatari royal family, who introduced the Fashion Trust Arabia Prize in 2018 under the aegis of Sheikh de Moza bint Nasser and Sheikh Le Almey Asser bint Hamad El Tani, luring Pia Paolo Bixierli, Olafia Rousting and Naomi Campbell, among others, to the Gulf in an attempt to change the image of the region. Though the arrival of the Russians on the fashion scene was not necessarily a strategic move, it was probably in part about creating identities of their own, there is no question that the effects of their presence created a halo effect around their home country. They performed a very specific, fashion-based form of outreach, just as other members of the elite built museums, bought soccer, basketball clubs and international media properties. Understanding early on that embedding themselves in the new image economy could result in having doors open to them, said Tommy Tun, who met Ms. Permanova through Ms. Duma, whom he had met through Vika Gazinskaya, and who, as a street style photographer for Style.com, was as responsible for anyone for building their myth. There are social and cultural aspects to fashion that are inseparable from the livelihood of brands, said Mr. Burke, referring to the fact that fashion brands underwrite galas and art exhibitions, film premieres and philanthropic events as well as dressing attendees in a sort of virtuous circle of access and Instagram opportunities. As their followings grew, designers began to see in them potential conducts to the new Russia, a market labeled by Goldman Sachs in 2009 as a key driver of global consumption, and for which, Ms. Winworth wrote, it was crucial for the Western fashion industry to have the right Russian mediators, the Russian fashion pack, she wrote, was perfect, Ms. Permanova and Ms. Duma co-starred in a Ferragamo ad campaign, Ms. Duma modeled for Louis Vuitton and Roger Vivier, they knew how to connect with people, Mr. Burke said, they represented style, sophistication, were very well-traveled and had a lot of spending power. They were the new face of what people thought Russia represented, their narratives were complicated by just one thing, the fact that when they burst onto the scene, Ms. Duma and company were all married to oligarchs or oligarch-adjacent men, Ms. Duma, who was born in Siberia and whose father was a senator in the Russian Federation from 2004 to 2011, while also being head of a Ukrainian diaspora in Russia from 2005 to 2012, the family is of Ukrainian heritage, to Alexei Mikhiev, whose father, Alexander Mikhiev, is the director general of Rosoboron Export, the Russian state-controlled weapons exporter currently on the list of individuals sanctioned by the United States, Britain, European Union and Canada. Ms. Permanova to Alexander Lebedev, a former KGB agent, banker and media mogul, currently on the Canadian sanctions list, whom she met after she was arrested for drug dealing at the age of 16, and Mr. Lebedev, then for a T4 and a member of the Duma, stepped in after being contacted by her father and Ms. Sajinko, who grew up in Kazakhstan when it was part of the USSR and later moved to Moscow, to the insurance billionaire Daniel Kachatrarov, the former president of Rosgistrak. Not that most people in Paris thought about those implications, because the husbands were almost never around. I met Elena Permanova's husband once, Mr. Tun said. Generally they did not travel with their husbands. Even when I went to Moscow Fashion Week and went to their homes, I rarely met the husband. The disappearance soon they piled their fashion presence into many fiefdoms. In 2011, Ms. Duma, who has a master's degree in international business from the Moscow State Institute of International Relations but started no career as an editor with Harper's Bazaar Russia, opened a digital media platform called Bureau 24 7 that grew to have offices in 12 countries. Later she divested from that and, positioning herself as a technology and sustainability guru, started an advisory and investment company called Future Tech Lab that focused on material science and biotech and company.
founded the material science responsible fashion brand Panjaya. In 2018 she was named the Young Global Leader of the World Economic Forum. Image Juliana Sajinko went from the front row to backstage, opening her own couture brand focusing on artisanal Russian techniques and qualifying for the official couture schedule among members invites. Ms. Permanova opened Len and Gretchka, a bakery that features organic, gluten-free vegan loaves, in both Moscow and London, where Mr. Lebedev has hosted the annual Ihesa Gorbachev Foundation Gala at his home on the grounds of Hampton Court Palace, and his elder son is a member of the House of Lords. There were issues along the way, including the cancelling of Ms. Duma and Ms. Sajinka by the fashion world after an Instagram scandal involving a racial slur in 2018 and a fake news report that made the rounds later that year full of unsupported allegations against Ms. Duma followed by other reports about Ms. Vodianova and Ms. Zukova, from a group calling itself the Kiev Fashion Resistance, and Ms. Duma's surprise appearance in the Mueller report in 2019, where she was identified as a contact of Ivanka Trumps from the fashion industry who had passed along invitations to the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum for Ms. Trump and Donald J. Trump in 2015, yet their Instagram followings continued to grow, to 444,000 for Ms. Sajinko, 1.8 million for Ms. Duma and 2.5 million for Ms. Permanova. Though the titles do not reflect their actual careers, they continue to be referred to as influencers and girls, a reflection of how the still-watching world once saw them. Now, though Ms. Sajinko and Ms. Duma are divorced, and Ms. Duma and Ms. Permanova both posted black squares in response to the invasion of Ukraine, their history has sent them almost dark. Many of the designers who once embraced them are leery of discussing them. Ms. Duma, who resigned as a company director of Panjaya in 2020, she continues to make investments via Future Tech Lab, wiped her Instagram feed earlier this year. Ms. Sajinko is not on the couture schedule, and her brand has not posted anything since February. Rumors abound that they have all been recalled to Russia. They do not respond to requests for comment and direct messages. They are, say friends who do not want to be identified because they are worried about how the Kremlin might react, concerned that their former profiles may bring unwanted attention. They risk being regarded as traitors if they speak up, or seen as complicit by an industry that was quick to declare its allegiance to Ukraine if they stay mum, stuck on the bridges they once built as a new iron curtain descends and gives everything a new look. Valeria Isafanova contributed reporting. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 the New York Times company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada international help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Caliber from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 04 slash style slash myra dash duma dash elena dash permanova ukraine html previous article sections next previous article sections next notion sql learning one dollar plus one dollar plus https colon slash slash schema.org slash in stock one us dollar moose stuff for urgency zero ratings are you looking for a way to learn sql quickly sql is one of the most important programming languages for data scientists developers and students but it can be a little tricky to learn at first. Notion SQL learning is designed to be simple and easy to follow so that you can start learning SQL quickly. It is divided into 20 plus topics so that you can learn SQL in bite-sized chunks. With Notion SQL learning, you'll learn everything you need to know to become an expert at SQL in just a few hours. We also provide helpful links to other resources if you want more information on any given topic. Notion SQL learning will help you understand how SQL works and how it can be used in your day-to-day -day job. The best part, Notion SQL learning keeps track of your progress so that you always know how much more there is left for you to learn. And if that's not enough, we've included a fun feature called SQL cards that will help you memorize the most important SQL concepts in no time. Who is this for? 
It's great for beginners, students, and even developers or data scientists who need a refresher on their SQL skills. We know how important it is for students, developers, data scientists and job seekers to save time and money when they are learning new skills and that's why we offer this course at such an affordable price. With Notion SQL Learning, you can, you will find here 20 plus best SQL topics, including all the common SQL clauses, functions and operators. You can choose what you need to learn and focus on it. We update our content regularly to keep it fresh and relevant. Search for the SQL topic you need by keyword, category or real use case. Set your goal and track your progress as you work through each topic. Notion SQL Learning will keep track of your progress so that you always know how much more there is left for you to learn. SQL Cards Learning SQL just got easier than ever before. Lifetime access party face with a party horn, hat and confetti party popper plus free updates plus support. You'll also receive regular updates of our content so that you can always stay up to date with what's happening in the world of databases. We also have a support team who will be able to answer any questions you might have about Notion SQL Learning or if there are any topics that are not covered in Notion SQL Learning that interests you then we can add them as well. DM me on Twitter, https colon slash slash twitter.com slash mustafair just name a fair price dollar sign i want this 132 sales powered by checkout notion sql learning enter your info to complete your purchase email address give us a gift country united states united kingdom canada australia allen islands albania algeria american samoa andorra angola anguilla antarctica antigua and barbuda argentina armenia aruba australia austria azerbaijan bahamas bahrain bangladesh barbados belarus belgium belize benin bermuda bhutan bolivia Plurinational state of Bonaire, Sintu Statius and Saba Bosnia and Herzegovina, Botswana, Bouvet Island, Brazil, British Indian Ocean Territory, Brunei, Russell Bulgaria, Burkina Faso, Burundi, Cambodia, Cameroon, Canada, Cabo Verde, Cayman Islands, Central African Republic, Chad, Chile, China, Christmas Island, Cocos, Keeling, Islands, Colombia, Comoros, Congo, Cook Islands, Costa Rica, Croatia, Curaçao, Cyprus, Czech Republic, Denmark, Djibouti, Dominica, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Egypt, El Salvador, Equatorial Guinea, Eritrea, Estonia, Ethiopia, Falkland Islands, More Venus. Faroe Islands, Fiji, Finland, France, French, Guiana, French, Polynesia, French, Southern Territories, Gabon, Gambia, Georgia, Germany, Ghana, Gibraltar, Greece, Greenland, Grenada, Guadeloupe, Guam, Guatemala, Guernsey, Guinea, Guinea, Bissau, Guyana, Haiti, Heard Island, and McDonald Islands, Holy See, Vatican City, State, Honduras, Hong Kong, Hungary, Iceland, India, Indonesia, Island, Isle of Man, Israel, Italy, Jamaica, Japan, Jersey, Jordan, Kazakhstan, Kenya, Kiribati, Korea, Republic of Kuwait, Kyrgyzstan, Leo, People's Democratic Republic, Latvia, Lesotho, Liechtenstein, Lithuania, Luxembourg, Macau, Macedonia. The former Yugoslav Republic of Madagascar, Malawi, Malaysia, Maldives, Mali, Malta, Marshall Islands, Martinique, Mauritania, Mauritius, Mayotte, Mexico, Micronesia, Federated States of Moldova, Republic of Monaco, Mongolia, Montenegro, Montserrat, Morocco, Mozambique, Namibia, Nauru, Nepal, Netherlands, New Caledonia, New Zealand, Nicaragua, Niger, Nigeria, Niue, Norfolk Island, Northern Mariana Islands, Norway, Oman, Pakistan, Palau, Palestine, State of Panama, Papua New Guinea, Paraguay, Peru, Philippines, Pitcairn, and Poland, Portugal, Puerto Rico, Qatar, A Union, Romania, Russian Federation, Rwanda, St. Barthélemy, St. Helena, Ascension and Tristan da Cunha, St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Martin, French Part, St. Pierre and Miquelon, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Samoa, San Marino, Sao Tome and Principe, Saudi Arabia, Senegal, Serbia, Seychelles, Sierra Leone, Singapore, St. Martin, Dutch Part, Slovakia, Slovenia, Solomon Islands, South Africa, South Georgia and the South Sandwich Islands, South Sudan, Spain, Sri Lanka, Suriname, Svalbard and Yanmar in Swaziland, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan, Province of China, Tajikistan, Tanzania, United Republic of Thailand, Timor, Les Togo, Tokelau, Tonga, Trinidad and Tobago, Tunisia, Turkey, Turkmenistan, Turks and Caicos Islands, Tuvalu, Uganda, Ukraine, United Arab Emirates, United Kingdom, United States, United States, Minor Outlying Islands, Uruguay, Uzbekistan, Vanuatu, Venezuela. Bolivarian Republic of Vietnam, Virgin Islands, British Virgin Islands, U.S. Wallace and Futuna, Western Sahara, Zambia, zip code, give us a gift card or pay with card information name on card, you'll be charged one U.S. dollar. 
Pay this article was downloaded by Calibur from HTTPS, Mustafi Gumroad com Elk Fuxa previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index Australia log in today's paper Australia parents of 80 year old were accused of her murder. Now, so are 12 more people HTTPS colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 06 slash world slash Australia slash Elizabeth dash stress dash charges dot HTML give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story parents of eight year old were accused of her murder now so are 12 more people Elizabeth Stries of Queensland Australia died in January because according to the police she was denied medical care give this article by Yans who are on the 6th of July 2022 Melbourne Australia the police have charged 12 members of a religious group with murder in connection with the death of Elizabeth Struz, 8, of Queensland State several months ago. The police say she was denied care over a period of days for an underlying medical condition. After Elizabeth's death in January, her parents, Jason Struz, 50, and Carrie Struz, 47, were charged with murder, torture and failure to provide necessities of life. They face up to life in prison on the murder charge. They have not yet entered pleas. On Tuesday, after a six-month investigation, the police charged 12 more people with murder or members of a small, insular religious group. Authorities said that those people, who ranged in age from 19 to 65, were with Elizabeth before her death but did not seek help as her condition deteriorated. The 12 people as well as Elizabeth's parents were present during the course of the six days that she was sick, Detective Acting Superintendent Gary Watts of the Queensland Police said on Wednesday. They actively took part in that engagement and they did not provide any medical assistance that the child required over those six days. The police said they believe Elizabeth died young seven at her family's home, but emergency medical workers were not contacted until the afternoon of the following day. Footage released by the police showed officers raiding a house in two womb early Tuesday and arresting 12 people inside. Elizabeth's sister Jade Struz, 24, has spoken out against her parents' religious group. The oldest of eight children, Ms. Struz said she left home to distance herself from her parents and the group at age 16 when she realized she was a lesbian. The group did not celebrate Christmas, believed members' sole purpose was to serve God and did not accept medical intervention, she said. No outside help, no medicines, no Panadol, no doctors, dentists, anything, she said in an interview. It was all God will heal she added that the group said they had no name and just declared themselves to be the people of God or Jesus. She described her sister as a really bright little eight-year-old who loved pranks, and said she was diabetic and required insulin. The police have not specified the untreated medical condition that led to Elizabeth's death. Members of her extended family were shattered and heartbroken when they learned of the death. Ms. Struz wrote in a GoFundMe she started after Elizabeth's death to raise money to support her other siblings. We have faced the brutal reality that the people who should have protected her did not, and we may never know the full extent of what took place, she wrote. Charging 14 people with murder over the death of a single child was highly unusual, Superintendent Watts, the detective, said. I certainly haven't seen it in my almost 40 years of policing. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T. Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from HTTPS colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 06 slash world slash Australia slash Elizabeth dash stress charges HTML previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index log in today's paper opinion it's time to stop living the American scam HTTPS colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 07 slash opinion slash work
Busy Trap Millennials HTML Give this article 2099 advertisement Continue reading the main story Opinion supported by Continue reading the main story Guest essay It's time to stop living the American scam The 7th of July, 2022 Credit, Sebastian Koenig Give this article 2099 by Tim Crider Mr. Crider is the author of, most recently, the essay collection I wrote this book because I love you Ten years ago, I wrote an essay called The Busy Trap about the curse of busyness that seemed endemic at the time, the treadmill had been imperceptibly increasing its speed for a while, and people were nervously starting to notice, as happens with a lot of unavoidable evils, they tried to rebrand a frantic busyness as a virtue. Busy, so busy, crazy busy, was the answer you got whenever you asked how they were. I came out, in my essay, as anti-busy, I advocated idling, daydreaming, hanging out and goofing off. My conclusion, life is too short to be busy, I guess a lot of other people had been thinking the same thing. For a few days, that essay was the thing everyone linked to, reposted and emailed. Other writers got paid to write responses to it. Someone even debunked it, as though it were a fake Bigfoot film. Entrepreneurial self-help gurus cited it and invited me to conferences. The Colbert Report even called, but I was unreachable in the Idaho panhandle at my friend Carolyn's anniversary party, for which my agent has never really forgiven me. Meg, I am sorry, Carolyn, I blame you, Mr. Colbert, I am still available. A decade later, people aren't trying to sell business as a virtue anymore, not even to themselves. A new generation has grown to adulthood that's never known capitalism as a functioning economic system. My generation, X, was the first post-war cohort to be downwardly mobile, but millennials were the first to know it going in. Our country's oligarchs forgot to maintain the crucial Horatio Alger fiction that anyone can get ahead with hard work or maybe they just dropped it, figuring we no longer had any choice. Through the internet, we could peer enviously at our neighbors in civilized countries, who get month-long vacations, don't have to devote decades to paying for their college degrees, and aren't terrified of going broke if they get sick. To young people, America seems less like a country than an inescapable web of scams, and hard work less like a virtue than a propaganda slogan. In Amos Just Say No, the pandemic was the bomb cyclone of our discontents. It not only gave all us non-essential workers an experience of mandatory sloth which, for many, turned out to be not altogether unpleasant, but also dredged up a lake full of long-submerged truths. It turns out that millions of people never actually needed to waste days of their lives sitting in traffic or pantomime work under managerial scrutiny eight hours a day. We learned that nurses, cashiers, truckers and delivery people, who've always been too busy to brag about it actually ran the world and the rest of us were mostly useless supernumeraries. The brutal hierarchies of work shifted, for the first time in recent memory, in favor of labor, and the outraged winds of former social Darwinists were a pleasure to savor. Of course, everyone is still busy worse than busy, exhausted, too wiped at the end of the day to do more than stress eat, binge watch and doom scroll but no one's calling it anything other than what it is anymore, an endless, frantic hamster wheel for survival. You've seen all the headlines about the great resignation Gen Z and millennials would rather be unemployed than unhappy in a job, Business Insider reported, nervously. Even the youth of China are embracing the virtues of sloth, with the lying flat and sang movements. On YouTube, the faux guru self-help sing exhorts, do nothing, millions are now pursuing what a punk guitarist I know called the C-minus lifestyle, and it's no longer just a subcultural rumble. Companies in Britain are now experimenting with a full-day work week. I think people are innovated not just by the Sisyphean pointlessness of their individual labors but also by the fact that they are working in and for a society in which, increasingly, they have zero faith or investment. The future their elders are preparing to bequeath to them is one that reflects the fondest hopes of the same ignorant bigots a lot of them fled their hometowns to escape. American conservatism, which is demographically terminal and knows it, is acting like a moribund billionaire adding sadistic codicils to his will. More young people are opting not to have kids not only because they can't afford them but also because they assume they'll have only a scorched or sodden wasteland to grow up in. 
An increasingly popular retirement plan is figuring civilization will collapse before you have to worry about it. I'm not sure anyone's composed a more eloquent epitaph for the planet than the stand-up comedian Kath Barbadoro, who tweeted, It's pretty funny that the world is ending we all just have to keep going to our little jobs lol. Mid-century science fiction writers assumed that the increased productivity brought on by mechanization would give workers an oppressive amount of leisure time, that our greatest threats would be boredom and ennui. But these authors' prodigious imaginations were hobbled by their humanity and rationality, they'd forgotten that the world is ordered not by reason or decency but by rapacious avarice. In the actual dystopian future we now inhabit, the oligarchs have realized they can work everyone harder, pay them less, eliminate benefits, turn every human institution from medicine to corrections into a racket, charge far more for basic rights and services than people in any other nation would stand for without revolting, and get rich beyond the penny ante dreams of a Carnegie or Astor. In the past few decades, capitalism has exponentially increased the creation of wealth for the already incredibly wealthy at the negligible expense of the well-being, dignity and happiness of most of humanity plus the nominal cost of a mass extinction and the destruction of the biosphere, like cutting out the inefficient business of digestion and metabolism by pouring a fine bottle of wind directly into the toilet, thereby eliminating the middleman of you. Everyone knows how productive you can be when you're avoiding something. We are currently experiencing the civilization equivalent of that anxiety you feel when you have something due the next day that you haven't even started thinking about and yet still use it there. Helplessly watching whole seasons of mediocre TV or compulsively clicking through quintillions of memes even as your brain screams at you. The same way we scream at our politicians about guns and abortion and climate change, to do something. I once watched in awe my girlfriend, who'd been lying inert on the couch, hypnotized with dread of whatever she had to do next, roused herself by intoning, one, two, three and on three, immediately got up and swung into action. I have a shameful confession to make, secretly, I am not lazy. I've learned that if I do literally nothing for more than a year, two at most, I start to get depressed. I'm not recanting my old manifesto. I still hope to make it to my grave without ever getting a job job, showing up for eight or more hours a day to a place with fluorescent lighting where I'm expected to feign bush a devotion to a company that could fire me tomorrow and someone's allowed to yell at you but you're not allowed to yell back. But once I become genuinely engaged in the project, I can become fanatically absorbed, spending hundreds of hours on it, no matter how useless and unremunerative. As a teacher, I edit my students' writing with a nitpicking precision and big-picture ambition they may likely never experience again. And I don't believe most people are lazy. They would love to be fully, deeply engaged in something worthwhile, something that actually mattered, instead of forfeiting their limited hours on earth to make a little more money for men they'd rather throw fruit at as they pass by in tumbrils. It's no coincidence that so many social movements arose during the enforced idleness of quarantine. One important function of jobs is to keep you too preoccupied and tired to do anything else. Grade school teachers called it busy work pointless, time-wasting tasks to keep you from acting up and bothering them. Enough with the busy work already, we've been productive enough, produced way too much, in fact, and there is too much that urgently needs to be done, a republic to salvage, a civilization to reimagine and its infrastructure to reinvent, innumerable species to save, a world to restore and millions who are impoverished, imprisoned, illiterate, sick or starving, all while we waste our time at work, okay, one, two. 3. Tim Crider is a cartoonist and the author of two essay collections, We Learn Nothing and, most recently, I wrote this book because I love you, he writes the newsletter The Loaf. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times opinion section on Facebook, Twitter, 
at nwhiteopinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nightimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 07 slash opinion slash work dash busy dash trap millennials html previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index asian pacific login today's paper asian pacific shins oabe japan's longest serving prime minister dies at 67 https www.nightimes.com 2022-07-08 world asia shins oabe dead html give this article 159 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story shins oabe japan's longest serving prime minister dies at 67 Mr. Abe was shot on Friday during a campaign event. Before he left office in 2020, he helped pull his country out of economic malaise but fell short of his most cherished goal, to normalize Japan's military after decades of post-war pacifism. Give this article 159 credit, Aaron Schaff the New York Times by Matoko Rich published the 8th of July, 2022 updated the 11th of July, 2022 Lirin Espinel Oabe, the longest-serving Japanese Prime Minister, who made it his political mission to vanquish his country's wartime ghosts but fell short of his ultimate goal of restoring Japan as a normalized military power, was assassinated on Friday in the city of Nara, Japan. He was 67. His death, from injuries sustained in a shooting during a speech at a campaign event, was confirmed by Dr. Hidetada Fukushima, professor in charge of emergency medicine at Nara Medical University Hospital. Mr. Ed, the scion of a staunchly nationalist family of politicians that included a grandfather who was accused of war crimes before becoming prime minister, made history by leading Japan for nearly eight consecutive years, beginning in 2012. It was a remarkable feat of longevity not only because of Japan's record of rapid turnover in prime ministers, but also because Mr. Abe himself had lasted just a year in an earlier, ill-fated stint as the country's leader. His long run in office, however, delivered only partial victories on his two primary ambitions, to unfetter Japan's military after decades of post-war pacifism and to jumpstart and overhaul its economy through a program known as Abenomics. And in August 2020, just four days after he had set the record for the longest uninterrupted run as Japanese leader, Mr. Abe resigned as Prime Minister because of ill health, a year before his term was set to end. One of his most significant moves as Prime Minister came in 2015, when he pushed through legislation that authorized overseas combat missions along allied troops in the name of collective self-defense after huge public protests and a contentious battle with opposition politicians. Image credit, Toru Hanai Reuters but he failed in his long-held dream of revising the war-renouncing clause of Japan's constitution, which was put in place by American occupiers after World War II. Mr. Ed, in the end, proved unable to sway a Japanese public unwilling to risk a repeat of the horrors of that war. Under his economic program, Mr. Abe imposed a form of shock therapy that involved cheap cash, government spending on stimulus projects that expanded the country's debt and attempts at corporate deregulation. The combination delivered results in the early years of his term, lifting the economy out of an unrelenting malaise and raising Mr. Abe's international profile. A key factor in Mr. Abe's economic platform was an effort to empower women, as he argued that increasing their participation in the workforce would help counterbalance a declining and aging population. Population. But some of the early promises of his womanomics agenda, such as drastically raising the proportion of women in management and in government did not come to fruition. On the international stage, Mr. A was one of the few world leaders to maintain a consistently close relationship with President Donald J. Trump.
He hosted two visits by the American leader, including one in which Mr. Trump met the newly enthroned Emperor, Naruhito. Mr. Abe also hosted President Barack Obama when he became the first American president to visit Hiroshima, the site of one of the two atomic bombings by the United States at the end of World War II. Image credit, Doug Mills The New York Times and after years of a chilly relationship with China, Mr. Abe tried to usher in a warmer era, making the first visit to Beijing by a Japanese prime minister in seven years when he met with President Xi Jinping in 2018. After the Trump administration pulled out of a multinational trade agreement among the United States and 11 other countries around the Pacific Rim, Mr. Ed kept the remaining countries in a coalition that enacted the pact in 2018 without the United States. He met dozens of times with the Russian president, Vladimir V. Putin, in the hopes of negotiating a settlement over four contested islands north of Japan that were seized by the Soviet Union at the end of the war. Mr. Abe's father had long tried, and failed, to resolve the territorial dispute, and the son was unable to resolve it, too. As a result, the countries have yet to sign a peace treaty to officially end the war between them. History is harsh while Mr. Abe worked to cultivate diplomatic and trade relations around the world. He never lost sight of his nationalist agenda at home. A year after taking office in 2012, Mr. Abe visited Yasukuni Shrine, which honors Japan's war dead, including war criminals from the World War II era. Although he largely avoided further visits, he resisted calls for Japan to more fully apologize for its wartime atrocities, a sore point with its neighbors South Korea and China. Under his watch, Japan's relations with South Korea fell to one of the lowest points since Japan's colonial occupation of the peninsula, with the two countries arguing over how Japan should atone for its history. Image credit, Shizu Okambayashi Associated Press When Mr. Abe gave the first speech by Japanese Prime Minister to the U.S. Congress in 2015, he acknowledged the weight of the past but avoided a direct personal apology for Japan's role in the war. History is harsh. What is done cannot be undone, he said. Our actions brought suffering to the peoples in Asian countries. We must not avert our eyes from that. On what was the 70th anniversary of the end of the war, he reiterated his support for past official statements of remorse, but also seemed to suggest that Japan had done enough. We must not let our children, grandchildren and even further generations to come, who have nothing to do with that war, be predestined to apologize, he said. Shinzo Abe was born on the 21st of September, 1954, in Tokyo to Shintaro and Yoko Abe. His mother was the daughter of Nobusukishi, who had been accused of war crimes by the occupying Americans, but who was ultimately released from prison without appearing before the Allied War Crimes Tribunal. He served as Prime Minister from 1957 to 1960 and ardently opposed the constitution that his grandson, half a century later, would try to revise. Mr. Abe's father also went into politics, serving as foreign minister and as an influential leader in the Liberal Democratic Party, which has governed Japan for all but four years since the end of the war. Image credit, the Asahi Shimbun Vigeti images there was perhaps little question that Mr. Abe would eventually follow his father and grandfather into politics. He studied political science at Sika University in Tokyo and spent a year at the University of Southern California, also studying political science. After a brief stint at Kobe Steel, Mr. Abe began his political career in 1982, serving as executive assistant to his father, who was then foreign minister. He married Aki Matsuzuki, a daughter of a former president of Mariniga, one of Japan's largest confectionery companies, in 1987. The couple never had children. The Japanese news media, and Mrs. Abe herself occasionally described her as Mr. Abe's at-home opposition party, because she opposed nuclear power, which he supported, and expressed more progressive views than the Prime Minister on issues like gay rights. After his father died in 1991, Mr. Abe was elected to his parliamentary seat from Yamahuchi Prefecture in southwestern Japan in 1993. Image credit, the Asahi Shimbun Vigeti images his first big break came in 2000, 
when he was appointed to serve as Deputy Chief Secretary of the Liberal Democratic Party. In that role, Mr. Abe accompanied Junichiro Koizumi, a popular maverick prime minister, to Pyongyang in 2002 to meet with the North Korean leader at the time, Kim Jong-il, to negotiate the release of Japanese citizens said to have been abducted by North Korean agents. The North released five abductees, and the politicians brought them back to Japan. For Mr. Abe, championing the cause of the abducted citizens and their families remained a preoccupation for the rest of his life, and contributed to his hawkish views on North Korea. During his tenure, he encouraged a discussion about whether Japan should acquire the ability to fire weapons that could strike missile launching sites in enemy territory if an attack appeared imminent, a debate clearly tied to a rising nuclear threat from the North. Rise and quick fall Mr. Abe's first rise to Japan's top job came in 2006, when he was elected leader of the Liberal Democrats and became the first Japanese prime minister born after the end of the war. From the start, he emphasized his desire to revise the pacifist constitution and nudge Japan towards some level of independence from the United States, which provided Japan with security in exchange for renouncing a full-fledged military and allowing American troops to be based around the country. Image credit, Koichi Kamoshida getting images by entrusting our national security to another country and putting a priority on economic development, we were indeed able to make great material gains, Mr. Abe wrote of the post-war era in his campaign book toward a beautiful country, but what we lost spiritually, that was also great, in seeking to revise the constitution, Mr. Abe angered China and South Korea, two victims of Japan's 20th century militarism. He also denied that the Japanese military had forced Asian women, primarily Koreans and Chinese, into sexual slavery during World War II, and he moved to alter school textbooks to present what critics called a whitewashed version of Japan's wartime history. But within a year, Mr. Abe stumbled, plagued by scandals in his cabinet, and he was written off by the political establishment and news media, citing ill health from ulcerative colitis, a bowel disease. He abruptly resigned in September 2007, throwing the party into disarray. His resignation was the beginning of a steep slide for the Liberal Democrats, culminating in the party's loss of parliament in 2009 to the opposition Democratic Party. It was only the second time since the Liberal Democrats were formed in 1955 that they had been out of power. Image credit, pool photo by Shizu Okambayashi the opposition's time in charge was marred by gaffes, and the administration ultimately collapsed as the public grew furious at its response to the Fukushima nuclear disaster after the 2011 earthquake and tsunami. By 2012, voters had returned the conservative Liberal Democrats to power, with Mr. Abe once more at the helm. He seemed to have learned some lessons from his first term in office. He focused at first on lifting the moribund economy and reversing years of deflation, pulling Japan out of the so-called lost decades that followed the bursting of a huge property bubble in the 1980s. In targeting the economy in his second administration, we saw he became much more pragmatic and flexible, said Yuchi Hosoya, a political scientist at Keio University in Tokyo and a sometime foreign policy advisor to Mr. Abe. Nevertheless, he held on to his ambition of returning Japan to a stronger military footing. In 2015, Mr. Abe pushed through a package of security bills that would allow Japan's self-defense forces to team up with allied troops to fight combat missions abroad. He also formed a National Security Council and helped increase Japan's defense budget. Image credit, Eugene Hashiko Associated Press in 2016, his party won a landslide victory in national elections, aided in part by political inertia and a public that did not trust the opposition to govern. But it also demonstrated Mr. Abe's considerable political skill in controlling his party and the bureaucracy in a country where few prime ministers have managed to keep their jobs for long. To create stable economic growth and play an important political role on the international stage, a Japanese political leader needs to stay in power for a certain amount of time, Mr. Hosoya said. In the 2016 election, voters gave the Liberal Democrats and their allies more than two-thirds of the seats in parliament, a supermajority that, in theory, could have given Mr. Abe the votes he needed to revise the Constitution. Image credit, El Drago The New York Times after Mr. Trump's election victory, 
Mr. Abe shrewdly carried favor with him, rushing to New York to be the first world leader to meet with him after his triumph, and developing a close relationship through golf games, multiple phone calls and personal meetings. The flattery helped forestall what many in Japan had feared would be swift demands for damaging trade deals or higher payments by Japan for hosting close to 55,000 American troops on bases across the country. A tarnished tenure Mr. Abe led his party to two more commanding victories in national elections, but lost the supermajority in 2019 and was never able to push through a revision of the Constitution. A string of influence peddling scandals tarnished his standing, and disappointment over his tepid progress on women's equality, the country's perilously low birth rate, a series of natural disasters and, later, disapproval of his handling of the coronavirus pandemic and an associated economic downturn distracted from his nationalist agenda. Image credit, Cole caught Getty images by the yardsticks that he inherited and went into politics wanting to do, his tenure was a failure, said Tobias Harris, an expert on Japanese politics at the Center for American Progress in Washington and the author of the iconoclast, Shinzo Abe and the New Japan, he didn't revise the constitution, and there are still a number of restrictions on the use of force, he added. The notion that Japanese people have more national pride or have come around to his view of history, I don't think that's the case. These questions that have been around for decades remain as contentious as always, so I don't think you could say he won hearts and minds over to his ideas, so in that sense, Mr. Harris said, he did not succeed in the kind of transformation that he wanted to achieve, but even after he stepped down as Prime Minister, Mr. Ed continued to wield considerable influence from behind the scenes. His hand-picked successor Yoshihide Sugar, Mr. Abe's chief cabinet secretary, succeeded him when he resigned. When Mr. Sugar was forced from office, Mr. Abe supported Sani Takechi, 60, a hardline conservative, to be Japan's first female prime minister. When she did not gain enough votes in a first round of party voting, Mr. Abe supported the eventual victor, Fumio Kishida, a moderate establishment pick, in order to prevent one of his chief rivals, Taro Kono, a former foreign and defense minister, from winning. He could still draw enormous attention by floating controversial ideas, such as a proposal that Japan host American nuclear weapons, and as the Liberal Democrats campaigned for an upcoming upper house election, Mr. Abe's long-cherished hope to revise the constitution remained a key plank in their platform. Mr. Abe is survived by his wife, Aki Abe, his mother, Yoko Abe, and his brothers, Nobu Okishi, Japan's defense minister, and Hironobu Abe, who retired in March as the chief executive of Mitsubishi Corporation Packaging. In a speech in August 2020 to mark the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II, Mr. Abe focused almost exclusively on the Japanese victims of the war, either on the battlefields of Asia, in air raids on cities across the country or in the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. He made no references to learning the lessons of history. The Kiko no A and Hisako Aino contributed research. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 08 slash world slash asia slash shinzo dash abe dead html previous article sections next previous article sections next img soc equals images img1 u1 svg comma share explore img soc equals images img2 u3 jpg comma img soc equals images img3 svg comma home brews hr resources for startups in 2022 50 plus hr resources to attract and retain the world's best talent as a startup hg homebrew guides homebrew is a vc fund run by sachi patel hunter walk beth she and chero jolie that's invested in startups with the likes of chime plaid 
gusto and has helped hundreds of other world-class teams build out their HR beer mug from the homebrew team. We believe that building a great team and culture starts with your first hire. We are here to help founders recruit a world-class team and establish culture. Our overall goal is to teach versus do. Our guides on talent and HR topics are essential to building and retaining great teams. We've open-sourced our guides because we want to help founders without a supportive ecosystem in addition to providing resources for our own founders. If you'd like to give feedback or if there is a topic you'd like to see back hand index finger. Pointing right contact homebrew there are more resources linked inside each topic below fishing pole and fish hiring handshake employee management. Red textbook employee policies want $1,000 in free code a credit for your startup. Select homebrew under program involvement backhand index finger pointing right get credits beer mug from the homebrew team fishing pole and fish hiring handshake employee management red textbook employee policies want $1,000 in free code a credit for your startup. Want to print your doc? This is not the way. Try clicking the next to your doc name or using a keyboard shortcut, CTRLP, instead. This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash coda.io slash at homebrew slash hr-4 startups previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index technology log in today's paper technology Elon Musk moves to end $44 billion deal to buy Twitter HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-08 technology Elon Musk Twitter HTML give this article 1206 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story Elon Musk moves to end $44 billion deal to buy Twitter in a regulatory filing on Friday. Mr. Musk said Twitter was in material breach of the acquisition agreement. Give this article 1206 credit. Susan Walsh Associated Press by Kate Conger and Lauren Hirsch the 8th of July. 2022 San Francisco, less than three months ago, Elon Musk, the world's richest man, struck a blockbuster for a $4 billion deal to buy Twitter. He proclaimed that the company had tremendous potential. Since then, Mr. Musk has changed his tune. He sniped at Twitter's top executives. He unleashed tweets taunting the company's board. He complained that the social media service had too many spam accounts and that he could not get insight into the issue. He tweeted a poop emoji to express his displeasure. And on Friday, Mr. Musk tried to back out of the acquisition altogether. In a regulatory filing prepared by his lawyers, Mr. Musk said he was terminating the Twitter deal because of a continuing disagreement over the number of spam accounts on the platform. He claimed that Twitter had not provided information necessary to calculate the number of those accounts, which the company has said is lower than 5% and that it had appeared to make inaccurate statements. Twitter is in material breach of multiple provisions of the deal agreement, Mr. Musk's lawyer said in the filing and the company appears to have made false and misleading representations, Mr. Musk's move sets up what is likely to be an ugly and protracted legal battle with Twitter. The billionaire signed a legally binding agreement in April to buy the company for $54.20 a share, waiving due diligence to get the deal done quickly. The terms included a $1 billion breakup fee if the agreement fell apart and a clause that gives Twitter the right to sue Mr. Musk and force him to complete or pay for the deal, so long as the debt financing he has corralled remains intact. For Twitter, completing a sale to Mr. Musk is paramount. The company has struggled for years to grow, and its financial performance has been inconsistent. No other potential buy has emerged as a white knight, its advertising business is under pressure, and it recently slowed hiring and laid off some employees. Since April, Twitter's shares have plummeted more than 20%, far below what Mr. Musk offered to buy it. To accept less than the originally negotiated price could expose Twitter to shareholder lawsuits.
and in a sign of how the company's investors were banking on the deal, its shares fell 5% in after-hours trading on Friday after Mr. Musk revealed his desire to end the deal. Anne Lipton, a professor of corporate governance at Tulane Law School, said Mr. Musk's disagreement with Twitter over spam accounts might not constitute a material breach of the deal, meaning it is a legally tenuous argument. False representations about such accounts are in and of themselves not grounds to walk away, she said. They are only grounds to walk away if they are so overwhelmingly bad that it really just fundamentally jeopardizes the economics of the deal. That's a company material adverse effect, yet even if Mr. Musk is forced to go ahead with the deal, sending such a letter may give him a foothold for cutting the price. His action coincides with a widespread slide in the value of tech stocks, including Tesla, the electric car maker he runs and the main source of his wealth. What happened to Elon Musk's Twitter deal card 1 of 7? What happened to Elon Musk's Twitter deal a blockbuster deal? In April, Elon Musk made an unsolicited bid worth more than $40 billion for the social network, saying he wanted to make Twitter a private company and allow people to speak more freely on the service. Buyers have frequently used the threat of walking away to renegotiate a deal. At the height of the pandemic, LVMH Moe Tennessee Louis Vuitton sued to back out of its acquisition of Tiffany & Company. The two parties later shaved about $420 million off the price. Mr. Musk, 51, didn't immediately return request for comment. In a tweet, Brett Taylor, Twitter's chairman, said the company was intent on seeing the deal through. He alluded to how the matter would end up in court, saying he was confident we will prevail in the Delaware Court of Chancery. Many corporate cases are heard in Delaware, where Twitter is registered. The company would almost certainly seek an expedited case, given the size of the deal. Citing a material adverse effect to end an acquisition has succeeded only once in Delaware Court, Ms. Lipton said. That deal was a $3.7 billion acquisition of Acorn, a pharmaceutical company, by the healthcare company Fresenius Cabby in 2017, she said. What we consider before using anonymous sources. How do the sources know the information? What's their motivation for telling us? Have they proved reliable in the past? Can we corroborate the information? Even with these questions satisfied, the Times uses anonymous sources as a last resort. The reporter and at least one editor know the identity of the source. Learn more about our process. Twitter has an obligation to fight Musk on this, which they'd need to do because they have a fiduciary duty to do what's best for shareholders and salvage the deal, said Adam Sterling, executive director of the Barclays Center for Law and Business. I imagine this will go to court and eventually end in some sort of settlement that allows both sides to save face. Mr. Musk, who is famously mercurial, has long winged it in the biggest moments with his businesses, which also include the rocket company SpaceX. When he agreed to buy Twitter, he had no plan for the company. People with knowledge of the situation said at the time, the billionaire was simply enamored with the platform, where he has more than 100 million followers and which he used heavily, they said. Owning Twitter is tricky because the platform faces regulatory scrutiny and is embroiled in a debate over free speech online. Its business has also faced difficulties, especially in a competitive market for digital advertising. After Mr. Musk struck the acquisition agreement, Twitter reported 16% growth in revenue for the first quarter, below the 20% it had predicted. Within weeks, Mr. Musk tweeted that the deal was on hold, saying he wanted more details about the volume of spam and fake accounts. At one point, he said striking a deal for Twitter at a lower price was not out of the question. He also responded to tweets from Peregadre Wall, Twitter's chief executive, who posted details of how the company detects and fights spam. With a poop emoji, behind the scenes, Twitter continued giving Mr. Musk and his team access to information about its platform. People with knowledge of the situation have said, last month, the company agreed to allow Mr. Musk direct access to its firehose, the daily stream of millions of tweets that flow through the company's network. Twitter, which has said roughly 5% of its accounts are spammed since it went public in 2013, has also said the number is an estimate. Even so, the number of fake accounts remained a concern for Mr. Musk. Four years before proposing the acquisition, he complained about spam on Twitter and said the company should do more to authenticate its users. In 2020, 
He appeared at a Twitter employee event and said the company should do more to prevent spam. Last month, in a six-paragraph letter, Mr. Musk's lawyers demanded more information from Twitter about its methods for counting fake accounts and claimed the firm was actively resisting and thwarting his rights. The company was refusing Mr. Musk's data requests to disclose the number of fake accounts on its platform, they said. That amounted to a clear material breach of the deal, the lawyers continued, saying it gave Mr. Musk the right to break off the agreement. Twitter said on Thursday that it had heightened efforts to detect and block spam after Russia used fake accounts to influence the 2016 U.S. presidential election. The company has added new requirements to its sign-up process and said it used human auditors to vet its tally of spam accounts. It also said it removed 1 million spam accounts each day and locked millions more per week until the operators of the accounts passed anti-spam tests. Inside Twitter, Sean Edgett, the general counsel, sent a memo on Friday afternoon to employees effectively telling them to keep quiet about the latest twist in the deal with Mr. Musk. Given this is an ongoing legal matter, you should refrain from tweeting, slacking or sharing any commentary about the merger agreement, he wrote in the memo, which was obtained by the New York Times. Ryan Mack and Mike Isaac contributed reporting. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 08 slash technology slash ellen dash mask twitter html previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion why mass shooters do the evil they do https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 Slash 07, slash 07, slash opinion, slash mass dash shooters. Motive HTML give this article 2221 advertisement. Continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story. David Brooks why mass shooters do the evil they do the 7th of July. 2022 credit, Anki Hogland Getty Images give this article 2221 by David Brooks opinion columnist Lear N. Espinel I will never get over the fact that our society seems to produce a steady stream of young men who think it is heroic to murder innocent people. I read their histories, I look at the social science research, I've tried to understand the typical pathway they take to get to their evil behavior. The common thing to say about mass shooters is that they have mental health issues, but that's often misleading. This has been studied in a variety of ways. A majority of mass shooters are not suffering from a diagnosed mental illness. It's mostly the circumstances that drive them to do what they do, not an underlying disease. The more accurate place to start is with something George Bernard Shaw wrote many years ago, the worst sin towards our fellow creatures is not to hate them, but to be indifferent to them. That's the essence of inhumanity, these young men are frequently ghosts. They often experience early childhood trauma, like abuse or extreme bullying. In school no one knows them. Boys and girls turn their backs on them. Later, when journalists interview their teachers or neighbors, they are remembered as withdrawn and remote. These young men often have no social skills. Why doesn't anybody like me? As one researcher put it, they are not necessarily loners, they are failed joiners. They hardening to their solitude. As one acquaintance of a mass shooter told GQ magazine, he was quiet, uncomfortably quiet, strangely quiet. I mean really strange, humans only realize how much they crave the recognition of the world when that recognition is withheld, and when it is, they crawl inward. The stresses build up. Bad at school, bad at work, 
humiliating encounters with others, it feels shameful to be so unworthy of human attention, we see ourselves as others see us, and when no one sees us, our sense of self disintegrates, they are ill-equipped to deal with their pain, many contemplate suicide, this is a key point, mass murder is often a form of suicide and can be treated as akin to suicide, in their despair many seem to have what almost amounts to an identity crisis, is it my fault or is it the world's fault, am I a loser or are they losers, and here's where victimhood turns into villainy, the ones who become mass shooters decide they are Superman, and it is the world that is full of ants, they decide to commit suicide in a way that will selfishly give them what they crave most, to be known, to be recognized, to be famous, they craft a narrative in which they are the hero, the world is evil, and they will stand up to the world, or the world is in catastrophic danger, the blacks Jews women are destroying us, and they will strike back, these intranet fuel narratives have an arousing power, they make them feel righteous, strong and significant, people whose lives are dissolving into chaos will grasp any black and white story that provides order and purpose, of course, the narratives are all malicious lunacy, loneliness obfuscates, Giovanni Frazetto wrote in his book Together, Closer, it becomes a deceiving filter through which we see ourselves, others, and the world, the guns seem to have some sort of psychological effect, too. For people who have felt impotent all their lives, the guns seem to provide an almost narcotic sense of power. Perhaps it is the pleasure they feel posing with their guns that pushes some of them over the edge. The guns are like serpents in the trees, whispering to them. By this point their image of ideal human relationships is diseased. It is not friend-friend, it is star-fan. The only form of human companionship they can envision is themselves broadcast on a screen and the faceless crowds watching and reposting. They begin plotting their rampage. It is a theatrical performance. They want it to be as public and spectacular as possible. Many are not secretive about this. They tell people. They post videos. They count themselves members of the brotherhood of killers and wallow in delusions of grandeur. But even at the last minute, especially among the younger ones, there's often a last-minute cry for help. They want somebody to tell them, you don't have to do this. The most affecting article I read while researching this column was written by Tom Junod in Esquire in 2014. He interviewed a young man who prosecutors said set out to commit a mass shooting but was caught before he was able to get started. The man pleaded guilty to carjacking and served time for it. When he got out of prison, he looked at his old high school yearbook and was shocked. Fellow students had signed it, offering to get together over the summer. People were reaching out, but he had been too self-involved to see. On the day he set out armed with guns, ammunition and machete, he didn't want to do it. It was like some painful duty. He told you nod, I wanted attention. If someone would have come up to me and said, you don't have to do this, you don't have to have this strange strength, we accept you, I would have broken down and given up. These things are evil but not inevitable. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at, nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times opinion section on Facebook. Twitter, at N White Opinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International Health subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 07 slash opinion slash mass dash shooters motor HTML previous articles sections next previous articles sections next skip to main content congress minutes pro e and e news search magazine the Friday read this is disgusting an insider's account on the fall of Cuomo kissing montages.
Chris Cuomo's interventions and the futile effort to save Bad Andrew from himself, he'd led us down a path of defending him against claims of sexual harassment without giving us the full truth. We felt betrayed and misled, Lee Smith says in her upcoming book, Any Given Tuesday. Victor J. Blue, The New York Times, Lee Smith, the 7th of August 2022, 4.30 a.m. EDT link copied. Lee Smith is the author of the forthcoming book, Any Given Tuesday. Governor, stop. It's over, the voice broke through on the conference call line. Six months earlier, it would have been inconceivable that anyone, let alone a mere political consultant, would cut off the most high-profile, fearsome, and feared state chief executive in the country. It was Andrew Cuomo who was talking, after all. He was 11 years into his reign at the top of the Empire State, and just one year removed from becoming a national phenomenon for his masterful, made-for-TV COVID briefings, which offered comfort to people amidst the isolation, confusion and trauma of a global pandemic. But on the 3rd of August, 2021 whether he was willing to accept it or not, he was a dead man walking. That morning, the Attorney General of New York released a bombshell report that concluded that he'd broken state law by sexually harassing women staffers in his administration. What's over Cuomo responded, this, all of this, this is over. There is no path forward for you, the advisor responded. It's over because I touched a woman on the back Cuomo shot back, his voice rising with a pitch tone of panic. The advisor, someone not prone to hyperbole or challenging the governor unnecessarily, didn't mince words. It was more than touching a woman on the back. Don't bullshit yourself or us. If I, a man, were accused of doing any of the things you were, I would be out of a job by now. Silence. So, you're telling me I don't fight back? I don't do a press conference. Why don't I just resign then silence? Liz, Cuomo started in his halting, Queen's inflected cadence, what do you think he was looking for a sympathetic voice, as he often did on calls? He had a knack for finding people who could agree with even his worst instincts. I paused before I answered, it had taken me 17 years and 20 campaigns to claw my way up the political ladder and go from a lowly field organizer to one of the top communications aides in the Democratic Party. Most recently, I'd served as a senior advisor on Pete Buttigieg's Against All Odds presidential campaign, where he'd defied conventional wisdom, won the Iowa caucuses and become one of the Democratic Party's biggest stars. My star had risen as well. Once Andrew Cuomo won a third term, Lee Smith, right, was off his campaign and off to the races planning Pete Buttigieg's campaign for President Craig F. Walker the Boston Globe via Getty Images I'd had an on, off professional relationship with Cuomo for the past three years, starting with his 2018 campaign, where I served as spokesperson and ran his debate prep. I reconnected with him at the beginning of COVID's onslaught on New York in March of 2020, when he'd call me for thoughts on his daily briefings. Now I was a part of his kitchen cabinet, the group of trusted, unofficial advisors, that he was relying on to help him weather the allegations of sexual harassment. While Cuomo was notoriously tough on staff, he engendered a remarkable amount of loyalty in the people around him. Yes, he could be irrational and impetuous at times, but he matched that with a deep interpersonal warmth showing up at weddings, barbat mitzvahs and funerals. He always took the time to call staffers dealing with loss and personal hardships. He'd also been a formidable governor the likes of which New York hadn't seen in decades. He'd managed to get the unruly state legislature under control and achieve some big things. IMG SOC equals images IMG 3U1JPG comma want to read more stories like this? Politico Weekend delivers gripping reads, smart analysis and a bit of high-minded fun every Friday. Sign up for the newsletter. The last several months had tested that loyalty, as it became increasingly clear that Cuomo wasn't being straight with any of us, myself included. He'd led us down a path of defending him against claims of sexual harassment without giving us the full truth. We felt betrayed and misled. Governor, I'd like to disagree, I told him, but I just don't see a way out of this, in the moment. I meant it as much for him as for me. You might be asking yourself why, a year to the day after Buttigieg's exit from the presidential race, I found myself on a call not with Prince Charming but with the Prince of Darkness, the political insiders nickname for Cuomo. 
Well, it was complicated. It started with a cold call from him in the spring of 2018. His right-hand woman, Melissa DeRosa, gave me a two-minute heads-up before the no-caller ID popped onto my iPhone screen. It was a Monday night, and I was inundated with work. I needed a call out of the blue from the governor of New York like I needed an invitation to a one-year-old's birthday party. Some backstory here, I'd worked in New York politics on and off since 2013, on races of every level, for elected officials and candidates like Bill de Blasio, Elliot Spitzer, Adriano Espalet and Eric Gonzalez, among others. Still, in all that time, there was one New York politician. I had never met, Andrew Cuomo. That night, Cuomo and I spent over an hour talking about politics and governance what they meant to each of us. We talked about our dads. His father, former Governor Mario Cuomo, had passed away a couple years earlier and mine was in increasingly poor health. As the conversation wound down, he asked, so, you're a yes I told him I was a maybe. I knew working for him was a risky proposition, but risk has always been sort of my thing. Within three weeks I was on his payroll. Not that he really needed me in that race. Even though media and political insiders took issue with Cuomo's raging bull persona and tactics, it was hard to argue with the results he'd yielded as governor. In two terms, he racked up a list of legislative accomplishments that included marriage equality, tough gun control laws, a $15 minimum wage, paid family leave and tuition-free college for working and middle-class New Yorkers. Once he won a third term, I was off his campaign and off to the races planning Pete's campaign for president. As Andrew Cuomo rode high as America's governor during the COVID-19 crisis, with his daily briefings broadcast live on national TV, he was floated as a replacement for Biden on the 2020 ticket and coronated as a front runner for the 2024 Democratic nomination Getty Images and AP Photo. We continued to keep in touch as he rode high as America's governor during the COVID-19 crisis. His daily briefings broadcast live on national TV. So, Lisbeth, he'd ask, using his preferred nickname for me, what do you think? How am I doing? He really asked questions that he didn't know the answer to, and the answer was evident from the fawning media coverage he was receiving, well, exceptionally well. The hype got out of control, as it so often does. The bougie, resistance-friendly lingual Franco brand sold $400 cashmere sweaters hand-stitched with sexual across the chest. He won an Emmy Award for his COVID-19 briefings. He was floated as a replacement for Joe Biden on the 2020 ticket, delusional, and coronated as a front-runner for the 2024 Democratic nomination, Fever Dream. He started to feel his oats. Just four months into the pandemic, he signed a multi-million dollar book deal with Random House to tout his leadership lessons during the pandemic. It was the height of hubris. It was as if the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons had walked off the field during the third quarter of the 2017 Super Bowl, satisfied enough with his team's 28-3 lead over the Patriots to write a book about lessons in winning the Lombardi Trophy. As everyone knows by now, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady overcame the biggest deficit in Super Bowl history to win that game 34-28. Just as the Patriots came roaring back, COVID would, too, with a second devastating wave that took the lives of 14,000 more New Yorkers, all while Cuomo was promoting his memoir. Cuomo's administration was accused of undercounting the number of New York State COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes, attributing some of them to hospitals instead Yuki Iwamura AP photo he also began to dig in his heels about decisions he'd made early on in the pandemic, specifically the policy of returning COVID-19 patients from hospitals to their nursing homes. New York was hardly alone in implementing that policy, which stipulated that the patients had to be medically stable and that the facilities had to be able to properly care for them. Other states like New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Michigan followed the same guidance. Whether the policy was medically sound or not, 
Cuomo allowed the controversy around it to snowball. His administration was accused of undercounting the number of New York State COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes, attributing some of them to hospitals instead. It was a serious charge and one that the Cuomo administration vigorously disputed, noting that they assigned deaths to where they occurred, not to where the deceased had contracted COVID. But they were slow to release the supporting data, which didn't help their cause. At best, it was interpreted as incompetence. At worst, it was seen as a cover-up. The crisis reached an idea at a January press briefing during which Cuomo was confronted about the undercount. Visibly bristling, he declared, Look, whether a person died in a hospital or died in a nursing home, the people died. Who cares who cares are two words that should never come out of a politician's mouth, especially when it has to do with people dying. America's governor was quickly turning into America's asshole, and like most assholes, he'd soon get a wake-up call. Except in his case, it was more like an air raid siren. On the 24th of February, 2021, a former administration employee accused him of sexual harassment. Within hours, the allegations were picked up far and wide in the media. And once again, I was getting roped in with a small group of outside advisors to help Cuomo navigate the crisis. The ask was innocuous just a few calls. The assumption was that this would be a one-day story. Famous last words. My decision to say yes was grounded in the fact that I believe Cuomo's denial of the allegations, which had seemingly come out of left field. He'd been a champion of the meter movement, and in those days, I'd never heard so much as a whisper about his personal conduct. Could he be flirtatious at times? Yes. Did he occasionally make jokes of a sexual nature with staffers, both male and female, at the workplace? Yes. Was he unusually into physicality as a modern-day politician? Also yes. He fashioned himself after leaders like LBJ, who was known for grabbing a lapel or 20 in his day. Three of the women who accused Governor Andrew Cuomo of sexual harassment, Lindsay Boylan, Left, Brittany Camisso, Center, and Charlotte Bennett, Write AP photo The easier answer, naturally, would have been no. But politics is filled with cut-and-run artists soulless social climbers who cling to elected officials when they are popular, then disappear the second they are not. I never wanted to be one of those people. I still struggle with the emotional scars of my own brush with scandal. My personal relationship with Elliot Spitzer cost me a city hall job with de Blasio. It's impossible to describe the isolation and hopelessness that consume you when you're in the eye of a PR shitstorm. I couldn't live with myself if I let anyone I knew well go through it alone. Obviously, my predicament was different. I wasn't accused of doing harm or wrong to anyone else. But in my eyes, at the time, there was little distinction. Faced with the first accusation of sexual harassment, Cuomo swore to the crowd advising him that nothing, nothing else would come out. It didn't take long for us to see that he wasn't being completely truthful. Just a few days later, a 25-year-old former executive assistant in the governor's office came forward with more accusations in the New York Times. She recounted how the governor had repeatedly inquired about her relationship status, talked about how he was lonely and tasked her with finding him a girlfriend, actions that she interpreted as sexual advances. Behind the scenes, Cuomo conceded that he had been stupid to engage in any personal conversations with a female staffer whom he barely knew. I should have said, this is fucking trouble still, he denied any militant. Like others on the team, I began to feel a sense of unease the allegations were at the very least creepy and they showed extremely poor judgment. Aides from his early days as attorney general and governor were especially dismayed. One told me, I'm in disbelief. He used to have a rule about never being alone with a woman in his office under any circumstances. Now he's having these sorts of conversations with a 25-year-old. What the hell is going on up there? We had been told there would be no additional allegations. But here was this one, above the fold on the front page of the New York Times. It didn't feel like we were getting the whole truth. And that was a big problem, not least because the number one rule of crisis communications, the most sacred rule of crisis communications, is that the person in crisis needs to be completely truthful with the people advising them. 
to give good advice, we had to know what other potential stories were out there. Fool me once, shame on you. When it was known that a current employee of the governor's office had hired a lawyer and was claiming that the governor had groped her at the executive mansion, and Cuomo wanted to go after her character head on, if I don't fight back, why don't I just resign Mark Peterson Redux pictures we swallowed our doubts and try to help Cuomo weather the storm. Politicians had survived worse allegations of sexual misconduct, most notably, Presidents Bill Clinton and Donald Trump. On the other hand, there was Senator Al Franken, who stepped down from office in 2017 after several women came forward and accused him of unwanted touching and kissing, accusations that Franken disputed. But Democrats, including some of Franken's colleagues who had called for his resignation, had regrets about how it all went down, questioning whether he'd received adequate due process. The complicated politics of the Me Too debate reached a fever pitch with the media circus around Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's Senate hearings, which Democrats like Senator Clay McCaskill of Missouri blamed in part for their losses in the 2018 midterms. The hearings spurred a backlash with voters who believed that Me Too was being unfairly weaponized for political ends. In our internal conversations, we talked about the lessons from the Franken and Kavanaugh controversies. However, the case study we looked to the most had nothing to do with sexual harassment or misconduct. It was the curious case of Governor Ralph Northam in Virginia. In February 2019, a right-wing blog published a photo from Northam's 1984 medical school yearbook, which they alleged showed Northam handling it up in blackface next to a classmate wearing a Ku Klux Klan costume. Northam's handling of the incident didn't inspire a ton of confidence. First, he apologized. Then he denied he was in the photo at all, even as he admitted that he'd once worn blackface in a Michael Jackson dance contest. He refused to leave office. But then a bizarre thing happened. Poll after poll showed that black voters, the constituents' political prognosticators were certain would be the most offended by the photo believed, by a large margin, that he should stay in office. And he did. A year later, his job approval rating soared to 60% among all voters. Lee Smith's Any Given Tuesday is available from Harper on the 19th of July, 2022. Harper the decision was made. Cuomo would northern it. He called for due process and authorized New York Attorney General's office to conduct an independent investigation into the sexual harassment allegations. He held a press conference to make his case directly to the people of New York, one that was carried live by local TV networks across the state and every national cable news network. We prepped for the press conference at the Albany Governor's Mansion. A group of ten of us hunkered down in the pool house behind the main house, feet away from the shallow hot tubs where Franklin Delano Roosevelt, as governor, had exercised his polio-stricken legs. Everyone was on edge and exhausted. There was one main exception, the governor. He showed up to the prep session as cocky, casual and self-assured as ever. He made small talk and cracked jokes. Outside of the seemingly never-ending stream of Nicorette that he popped into his mouth, jaw tensed, you'd never have known that he was under any sort of stress. I led the prep, looking him in the eyes as I peppered him with questions about his conduct. Have you ever acted inappropriately toward women in the workplace? No. Have you ever had inappropriate relationships with women on your staff? No. Do you think other women will come forward? No. Other advisors jumped in with questions and received the same forceful feedback. There's no way he would just lie to all of our faces, we concluded. What kind of person would do that? A week later we got word of new allegations, the most serious and shocking yet. The Times Union was working on a story about how a current employee of the governor's office had hired a lawyer and was claiming that the governor had groped her at the executive mansion. What? The? Fuck, that's the only way to explain the reaction among the advisors, especially the women. It started to feel like we were being manipulated used because of our gender to cover and lie for Cuomo. This is disgusting, right? I asked his former communications director, who was also advising him from afar. Did you see any of this? No, it's so disgusting, she told me. I don't even know what this is. Another advisor was even more direct in a call with me. He is dead. Dead, we just need to figure out how to land this plane. It was tempting to cut the cord right then and there, but instead we waited until we heard directly from Cuomo himself. Again, 
everything followed a similar rhythm. Within a couple of hours, Cuomo was on the phone with us vehemently denying the allegations. There was one key difference. I heard something I'd never heard in the governor's voice before fear, genuine fear. This is not true. It never happened, he told us. In real time, we could hear the most powerful person in the state of New York beginning to process that he was in real trouble. He wanted to come out guns a-blazing against the accusations. Bat Andrew's staff privately called him when he got into his darkest moods, was making a comeback. He wanted to accuse his accuser of having financial motivations. He wanted to expose her for hiring a notorious Albany area ambulance chaser. He wanted to go after her character head on, if I don't fight back, why don't I just resign? It took the force of everyone on the court to talk him off the ledge and convince him how disastrous it would be to go that route. We pleaded with him to show some humility and contrition. If Smith didn't wrap up a call with a resolution, Chris Cuomo would usually end it with, Andrew, pick up your phone, I'm calling you after we hang up. Chris would get his brother to agree to the direction laid out by the cooler heads around him. Dear the Pasupal Getty Images The person who finally got him to back off was an unlikely participant on our calls. His brother, the CNN anchor Chris Cuomo. Chris was oftentimes the last bulwark against his brother's worst instincts. While Chris could sometimes be a dick to staff and informal advisors, reminding us, I work in the media, you don't or I know this business, you don't. He was far from the goon he was portrayed to be in the media coverage that ultimately led to his firing. He could be more direct with Andrew than any of us could be. He leveled with him on calls, telling him in no uncertain terms that his behavior was inappropriate, that he needed to be more apologetic and that he could never, ever come across like he was attacking his accusers. If we didn't wrap up a call with a resolution, Chris would usually end it with, Andrew, pick up your phone, I'm calling you after we hang up, and he'd get his brother to agree to the direction laid out by the cooler heads around him. I didn't fully understand the dynamic between them. When I asked about it, one of Andrew's longtime advisors told me how he felt the governor had lost his way a bit after his father, Mario, had passed away. According to the advisor, Andrew had become less aware of how he treated other people, and Chris had supplanted Mario as a ballast for him in that regard. Whatever Chris said that day worked. Andrew ultimately backed down and delivered a significantly more muted rebuttal to the allegations, essentially denying them and asking New Yorkers to allow the outside investigation to conclude. It was one of the last calls we'd have as a group, no more allegations came out publicly, the UCH investigation had started to move quickly and, truthfully, most of us felt pretty burned by the whole situation. The accusations had gotten increasingly more troubling, none of us were okay with enabling anyone who could have done such things. People have asked me why I stuck around and continued to advise him, even after I started to have doubts about his conduct and the things he was telling us. It's not like I was totally blind to the fact that political figures could lie or let me down. I'd seen the worst of politics up close, but I'd also seen the best of it. There was never a day that I showed up to work for Pete or was on a call with him when I doubted his truthfulness or sincerity. Pete had redeemed my faith in the political process and reaffirmed why I'd chosen this line of work in the first place. I wanted to believe Cuomo. I had to, to me. The other option was unfathomable, that so much of what I'd done in politics, everything I'd done for Cuomo, was in vain. That I was just another sucker, another cog in a nihilistic machine. There was also the fog of war that came with being in the middle of a crisis of that magnitude. Every day, it felt like there was incoming that needed immediate response, allegations of misconduct, calls for him to resign, editorial scorching him. The thought process was, how can we get him through this not should we help him get through this I should have ruminated on the second question more. Fool me twice, shame on me. I didn't hear from the governor for a number of months. He ran with the Northern Playbook in the meantime. Every week that spring and summer, you could find him holding a press conference with black clergy, community leaders and elected officials. Among the New York political constituencies, they were the most willing to appear publicly with him. A statewide survey that Andrew Cuomo's pollster had conducted found that black and women voters were the most likely to give him the benefit of the doubt media punch IPXAP photo the governor reached out in June. 
When he received a briefing of a statewide survey that his pollster had conducted, it found that black and women voters were the most likely to give him the benefit of the doubt. Then he reached out again in July after he'd been interviewed by investigators for the Attorney General report. He called a small group of us into his office and was positively giddy about the interview. Good news, gang, he told us. I sat down with June Kim and Anne Clark the Ach investigators, and there's going to be nothing new in the report. It will just be a rehash of everything from the spring. He wanted to map out a pre-battle to the Ach report, which he assured us would be an underwhelming document. On the docket, a letter from his attorneys contesting the objectivity of the investigators and a video, whose script he'd written out himself, a script that clocked in at over 12 minutes. It was vintage bad Andrew. The letter, which I suspect wasn't drafted by his lawyers, included ad hominem attacks against the Ach investigators and the previous U.S. attorney from the southern districts of New York. Diary of a Psychopath is how I'd described it to another advisor. The video script, if possible, was even worse. It included a long section that he intended as a photo montage, where he'd show photo after photo of him kissing people of all ages, races, sexualities and genders on the face. Governor, you should not do this, I told him. Unless you want this video to be mocked and replayed on the late night shows, there wasn't an advisor in disagreement. The difference now, however, was that Chris, the governor's brother, had fully extricated himself from all conversations regarding the governor. There was no one left who could close the deal with him. For Lee Smith, Attorney General Letitia James' report was the last in the line of crushing blows Ted Shaffrey AP photo in the end, none of it mattered. The UF called a last-minute 9 a.m. Tuesday press conference on the 3rd of August, where she released the findings of the report. My stomach dropped when I read the new bombshell finding from a 30-year-old female state trooper who'd served on the governor's security detail for the last two years. She told investigators that he had touched her inappropriately on repeated occasions and made comments of a wildly inappropriate sexual nature to her on the job, a job where she was tasked with protecting his life with hers. Once again, he'd looked us all in the eyes and lied. Once again, he denied the charges and wanted to fight them. The difference this time was that no one around him believed him anymore, myself included. Even after the fateful call when we told him that his career was over, he tried to press on. He called each of us individually to ask our opinions, seeking a sympathetic ear or some way out of the situation he found himself in. He didn't find one. The sole exception was former President Bill Clinton, who told him that he needed to go out and address the people of New York directly, to state that his fate was in their hands, not the politicians. The consensus among advisors, at least, was that unless Clinton, with his legendary political skills, was willing to do the mayor culpa himself, it would do more harm than good. For me, the Ach's report was the last in the line of crushing blows. I'd been willing to overlook Cuomo's rough edges and obvious flaws, he'd done so much good in his 11 years as governor, and I'd seen plenty of the warm, caring side of him. But everything about the last several months had made me question my sanity and judgment. It made me wonder why I'd committed my life to a profession that was seemingly dominated by narcissists and liars. Every high I'd had had been matched by an even bigger low. The untold story of the dozens and dozens of people who didn't merit an audience with the New York Times, Lee Smith says, is of the lower-level staffers who worked for the former New York Governor Office of the New York Governor via the New York Times Redux Pictures within days. The man who had dominated Albany for the last 11 years and been floated as the next coming of the Democratic Party announced his resignation. Fool me three times, shame on both of us, Stephen King. Cuomo's resignation wasn't the end of the whole affair, not even close. It triggered a tsunami that destroyed everything in its path. The collateral damage was almost unfathomable. There was times up, the Hollywood backed, 
PostMeach, a non-profit that fully dissolved within weeks of the UF report's release, its CEO and a board member had given behind-the-scenes advice to Cuomo. Then they were the former aides who were forced out of high-profile gigs, the president of the Human Rights Campaign, the largest LGBTQ plus advocacy group in the country, and the chancellor of the 420,000 student State University of New York, among others. Chris was fired from hosting the top-rated show on CNN, and just two months later, CNN Worldwide's president, Jeff Zucker, was pushed out of his role, in part, for crossing journalistic lines in his own relationship with Andrew. Those were the firings and resignations that made the headlines, but there was also the untold story of the dozens and dozens of people who didn't merit an audience with the New York Times, the lower-level staffers who worked in policy, intergovernmental relations, operations and different state agencies. They put up with a tough, sometimes toxic workplace because working in the office of of the New York governor was a badge of honor. It was something they could be proud of and it would obviously lead all of their resumes. Overnight, that was taken from them. Some lost their jobs, others were denied opportunities that they should have been given, all because of their association with Cuomo. But it wasn't just what they lost, it was all the things they'd never get back, the years they wasted in his office, the life events they'd missed and the personal relationships they'd strained due to the demanding nature of working for him. Within days of the UF report's release, Andrew Cuomo, the man who had dominated Albany for the last 11 years and been floated as the next coming of the Democratic Party, announced his resignation Seth Wenig AP photo once again. I became a target in the press for my proximity to a man acting badly. On my worst days, I convinced myself that I'd reversed all of the professional gains I'd made in the last few years. Luckily, that wasn't the case, but it was excruciating to go through. Say what you will about Andrew Cuomo, but he died as he lived, with zero regard for the people around him and the impact his actions would have on them. This story is an adapted excerpt from any given Tuesday copyright signed 2022 by Lee Smith, forthcoming from Harper on the 19th of July. 2022, IMG SOC equals images IMG 14 U1 PNG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 15 U1 PNG, gripping reads, smart analysis and a bit of high-minded fun, because even power needs a day off. Ro Khanna's apology tour, and why Trump voters love it, by Michael Cruz A Putin critic fell from a building in Washington. Was it really a suicide? By Michael Schaefer Are we the problem the new dean of Columbia J School wrestles with its place in the industry by Paul McHugh Trump didn't kill Reaganism. These guys did. By Ian Ward Politico Weekend flies into inboxes every Friday. Don't miss it. Sign up now Democrats. New York, Andrew Cuomo. Politico Weekend. The Friday Read Politico link copied about us advertising breaking news alerts careers credit card payments digital edition frequently asked questions feedback headlines photos power jobs press print subscriptions request a correction right for us RSS site map terms of service privacy policy do not sell my info notice to California residents copyright sign 2022 Politico LLC this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.politico.com slash news slash magazine slash 2022 slash 07 slash 08 slash insider dash regrets dash andrew dash cuomo 00044317 previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index science login today's paper science goosebumps build for the web's first snapshots of the universe https www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-10 science nasa web telescope Images HTML give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story out there goosebumps build for the web's first snapshots of the universe NASA picked five new images of scenes from around the universe that it hopes will knock the public socks off. Get ready for astronomical records to be broken. Give this article credit, NASA, CSA, and FGS team by Dennis Overby published the 10th of July, 2022 updated the 12th of July, 2022 on Tuesday morning. 
NASA will show off the first pictures and data from the new James Webb Space Telescope that will bring to an end some 30 years and $10 billion of planning, building, testing and innovating, followed by six months of terror, tension and anticipation. The pictures constitute a sightseeing tour of the universe painted in colors no human eye has seen, the invisible rays of infrared or heat radiation. Infrared rays are blocked by the atmosphere and so can only be studied out in space. Among other things, they can penetrate the clouds of dust that encase the cosmic nurseries where stars are born, turning them into transparent bubbles that show the baby stars nesting inside. The first image will be revealed Monday at 5 p.m. by President Biden at the White House in an event streamed on NASA TV or the agency's YouTube channel. NASA will then show other pictures at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday in a live video stream. You can sign up here for a reminder on your personal digital calendar to catch the first glimpse of them. Only the tiniest sliver of the world's astronomers have already gotten a look at what the web has seen, but the NASA officials who were granted an early peek at the new images could only gush during a news conference in late June. Pamela Mulroy, NASA's deputy administrator and a former astronaut, said she could hardly contain herself. Read more about the James Webb Space Telescope after traveling nearly one million miles to reach a location beyond the moon. The James Webb Space Telescope will spend years observing the cosmos. First images, in July, NASA released the first set of images captured by the telescope. Here are five things we learned from that spectacular slideshow. Closer to home, the telescope can capture photographs not only of galaxies across the universe, but also of objects in our celestial backyard, including planets such as Jupiter. A very different lens, the woman who oversaw the creation of the camera used by the telescope discussed the excitement of seeing her team's work come to fruition. A cosmic horn of plenty, I haven't been so entranced with a view of the heavens for a long time, writes our cosmic affairs correspondent, stunned by the power of the telescope. What I have seen move me as a scientist, an engineer and a human being, she said. Thomas Zerbergen, NASA's Associate Administrator for Science Missions, compared seeing the pictures to a moment when, as a graduate student analyzing data at 2 a.m., he realized that he had discovered something about the universe that nobody else knew. It was surprisingly emotional, he said, to see nature give up its secrets. Bill Nelson, NASA's Administrator, said, We are going to give humanity a new view of the cosmos, and praise the telescope as a good example of what government can do. Webb is the largest space telescope ever launched. Its mission is to explore the earliest days of the universe, when galaxies and stars were just congealing out of the fog of the Big Bang, reaching farther into time and space than the Hubble Space Telescope can. Just as the Hubble defined astronomy during the past 30 years, NASA expects that the web will define astronomy for a new generation of astronomers, who have been eagerly awaiting their own rendezvous with the cosmos. We all know that web will absolutely blow Hubble out of the water by going deeper and finding the earliest galaxies, said Garth Illingworth, an astrophysicist at the University of California, Santa Cruz, who has used Hubble and other telescopes to search for distant primeval galaxies. The telescope is the fruit of the combined effort of some 20,000 engineers, astronomers, technicians and bureaucrats, according to Billocks, the telescope's project manager. It is now orbiting the sun at a spot called L2, a million miles from Earth, where the combined gravitational fields of the Moon, the Earth and the Sun conspire to create a semi-stable resting spot. Its mirror consists of 18 gold-coated beryllium hexagons and looks like a sunflower, if you could see it from here, floating on the blade of a giant shovel, which is a sunscreen that keeps the telescope cold and pointing ever outward from our own star. The pictures to be revealed on Monday and Tuesday were cherry-picked by a small team of astronomers and science outreach experts to show off the capability of the new telescope and to knock the socks off the public. The release of the images at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, MD, on Tuesday will be followed by scientific seminar and a rush of professional astronomers to their computers to begin taking and analyzing their own data from scientific observations that began in June. 
Image Credit, Hubble Legacy Archive, ESA, NASA, Donald Wade Image Credit, NASA, ESA, N. Smith, and the Hubble Heritage Team on Friday, NASA released a list of the five subjects of the pictures. Among them are old friends to astronomers both amateur and professional, who now get to see them in new infrared raiments. There is the Southern Ring Nebula, a shell of gas ejected from a dying star about 2,000 light-years from here, and the Corina Nebula, a huge swirling expanse of gas and stars including some of the most massive and potentially explosive star systems in the Milky Way. Yet another familiar astronomical scene is Stefan's Quintet, a tight cluster of galaxies, two of which are in the act of merging, about 290 million light-years from here in the constellation Pegasus. Image credit, C image credit, NASA, ESA, and the Hubble SM4 Aero team The team will also release a detailed spectrum of an exoplanet known as WASP-96b, a gas giant half the mass of Jupiter that circles a star 1,150 light years from here every 3.4 days. It is way too hot and big to harbor life, but such a spectrum is the sort of detail that could reveal what is in that world's atmosphere. Finally, but not least, is a swarf of southern sky evocatively called Max 0723. It is a field often visited by Hubble and other telescopes, and it includes a massive cluster of galaxies whose gravitational field acts as a lens magnifying and making visible the light from galaxies behind it and even further back in time. Dr. Zerbachan said this image was the deepest view yet into the past of our cosmos, showing galaxies emerging from the fog of creation almost 14 billion years ago as sparks in the night. Later images, he added, would surely look back even further. With this telescope it's really hard not to break records, Dr. Zerbachan said. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 10 slash science slash nasa dash web dash telescope images html previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index europe login today's paper europe desperate for recruits russia launches a stealth mobilization https www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-10 world europe russia recruits ukraine war html give this article 592 advertisement continue reading the main story supported by content Continue reading the main story desperate for recruits. Russia launches a stealth mobilization leery of a national draft for the Ukraine war. The Kremlin is offering cash bonuses and employing strong arm tactics. Give this article 592 credit. Finbar O'Reilly for the New York Times by Neil McFarquhar published the 10th of July, 2022 updated the 9th of August. 2022 Lear and Espinal for Russian veterans of the war in Ukraine recently published short videos online to complain about what they call their shabby treatment after returning to the Russian region of Chechnya. After six weeks on the battlefield, one claimed to have been denied a promised payment of nearly $2,000. Another grumbled that a local hospital declined to remove shrapnel lodged in his body. Their public pleas for help got results, but not the kind they were hoping for. Instead, an aide to Rams and Kadyrov, the autocrat who runs Chechnya, berated them at length on television as ingrates and forced them to recant. I was paid much more than they promised, said Nikolai Lipa, the young Russian who had claimed that he had been cheated. Ordinarily, these sort of complaints might be ignored, but the swift rebuke underscores how Russian officials want to stamp out any criticism about military service in Ukraine. They need more soldiers, desperately, and are already using what some analysts call a stealth mobilization to bring in new recruits without resorting to a politically risky national draft. 
to make up the manpower shortfall, the Kremlin is relying on a combination of impoverished ethnic minorities, Ukrainians from the separatist territories, mercenaries and militarized National Guard units to fight the war, and promising hefty cash incentives for volunteers. Image credit, Alexei Drazin and Sputnik, via Shatterstock Russia has a problem with recruitment and mobilization, said Kamil Galiev, an independent Russian analyst and former fellow at the Wilson Center in Washington. It is basically desperate to get more men using any means possible, the numbers of battlefield dead and wounded are closely held secrets on both sides. The British military recently estimated the number of dead Russians at 25,000, with tens of thousands more wounded, out of an invasion force of 300,000, including support units. Yet, President Vladimir V. Putin hobbled the mobilization effort from the beginning, experts said, by refusing to put Russia on a war footing that would have allowed the military to start calling up reserves. Hence, the Kremlin has tried to glue together replacement battalions through other means. Avoiding a draft for all adult males allows the Kremlin to maintain the fiction that the war is a limited special military operation, while also minimizing the risk of the kind of public backlash that spurred the end of previous Russian military debacles, like the one in Afghanistan and the first Chechen war, the state of the war price cap. Finance ministers from the Group of Seven Nations agreed to form an international buyer's cartel to cap the price of Russian oil, a move that could drain President Vladimir V. Putin's war chest. UN inspection, amid fears of a possible nuclear accident at the Zaporizhia power plant, a United Nations team braved shelling to conduct an inspection of the Russian control station. Russia's military expansion, though Mr. Putin ordered a sharp increase in the size of Russia's armed forces, he seems reluctant to declare a draft. Here is why. Unusual approaches, Ukrainian troops, facing strained supply lines, are turning to jury-rigged weapons and equipment bartering among units. The public outcry after Chechnya prompted Russia to ban the use on the battlefield of raw recruits, men aged 18-27 who are required to complete a year of mandatory military service. The revelations that hundreds were deployed in Ukraine anyway, including some of the sailors who died when the Ukrainians sank the Moskva, the flagship of the Black Sea Fleet prompted the very outrage from parents that the Kremlin had sought to avoid. Numerous analysts have raised doubts about how long Russia can sustain its offensive in Ukraine without a general mobilization. Igor Gurkin, a former Russian intelligence colonel who went from being a military leader for the Russian-backed separatists in eastern Ukraine to a frequent critic of Kremlin military strategy, has said that Russia cannot possibly conquer the entire country without one, but the Kremlin seems determined to avoid taking such a drastic step. Instead, recruitment officers have resorted to calling reservists repeatedly to offer cash incentives for short deployments. Online want ads placed by the regional recruitment officers of the Ministry of Defense also overflow with thousands of postings for those with military specialties. Recent listings on global job sites like Headhunter included units looking for combat engineers, anyone who could operate a grenade launcher and even the commander for a parachute squadron. Image credit, Sergei Ilnitsky EPA, via Shatterstock the salaries offered to some volunteers, which can range between $2,000 and $6,000 a month, are far more than the average monthly salary in Russia of about $700. Pre-war contracts for privates sometimes were as paltry as around $200 a month. Enthusiasm for the war inspires some volunteers, experts noted, while workers in industrial regions hit by factory closings because of sanctions might also find the money attractive. Mostly, of course, it is a way of earning money, said Sergei Kravenko, director of the Russian human rights organization Citizen Army Law. Many, especially older volunteers, have substantial debts, he and others said. A male law scrapped the age limit of 40 for contract soldiers. Such piecemeal efforts sustain the war, but do not address the fundamental manpower deficit, analysts said. While Ukraine faces similar problems, what it lacks in professional soldiers it compensates for in enthusiastic volunteers, they said. The online Russian ads avoid mentioning Ukraine, and the short-term offers, often three months, are meant to play down the risks of never coming home. It may be that it is necessary to get them into the army, and when they are already in the army, 
figure out what to do, said Mr. Galeev. The high death toll among soldiers from poorer republics populated by ethnic minorities, like Dagestan in the Caucasus and Buraya in southern Siberia, indicate that they fill the front ranks in disproportionate numbers. Statistics, compiled by media's owner, an independent news outlet, from public sources, show 225 dead in Dagestan through June, along with 185 in Buraya compared to nine from Moscow and 30 from St. Petersburg. Minority conscripts in particular are pressured to sign contracts. They tell them that if they return to their hometown, they will not find any job. So it is better to stay in the army to earn money, said Vladimir Buriev, a spokesman for the Free Buraya Foundation, an anti-war group abroad for the Buryats, an indigenous minority. Image credit, Finbar O'Reilly for the New York Times unit from Roskvadia, the militarized National Guard, have been deployed to Ukraine, and it apparently has sufficient numbers for rotations. But there do not seem to be enough regular soldiers for rotations. A group of about 15 women from Buraya recently posted a video online complaining that their male relatives and friends had been deployed without leave since January. In 2013, Mr. Kadyrov, Chechnya's strongman ruler, established a private training institute now called the Russian University of Special Forces. Given his role in helping to defeat Chechen separatists, Mr. Kadyrov has long been granted wider latitude than any other regional leader to field his own armed men. Since the war, he has used his training center as a vehicle to recruit not just Chechens, but men throughout Russia. Reports have also emerged from Chechnya that war critics or men arrested for petty crimes are often beaten, then forced to either sign a contract to fight in Ukraine or pay a bribe. Mr. Kalyov has pledged to pay almost $6,000 to volunteers who sign a three-month contract, supplementing the $53 a day promised by the Russian Ministry of Defense. Mr. Kadyrov's aide, Mogheim Dordov, while berating the four men who produced the video complaining about their treatment, claimed that they were the only four who expressed dissatisfaction out of what he said were more than three. 200 volunteers deploy to Ukraine from Chechnya. Other volunteers featured on Chechen television have praised exercises in shooting, urban warfare and other techniques. By all accounts, however, the training lasts about a week, which analysts consider woefully inadequate. Image credit, Alexander Nemen of Agence France Press, Getty Images one long-standing taboo is being tossed aside in the quest for soldiers. The authorities in Chechnya, Dagestan and Ingushisha have announced that they will form regiments made up entirely of men from the region, apparently in hopes that local nationalism would inspire more volunteers. The military has avoided that kind of recruitment in serious times out of fear of fostering separatist movements. In the battle for Luhansk and Donetsk in the Donbas region of eastern Ukraine, the Russian military has done away with niceties like cash bonuses. Conscription is mandatory for men aged between 18 and 65 in areas under Russian control, and frontline fighters there are mainly local conscripts. Since they are Ukrainian citizens, the thousands of dead and wounded have minimal impact in Russia, so the Kremlin is particularly cavalier about their casualties, experts say. Some have been grabbed right off the streets and dispatched to the trenches with little or no training and vintage guns, military analysts and relatives have said. It is the colonial model of locals being used as cannon fodder, Mr. Galiev said. The Ombudsman for the Donetsk People's Republic, a pseudo-statelet created by Russia, wrote on his Telegram channel in early June that 2061 of its men had been killed and 8,509 wounded from a force of 20,000 at the start of the invasion, a staggering percentage. Image credit, Daniel Birohilak for the New York Times The riskiest technical operations on the battlefield are often assigned to experienced mercenaries under contract to Wagner or similar private commercial operations, analysts said. Wagner gained prominence as the organization deployed to help implement Russian foreign policy goals in Syria and various African nations. It too has reportedly been casting about for willing recruits. In St. Petersburg, Wagner convinced several dozen prisoners to sign six-month contracts to fight in exchange for about $4,000 and amnesty if they come back alive, according to the independent news outlet Important Stories. The armies of many countries faced with similar gaps in manpower and other problems might have collapsed, said Johann Nordberg, one of the authors of a recent report on the war called A Rude Awakening, 
by the Swedish Defense Research Agency. All these groups are unlikely to contribute to a decisive Russian win, he said, referring to those recruited, but they can help maintain Russia's current positions and possibly allow for some minor tactical advances, for example, in Donbas, advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 the New York Times company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada international help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 10 slash world slash europe slash russia dash recruits dash ukraine war html previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion if only john roberts would retire https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 10 slash opinion slash justice dash john dash roberts supreme court retire html give this article 1617 advertisement continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story pamela paul if only john roberts would retire the 10th of july 2022 credit, Larry Downing Reuters give this article 1617 by Pamela Paul opinion columnist if liberal dreams, so endearing, so enduring, really did come true, Chief Justice John Roberts would resign, he's been at it for 17 years, and he's been incapable of tempering the Federalist Society stamp fanatics on the right or leading the court toward any semblance of justice for all. The Times' Supreme Court correspondent Adam Lipton marked the 24th of June as the day Chief Justice John Roberts lost his court, writing that the five hard, right justices humiliated the nominal leader of the court and rejected major elements of his jurisprudence. In retiring at age 67, Roberts could make a statement about the perils of a gerontocracy and the possibility of Supreme Court term limits, even if only self-imposed. He could help forestall constitutional changes to the court that might be welcomed by those on the left while they remain in power and abused by the right when they are not. In retiring, he could help restore public confidence in the court and ensure its future. It won't happen. But it's hard not to hope. After all, liberals have a long, idealistic history of hoping Roberts would be better than our worst fears. We hoped he might prove a wild card. Another David Souter. We hoped he might evolve. Another Harry Blackman. We even hoped he might become a crucial swing vote. Another Anthony Kennedy. In fact, he has swung infrequently and rarely on pivotal cases. And we hoped he might be a force of persuasion with his fellow Republican appointees for seven months. He tried to move the deciding justices on Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Nobody budged. Liberal hopes for Roberts date back to his nomination. He seems like he could be a decent guy. We said at the time, so earnest. He smiled. There was none of the preening smugness of Antonin Scalia. This was no glaring Clarence Thomas, who famously said to his clerks, I ain't evolving. Even reliably liberal senators were fooled. Judge Roberts's impeccable legal credentials, his reputation and record as a fair-minded person and his commitment to modesty and respect for precedent have persuaded me that he will not bring an ideological agenda to the position of Chief Justice of the United States and that he should be confirmed, said Russ Feingold, Wisconsin's liberal Democratic senator, at the time. I can only take him at his word that he does not have an ideological agenda, Senator Patrick Leahy, then the ranking Democrat on the Senate Judiciary Committee, said, I don't think he'll vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, asserted one of Colorado's then-Senators Ken Salazar, after two cordial visits with the nominee. Not everyone was fooled, two veterans, Senator Ted Kennedy and Representative John Lewis, idealists and pragmatists both, knew better, even after liberals were proved wrong with egregious decisions like Citizens United, which sold the country off to the highest bidders, we didn't stop hoping.
In the wake of Donald Trump's extremist nominees, Robert seemed relatively benign. Surely, he had grown on the court. Surely, he would continue to grow. He'll be a moderating force, we said when he voted to maintain the independence of the census against the Trump administration's attempted citizenship question, voted with the majority on DACA and upheld the Affordable Care Act. After the leaked draft of the Dobbs decision, liberals again grabbed at hope that Roberts might sway the ultra-conservative bloc, that he might somehow bring his fellow jurists around to something more reasonable, if not out of a concern for women's rights and autonomy, then at the very least out of a respect for precedent. Yet he stood alone in his concurring opinion that the court should have stopped short of the dramatic step of altogether eliminating the abortion right first recognized in Roe, and now here we are, all hopes deflated, decades of precedents tossed aside in one term, along with our cherished civil liberties. I'm not the first to suggest that Roberts show himself the door. A political columnist, John F. Harris, floated the idea in February, quoting Roberts from his confirmation hearings, umpires don't make the rules, they apply them. They make sure everybody plays by the rules, but it is a limited role. Earlier in his career, Roberts famously said that he believed in the cardinal principle of judicial restraint, if it is not necessary to decide more, it is necessary not to decide more. Clearly, the insurgents on the court don't play by the same rules as the incrementalist Roberts or care a whit for his inclination toward restraint. Consider what happens if he stays. He's already sullied his reputation on the right, having been bludgeoned by his critics, notably Trump. For years, he's utterly failed liberals and moderates. His legacy would be one of ongoing effectiveness for all parties. Retirement would make Roberts a hero for many. He could stand up for his principles, as articulated in his opening statement during his confirmation process, if I am confirmed, I will be vigilant to protect the independence and integrity of the Supreme Court. He could enable President Biden to appoint a new chief justice, someone who could restore a smidgen of balance to an institution ideologically out of whack. In retiring, Roberts could help the court move toward positions that more broadly reflect the opinions of most Americans, rather than those of an extremist faction. He could bolster confidence in the court. In 2021, public opinion of the Supreme Court reached a new low, with only 40% of Americans voicing approval in a Gallup poll. Given this term's decisions on guns, climate change and abortion, one can expect that rating to plummet even more. Meanwhile, the stench of illegitimacy emanating from the court only grows stronger, the need for change more urgent. Some have proposed adding justices, others suggest mandatory term limits or severely limiting the court's shadow docket. Such proposals are tempting, but while liberals may cling to a hope in the better angels of our nature, conservatives are just as entrenched in their belief in our worst. Even if Democrats succeeded in reforming the court, Republicans would impose their own reforms as soon as they got the chance, choosing power over principle. Given a choice between a destabilized future and the degraded status quo, the prospect of one man doing the right thing feels like a more plausible option. Oh, yes, there it is again, that liberal hope, nav, optimistic, fooled three times, that Roberts will have the decency we'd like to think he has, that Roberts will act on principle for the sake of his country, that Roberts will resign, the Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor, we'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles, here are some tips, and here's our email, letters, at, nighttimes.com, follow the New York Times opinion section on Facebook, Twitter, at NWhiteOpinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 10 slash opinion
opinion slash justice dash john dash roberts dash supreme dash court retire html previous article sections next previous article sections next follow zane h follow following zane h following add to collection collection comments devlog piano trainer a downloadable tool for windows mac os and linux download now name your own prize learn the piano at your own pace using your midi keyboard quiz mode will test your knowledge on the circle of fifths and your key recognition Practice mode will help you practice scales, chords and fifths. Ping pong practice hard mode built in piano sounds language support from the community. English, French, Japanese, Portuguese, and German cross-platform and open source source code on GitHub. Thank you to everyone supporting the project. More information updated two days ago. Status release category tool platforms Windows, Mac OS, Linux rating rated 5.0 out of 5 stars. 1. Authors and genre educational tags audio, GitHub, Indie, MIDI, Music, Open Source, Piano, Single Player. Tutorial code license mid license average session a few seconds languages English input keyboard mouse MIDI controller links source code download download now name your own price click download now to get access to the following files Windows MSI Mac OS DMG Linux app image development log v1 0 1 0 contributors are cool 41 days ago v1 0 6 major fixes 49 days ago v1 0 5 crash report of 51 days ago v1 0 4 octaves don't matter anymore 55 days ago v1 1, 0, 3. Did it freeze on you to 56 days ago v1, 0, 2 MIDI input drop down, check, 57 days ago v1, 0, 1 just built a piano teacher 57 days ago comments login with HIO to leave a comment Lissetta tooth 55 days ago, 7 edits, kind of weird, I can play each note on my keyboard once which will produce the note sound, and then the keys don't trigger sound anymore, as well, the software doesn't follow along when I hit the note it's asking for during the scale practice, this is on the latest one, 0, 3 Mac release, edit, Tested a little more and I found something interesting. When I use Analysis Q88 it has the issue above. To add on to the issue, the notes are elongated almost as if the sustain pedal is engaged. I don't have a sustain pedal hooked up. When I use the complete Control M32 the program works as intended. Notes are not sustained either. Replies Janet 55 days ago. Two edits, edit, just fixed this in a recent update reply Jordis 56 days ago plus one. This is amazing reply read confetti 57 days ago, one edit, plus one. I just installed this on my Mac, big sir, and the MIDI isn't working with the app. The on-screen keyboard makes sounds, but my MIDI keyboard isn't triggering anything. I see no options to configure which MIDI device it should be monitoring. Update, I unplugged another MIDI device, leaving only my direct USB keyboard and that resolved the issue. Please add the option to specify which device to listen to, and possibly the MIDI channel replies Janet 57 days ago will do read confetti, I understand that will be a helpful feature thank you, reply Dynamint 57 days ago plus one, MIDI is not working for me either replies Janet 57 days ago, two edits, hi read confetti, I just released an update to choose your MIDI device, that should help with debugging your connections it should ask to update next time you open the app reply, img soc equals images img 2 u 9 png comma hio view all by Jeanne reporting bed updated two days ago tools, free this article was downloaded by Calibre, from https colon slash 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 piano. Trainer ref equals products and previous articles sections next previous articles sections next skip to content login register WordPress org news download and extend themes patterns plugins openverse mobile hosting loan support forums WordPress TV developers community WordCamp meetups photo directory job board 5 for the future about showcase Gutenberg enterprise get WordPress get WordPress plugins my favorite beta testing developers IMG SOC equals images IMG 1 U6 PNG comma download 10 web booster website speed optimization and page speed optimizer by 10 web
Website speed optimization team details reviews installation support development description 10 Web Booster is the speed optimization plugin for improving the overall performance of any website. 10 Web Booster wants you to focus and thrive in the creative aspects of your WordPress website by allowing us to concentrate on your WordPress performance optimization. Get a 90 plus page speed score and pass core web vitals automatically. Rank higher on Google, increase conversions and grow your business. Useful links. 10 Web Booster Are you looking for a WordPress page speed plugin that will automatically speed up your WordPress site? Then 10 Web Booster is exactly what you're looking for. Our WordPress performance plugin will transform your website in no time, enhancing the visitor's user experience, SEO, engagement, and conversion rates. 10 Web Booster works on desktop and mobile versions of websites of any complexity. Optimize your website pages, experiment with every mode we offer, and obtain rewarding results from the best WordPress speed plugin in the market. Check out the extensive feature list of the 10 Web Booster below and take a more detailed look at everything we offer benefits automated 90 plus page speed optimized core web vitals higher search engine rankings up to 7% boosting conversions up to 40% boost in visitor engagement up to 53% mobile traffic engagement boost what's in it optimization of homepage plus 5 pages embedded images included 10 web booster is made possible thanks to dozens of technical optimizations CSS and HTML minification and compression the minification and merger of CSS and HTML is the procedure of reducing file size by a couple of bytes the significant of the stems from the fact that larger files require more resources which may slow down website load time. JS minification and compression compression of lengthy algorithmic JS codes is standard practice. The crunching of JS code, meaning, the removal of all the extra spaces and comments reduces the time of downloading JavaScript, directly improving WordPress speed. Image optimization image optimization leans on minimizing file size through image compression while simultaneously preserving image quality. 10 webs image optimizations achieve that and more. Deferred JS and CSS execution having content that's immediately visible when a user opens your website is only possible with file load optimization through prioritization of important CSS and deferral of JavaScript. That's how 10 Web Booster ensures a 90 plus page speed score as the best WordPress speed plugin. Critical CSS downloading complete CSS files hinder the perceived speed of your WordPress website. After the user visits the web pages, initially, the minimum necessary stylish sheets for the proper rendering of the web page's visible content are loaded, while the rest is served per need. Critical CSS doesn't block page rendering and assists in passing the core web vitals. Image lazy load giving up to the attention span of your website user is how you improve WordPress speed. Lazy loading images and executing only crucial information in the first seconds is how you achieve that images that keep your website's latency low and your speed high decrease bounce rate and work to your advantage. Font swap the reduction and optimization of how web fonts load could potentially help in passing the core web vitals assessment, thus, benefit your ranking on Google. Since the competition is off the charts, every millisecond counts, for the following purpose your content will be displayed in a generic font, thus, bridging the time until your original font style is set up conversion of image format to web web compression study prove that a web image file on averages 25, 34% smaller than a comparable JPEG image, 26% smaller than a comparable PNG image. So it's only logical that this conversion would substantially affect and improve WordPress speed, iframe and video lazy load from images to video as there is a range of content on your website that isn't visible unless the user scrolls down. The user shouldn't be forced to download hefty data when they don't scroll. 10 Web Booster signifies this concept as users should never have to pay the price of a slower website for no good reason. Contain a specific image resizing with 10 Web Booster. Instead of forcing your website to load an enormous image when the user's only looking for a thumbnail, you'll have a container. Specific image at your disposal 10 Web Booster Pro full front end optimization of the entire website and all images back end optimization speed optimization modes when your automated homepage optimization kicks off. We test out each and every one of the four modes. Consequently, we compare the results 
and, as presumed, the mode that achieve a higher score while simultaneously keeping your website from breaking, will be set as your default. You can choose any of the following four modes and manage the modes for each page individually from the custom rules tab in your dashboard. Standard mode, uses different standard speed optimization techniques. Balanced mode, all optimization techniques in standard mode plus critical CSS strong mode, all optimization techniques in standard mode plus JS delay. Extreme mode, all optimization techniques in balanced mode plus JS delay. It may cause issues in some cases. Important, if you think you found a bug in 10 Web Booster or have any problem question concerning the plugin, please check our support forum in our website. Installation Thank you for your interest in 10 Web Booster. Installing via WordPress Follow the steps below to install 10 Web Booster plugin to your website. Log into your WordPress administrator panel. Select plugins page from toolbar menu. Click Add New. Search for 10 Web Booster in the right top search bar if you want to download the free version or click Upload Plugin button. Choose File, Browse, and select the 10 Web Booster zip file installing via FTP login to your hosting space via on FTP software, for example FileZilla, unzip the downloaded 10 Web Booster plugin folder without making any changes to the folder. Upload the 10 Web Booster plugin into the following location WP Content, WP Plugins. Login to the WordPress Administrator panel. Activate 10 Web Booster by going to Plugins and pressing Activate button. Frequently Asked questions 1. Does the 10 Web Booster work on mobile also? It absolutely does. With 10 Web Booster you can speed up your WordPress site on both mobile and desktop too. Does 10 Web Booster work on all websites? 10 Web Booster optimizes any WordPress website speed automatically 3. Will the result achieved by 10 Web Booster last? The easy answer is yes. As 10 Web Booster is constantly being updated and syncing with Google algorithms and changes, your WordPress speed optimization results will last as long as your website is connected to the 10 Web Booster 4. How can I optimize other pages of my website or websites? After you connect your website and start the optimization for your home page, you will be redirected to your dashboard. In the general tab, you will see a URL slot to add and optimize more pages. Add up to 5 in the pages in the free version. They will be optimized using the default mode we've set for your home page. However, you can always change the optimization mode for a specific page from the custom rules tab. Pro version. We'll leave you to a 5. How can I upgrade to the Pro version? You can complete your website optimization by switching to 10 Web Booster Pro from your personal dashboard 6. What is the difference between the four modes of optimization? The four modes for your WordPress speed optimization plugin are the following. Standard mode, which in itself includes the following features. CSS and HTML minification and compression page cache JS minification and compression image optimization image lazy load font swap conversion image format to web by frame and video lazy load container. Specific image resizing balanced mode includes standard mode features plus critical CSS generation strong mode includes standard mode features plus all JS delay extreme mode entails standard mode features plus critical CSS generation plus all JS delay 7. What is 10 Web Booster's track record? 10 Web Booster is known for automating the process of achieving automated 90 plus page speed optimized core web vitals higher search engine rankings up to 7% boosting conversions up to 40% boost in visitor engagement up to 53% mobile traffic engagement boost 8. How does 10 Web Booster affect bounce rate? With a 90 plus page speed, averaging up to a load time of 1.5 seconds, bounce rate worries are out of the question with 10 Web Booster. We're better than good, literally. There being an average of 2 seconds for load time, which translates to an average of 4 seconds of loading to cause a bounce. There's no need to worry about your WordPress page speed optimization with us 9. How long does the optimization take? As a plugin that aims to speed up WordPress sites, taking too long wasn't an option. WordPress speed optimization usually takes only minutes 10. Can I simultaneously use multiple speed optimizers for my website? WordPress functionality is in its prime when there's only one speed optimizer fix for any website at a time. 
so using another speed optimizer alongside 10 web booster is not recommended by either us or WordPress. An alternative WordPress speed optimizer could be any one of the following, W3 Total Cache WP Super Cache WP Rocket WP Rocket Footage AS or Totemize Perfmeters WP Fastest Cache WP. Optimize Asset Cleanup Short Pixel IE Rocket Lazy Load Hummingbird Smush Flying Scripts Async JavaScript Nitro Pack Page Speed Ninja Swift Performance Light Swift Performance Fast Velocity Minify Light Speed Cache WP Performance Score. Booster SG Optimizer is IP11. What's the difference between cache plugins and 10 Web Booster? To sum up caching plugins, they attempt to speed up your website by simply caching files, clearing site cache, compressing cached pages, and performing HTML minification. They don't require third-party servers for operation and run inside WP servers. 10 Web Booster is more than just a plugin. It's a service that speeds up your website with a wider range of optimization techniques. These techniques can only be implemented using a specific service for website optimization. 10 Web Booster services, rather than running the solution inside of the WordPress hosting server. Reviews, IMG SOC equals images IMG 2U12 PNG, comma, very extreme plugin GUNORN 004 the 4th of September, 2022. It's broke my website, even after I deactivate it. Good thing it's just the front end though. IMG SOC equals images IMG 3JPG, comma, excellent website optimizer on Damien the 30th of August. 2022 an excellent page speed plugin 100% better than WP Rocket, IMG SOC equals images IMG 4U4 PNG comma better than WP Rocket Depacks Abhawal the 27th of August, 2022 10 web booster goes to 5 we compare it with WP Rocket due to customer support. I was using WP Rocket before using the 10 web booster. I got the same results when I switched from WP Rocket, but after main optimized the site, the page speed insights mobile score went from 72 to 93. Things to keep in mind, I'm using Elementor and many other heavy plugins on the site. IMG SOC equals images IMG 5U4 PNG, excellent plugin acquire forget the 23rd of August. 2022 excellent, IMG SOC equals images IMG 6U2 PNG, I tried and I started using it to all my WordPress websites, as Herald Refeel the 19th of August. 2022 I installed a plugin on a under maintenance website to see how it works, but the result I got impressed me to use the plugin on every other WordPress websites I own and manage for my clients. IMG SOC equals images IMG 7U2 PNG, the results are definitely insane. And the support system is so fast and good. Rashaki the 19th of August, 2022 the results are definitely insane. And the support system is so fast and good. Read all 30 reviews contributors and developers 10 web booster, website speed optimization and page speed optimizer is open source software. The following people have contributed to this plugin. Contributors, IMG SOC equals images IMG 8 PNG, 10 web translate 10 web booster, website speed optimization and page speed optimizer into your language. Interested in development? Browse the code, check out the SVN repository, or subscribe to the development log by RSS. Change log the 2nd of February 2016 fixed. Page cache if it is not correctly set up the 2nd of February 2015 fixed. Warning messages about web and page caching fixed. Warning about advanced cache PHP reduced. Vendor size updated. Incompatible plugins list the 2nd of February 2012 added. Test mode fixed. Bug in page cache 2, 2, 8 improved. Critical CSS stability fixed. Bug in page cache fixed. Bug in clear cache 2, 0, 27 disabled. Clear cache trigger on ACF update removed. Deactivation pop-up for hosted websites changed. Notification text 2026 added. Notice about incompatible plugins 2025 fixed. Bug in the page cache added. Trigger to clear page cache on page editor 022 fixed. 
conflicts with third-party plugins images lazy load improved, optimization flow fixed, bug in JS delay 2, 0, 2, 1 added, image optimization for additional pages added, deactivation pop-up 2, 0, 1, 8 improved, optimization flow 2, 0, 1, 7 changed, composer update for image optimizer 2, 0, 1, 6 added. Clear cache and disconnect website added, compatibility for connecting from photo gallery plugin 2015 changed, get critical CSS fire rest API instead of Ajax call 2014 fixed, bug in homepage optimization flow 2013 fixed, conflicts with third-party plugins and hostings caches fixed, bug in tag attributes 2012 fixed. Google Ads display fixed, uncritical CSS loading with worker 2011 changed, welcome page design fixed, bug in critical CSS generation 2010 added, rest route to edit optimization settings via rest API 209 fixed, minor bug 207 fixed, white hibble bug fixed, bug with redirection after update 203 initial version on WP org meter version, the 2nd of February 2016 last updated, 6 days ago active installations, 9 thousand plus WordPress version, 5.0 or higher tested up to, 6.0, 2PHP version, 7.1 or higher tags, catchical web vitals, critical CS, badges, speed, advanced view rating, C or 5 stars, 27, 4 stars, 0, 3 stars, 0, 2 stars, 1, 1 star, 2 login to submit a review, contributors, IMGS or C equals images, IMG 8 PNG, 10 web support issues resolved in last 2 months. 36 out of 42 view support forum about news hosting donate support developers get involved learn showcase plugins themes patterns WordCamp WordPress TV buddy press BB press WordPress.com match privacy public code WordPress org WordPress org visit our Facebook page visit our Twitter account IMGS or C equals images IMG 9 U1 SVG comma this article was downloaded by Calibre from HTTPS colon slash slash WordPress.org slash plugins slash 10 web dash speed optimizer previous article sections next previous article sections next section search skip to content skip to site index science login today's paper science he fixed NASA's giant space telescope reluctantly HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-11 science Greg Robinson web telescope NASA HTML give this article advertisement continue reading the main story supported by continue reading the main story he fixed NASA's giant space telescope reluctantly Gregory Robinson was enjoying another job when NASA persuaded him to take on an enormous astronomy project that was billions of dollars over budget and years behind schedule. Give this article credit, Shurin Wang for the New York Times by Kenneth Chang published the 11th of July, 2022 updated the 18th of July, 2022 in 2018, the James Webb Space Telescope, the beleaguered project to build an instrument that could gaze back to the earliest stars in the universe, appeared to be going off the rails, again. The pieces of the telescope and its instruments were complete, but they needed to be assembled and tested. The launch date was slipping further into the future, and the costs, already approaching $8 billion, were again rising. Congress, which had provided several major infusions of financing over the years, was unhappy that NASA was asking for yet more money. This is when Gregory Robinson was asked to take over as program director of Webb. At the time, Mr. Robinson was the deputy associate administrator for programs at NASA, making him responsible for assessing the performance of more than 100 science missions. He said no, I was enjoying my job at the time, Mr. Robinson recalled. Thomas Zerbergen, NASA's associate administrator for science, asked him again. He had a kind of the confluence of two skills, Dr. Zerbergen said of Mr. Robinson. The first one is he had seen many projects, including projects that were in trouble, and the second piece is he has that interpersonal trust gaining activity, so he can go into a room, he can sit in a cafeteria, and by the time he leaves the cafeteria, he knows half of the people, eventually, Mr. Robinson relented. In March 2018, 
He stepped into the task of getting the telescope back on track and into space. He twisted both of my arms to take over Webb, Mr. Robinson said. His path to that role seemed an unlikely one. At NASA, Mr. Robinson, 62, is a rarity, a black man among the agency's top-level managers. So many people seeing me in this role is an inspiration, he said, and also it's acknowledging they can be there, too. He says there are many black engineers working at NASA now, but certainly not as many as there should be and most have not risen high enough to be seen by the public, for example taking part in news conferences as Mr. Robinson has following the launch of Webb. We have many things going on to try to improve, Mr. Robinson said. Born in Danville, VAR, along the state's southern edge, he was the ninth of eleven children. His parents were tobacco sharecroppers. He attended an elementary school for black children until fifth grade, when the school districts finally integrated in 1970. Read more about the James Webb Space Telescope after traveling nearly one million miles to reach a location beyond the moon. The James Webb Space Telescope will spend years observing the cosmos. First images, in July, NASA released the first set of images captured by the telescope. Here are five things we learned from that spectacular slideshow. Closer to home, the telescope can capture photographs not only of galaxies across the universe, but also of objects in our celestial backyard, including planets such as Jupiter. A very different lens, the woman who oversaw the creation of the camera used by the telescope discussed the excitement of seeing her team's work come to fruition. A cosmic horn of plenty, I haven't been so entranced with a view of the heavens for a long time, writes our cosmic affairs correspondent, stunned by the power of the telescope. He was the only one in his family who pursued science and math, with a football scholarship paying his way to Virginia Union University in Richmond. He later transferred to Howard University. He earned a bachelor's in maths from Virginia Union and a bachelor's in electrical engineering from Howard. He started working at NASA in 1989, following some friends who had already worked there. Over the years, his jobs included deputy director of NASA's Glenn Research Center in Cleveland and deputy chief engineer. The web assignment came in the midst of bad publicity for the project. The target date for launching had slipped again to May 2020 from 2019. NASA had set up a review board of outside experts to advise what needed to be done to get the web to the finish line. A month into Mr. Robinson's tenure, a botch test provided a vivid illustration of how much needed to be fixed. Image credit, Shuren Wang for the New York Times spacecraft have to survive the vigorous vibrations of launch, so engineers test them by shaking them. When Webb was shaken, embarrassingly, screws holding the cover of the telescope's large, fragile sun shield popped loose. That set us back months, about 10 months, just that one thing, Mr. Robinson said. The launch date was pushed to March 2021, and the price tag rose by another $800 million. The incident seemed like a replay of earlier troubles the Webb project had run into. When the telescope was named Webb in 2002, it had a budget forecast of $1 billion to $3.5 billion for launch as early as 2010. When 2010 arrived, the launch date had moved to 2014, and estimated cost for the telescope had risen to $5.1 billion. After reviews found both the budget and the schedule to be unrealistic, in 2011, NASA reset the program with a much higher budget not to exceed $8 billion and an October 2018 launch date. For several years after the 2011 reset, the program looked to be in good shape. They were knocking off milestones, Mr. Robinson said. Really good schedule margin, but, he added, things happen in there that you don't see. The ghosts always catch you, right for the screws that popped off during the shake test. It turned out that the engineering drawings did not specify how much torque needed to be applied. That was left to the contractor, Northrop Grumman, to decide, and they were not tight enough. You should have a specification to make sure it's right, Mr. Robinson said. The review board released its report, noting a series of issues, and made 32 recommendations. NASA followed all of them, Mr. Robinson said. One of the recommendations was performing an audit of the entire spacecraft to identify embedded problems mistakes that occurred without anyone noticing. 
The engineers checked the drawings and specifications. They looked at the purchase requests to make sure that what was ordered matched the specifications and that the suppliers provided the correct items. There were multiple teams set up, led by the most experienced people, Mr. Robinson said. They really dug into the paperwork. For the most part, the hardware did indeed match what was originally designed. A few things did not match Mr. Robinson said none of them would have to lead to a catastrophic failure, and those were fixed. When Mr. Robinson took over as program director, Webb's schedule efficiency, a measure of how the pace of work compared with what had been planned, was down at about 55%, Dr. Zerbachan said. That, in large part, was the result of avoidable human error. Dr. Zerbachan said the Webb team had been full of smart, skilled people, who had become wary of raising criticism. He credited Mr. Robinson with turning things around. Within a few months, the efficiency was up to 95%, with better communications and managers more willing to share potential bad news. You needed somebody who could get the trust of the team and what we needed to figure out was what was wrong with the team, Dr. Zerbachan said. The speed at which he turned this thing around was just astounding. A number of new issues, though, caused additional delays and cost overruns. Some, like the pandemic and an issue with the payload enclosure on the European-made Ariane 5 rocket, were out of Mr. Robinson's control. Additional human mistakes did occur, like last November when a clamp band securing the telescope to the launch mount snapped, shaking the telescope but not causing damage. But when the Ariane 5 carrying web finally launched on Christmas, Everything proceeded without a hitch, and the deployment since then has gone smoothly. With the observations beginning, there will soon be no more need for a program director for Webb, Mr. Robinson says, with pride, that he has worked himself out of a job. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertised T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Caliber from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 11 slash science slash Greg dash Robinson dash web dash telescope NASA HTML previous article sections next previous article sections next IMG SOC equals images IMG 1 SVG comma products in SOC equals images IMG 2 SVG customer stories what Clark customers are saying app slack SMS Microsoft team Salesforce SMS slack email integrations Twilio slack ring central slack slack whatsapp misc too far shared accounts notifications and alerts pricing resources and SOC equals images IMG 3 U1 SVG blog the latest stories from Clark IMG SOC equals images IMG4 SVG comma help center explore our getting started guide frequently asked questions video guides release notes book a demo contact us book a demo Microsoft Teams phone stay connected with your customers using voice and SMS in Microsoft Teams bring your existing phone number or activate a new one in seconds share MFA codes securely confirm appointments call customers the possibilities are endless IMG SOC equals images IMG 5 SVG comma add to Microsoft Teams free IMG SOC equals images IMG 6 SVG comma activate SMS in Microsoft Teams bring your existing number or choose your own and enable business text messaging inside of Microsoft Teams add to Microsoft Teams Microsoft Teams SMS allow your staff to communicate with your customers via SMS all inside of Teams whether it's for customer support sales and marketing or anything in between Texting has never been easier inside of Teams. Get started today free. IMG SOC equals images IMG 7 SVG comma calling in Microsoft Teams. Clark integrates natively into Microsoft Teams for a seamless phone experience. Make and receive audio calls in the app you use every day. This cloud-based phone system has advanced features including call transfer, multi-level auto attendance, and call queues. Add to Teams free. IMG SOC equals images IMG 8 SVG comma features customers love text messaging enable SMS on your existing Teams calling plan phone number. Receive and reply to text messages 
messages directly from Microsoft Teams, calling call from anywhere, on any device through the Microsoft Teams and Clark on desktop, mobile, web, and desk phones to fire verification codes receive your account verification codes and access your shared accounts easily and securely with Clark non voice numbers, IMGSOC equals images IMG9 SVG, comma, add to Teams free bring your own number to Microsoft Teams connect your existing carrier and enjoy all of the benefits and features of Clark while keeping your service provider contracts, phone numbers, and rates, IMGSOC equals images IMG10 SVG, comma, ring central ring central for Teams integration brings your phone number natively into Teams, IMGSOC equals Equals images IMG 11 SVG, comma Twilio enable your Twilio phone number in Teams and consolidate communication. IMG SOC equals images IMG 12 SVG, comma Zoom phone host the SMS portion of your Zoom phone number and use it in Teams. IMG SOC equals images IMG 5 SVG, comma Microsoft Teams enable your Microsoft Teams phone number and consolidate communication. IMG SOC equals images IMG 13 SVG, comma Google Voice consolidate your Google Voice conversations in Teams. IMG SOC equals images IMG 14. SVG, comma, voice landline enable SMS capabilities on your existing voice or a landline. Add to Teams free calling in Microsoft Teams with Clark. Users can use Teams to place and receive calls, transfer calls, and get voicemail. Additional numbers want to give customers the ability to text several numbers. Maybe you need a different number for customer support, sales or appointments. Auto attendants interact with callers by giving them choices via an interactive menu. Transfer calls to company users or departments in your organization. Toll-free numbers 1-800 numbers are also supported in Clark. Let your customers text your global support system right in Microsoft Teams. Call settings never miss a call with Clark change delegation settings for users when they are on sick leave, vacation, and round-robin customer calls with your entire team. Voicemail let your customers leave you a voicemail. The message gets automatically transcribed so you can both listen to it or read it right in your team's channel. Call queues Call queues are waiting areas for callers. Callers are put on hold until an agent assigned to the queue is available to take their call. Let's get started FreeSync your contacts We built dedicated integrations to help you import your contacts from the leading systems such as HubSpot, Outlook, Salesforce and CSV. Start free trial, IMG SOC equals images IMG 15 SVG Salesforce Use Salesforce and Teams together to manage your conversations IMG SOC equals images IMG 16 SVG comma Outlook Import your contacts directly from Microsoft Office 365 and Outlook contacts IMG SOC equals images IMG 17 SVG comma HubSpot Load your HubSpot contacts and lists and start texting your customers IMG SOC equals images IMG 18 SVG comma Google Sheets Use Sheets as a universal address book Import CSV, share with teammates. Trusted by leading companies from startups to the Fortune 500, Clark is the most visual and simple way for teams to communicate via text message in Teams. IMG SOC equals images IMG 19 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 20 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 21 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 22 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 23 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 24 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 25 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 26 SVG, IMG SOC equals images IMG 27 SVG, helpful answers we know there's a lot to learn and read about all that Clark can do. Here are some of the most frequently asked questions. Can I use Teams for SMS and phone calls, send and receive text messages, MMS, with our native Teams app? SMS for Teams is perfect for customer support, marketing, and team communication. Clark allows companies to make and receive calls to and from landlines and mobile phones in Microsoft Teams. Can I use my own phone number in Teams? Can I use multiple phone numbers? Can you help with a custom request? 
Can I send SMS campaigns in Teams? This feature will be available in the near future. Our bulk texting service lets you reach large groups of people with a single text. The group size can be small, medium, large, or huge. It all depends on the number of contacts in your address book. Does Clark support emoji and images? What is SMS character limit? Does Clark integrate with external CRM tools? Book a demo 415-943-6084. Text us, chat with us. Talk to a real customer success specialist. Respond in less than 90 seconds hours 6 a.m. PST 9 p.m. PST. IMG SOC equals images IMG 1 SVG. Clark enables SMS and MMS messaging on your existing phone number. Check out our native integrations on top of Slack, Microsoft Teams, and Salesforce. Company media kit terms of use privacy policy anti-spam policy fair use policy resources book a demo help center video guides release notes system status blog Twilio Slack integration ring central integration haymarket alternative avichato alternative copyright sign 2022 name ventures LLC this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash Clark dot chat slash teams slash previous articles sections next previous articles sections next nothing are products IMG SOC equals images IMG 1U30 for JPG com all products phone one year one all accessories phone one case phone one screen protector power 45W store log in cart zero zero nothing are cart zero products all products phone one year one all accessories phone one case phone one screen protector power 45w store log in location phone one zero zero one introducing phone one pure instinct less distractions more so just pure instinct formed as a machine told through beautiful symbols deep interactions and brave simplicity phone one can bring us back us. By now technical specification, IMG SOC equals images IMG 10U1PNG, comma a radical reinterpretation of mobile tech. IMG SOC equals images IMG 11U1PNG, comma nothing phone. One is the biggest launch of the year in the smartphone space. IMG SOC equals images IMG 12PNG, comma the most high-tech company in years. One brilliant two calls, three notifications, four flip to glyph. Watchful video, watchful video one slash four glyph interface. Brilliant. Meet a glyph interface. A new way to communicate. Unique light pattern. Indicate who's calling, signals app notifications, charging status, and more. Everyday interactions made joyful. One brilliant two calls, three notifications, four flip to glyph. Watchful video, watchful video two slash four glyph interface. Calls never miss what's important. Pair individual contacts to ringtones, each with a unique glyph pattern. Know who's calling even on silent mode. One brilliant two calls, three notifications, four flip to glyph. Watchful video, watchful video three slash four glyph interface. Notifications only know what you want to. Choose different glyph patterns for notifications to easily filter messages and emails from calls. Notification lights dim for less disturbance. Check battery status and know when reverse charging is in use. One brilliant two calls, three notifications, four flip to glyph, four slash four glyph interface. Flip to glyph, four quiet focus. Flip phone, one, with the glyph interface face up to trigger silent, light only notifications. Adjust brightness as needed. One brilliant two calls, three notifications, four flip to glyph, zero, zero, three. Design. Considered, design that goes beyond the surface. Dual side gorilla registered sign glass gives toughness. Advanced vibration motors make touch responses lifelike. The symmetrical bezels and aluminium frame adds elegance, lightness and durability. One perfected to open three speed four NFTs. Watchful video, watchful video one slash four nothing OS. Perfected. Nothing OS delivers only the best of Android. No bloatware. Just speed and a smooth experience. Hardware and software speak a single visual language with bespoke widgets, fonts, sounds and wallpapers. Enable seamless integration with third-party products. One perfected to open three speed four NFTs two slash four nothing OS. 
Open. Nothing ecosystem is an open invitation. Control third-party products from quick settings as easily as nothing ones. Starting with Tesla. Unlock doors. Turn on AC and see miles left. Check AirPods battery status. No separate apps. One home for everything. One perfected to open three speed for NFTs three slash four nothing OS. Speed. Power. Delivered where it's needed most with smart software that learns from your usage. Most used apps load super fast. The rest are frozen to conserve power. One perfected to open three speed for NFTs four slash four nothing OS. NFTs collecting NFTs. Show them off in five different sizes and track their prices on your home screen with the native NFT gallery. Only with phone. One. One perfected to open three speed for NFTs. One exceptional two dual camera three video four illuminate one slash four camera. Exceptional. Time to unlearn. Better quality isn't more cameras. This extraordinary dual camera has two advanced 50MP sensors, for brilliant realism, shoots exceptionally stable videos, has studio lighting built in, and night mode to take images to the next level. One exceptional two dual camera three video four illuminate two slash four camera, dual camera, exceptional detail in any light with the large main camera sensor and 1.8 aperture. Always sharp shots with dual image stabilization, expansive shots with the 114 degree field of view, and intelligent features like scene detection tailors the perfect Perfect settings 1 exceptional 2 dual camera 3 video 4 illuminate 3 slash 4 camera video creativity made effortless crystal clear 4k liquid motion at 60 fps and live hdr tailors true to life highlights and shadows all authentically bright with night mode every video need in one camera 1 exceptional 2 dual camera 3 video 4 illuminate 4 slash 4 camera illuminate Perfected shots on the go. Set the glyph interface to full brightness and illuminate close-up subjects with a gentle light. A portable ring light, without the harshness of flash 1 exceptional 2 dual camera 3 video 4 illuminate 006. Display. Beautiful 1 billion colors. Every hue. Powerfully true to life 6.55 inches OLED display. HDR 10 plus. Richer color and deeper contrasts. Tune to each scene. Adaptive 120Hz refresh rate for irresistibly responsive interactions, while being reassuringly power efficient. One powerful two chipset three battery one slash four performance. Powerful, essential power, for startling speed, and captivating gaming. Lasts all day, always without compromise. One powerful two chipset three battery two slash four performance. Chipset. Powerful, reliable, behind phone, 1, S speed is the Snapdragon Trademark Sign 778G plus chipset, Q phenomenal graphics, heightened gaming, advanced camera features, all accelerated by 5G 1 powerful 2 chipset 3 battery 3 slash 4 performance, battery, fuel everything you need, enjoy as you want, charge fast, charge wirelessly, get 18 hours of use with every charge 50% power in just 30 minutes. Power accessories like Ear 1, with 5W reverse charge 1 powerful 2 chipset 3 battery 008, sustainability, responsible, made with 100% recycled aluminium, leading the industry with over 50% of the plastic components coming from bio-based and recycled sources, recycled fiber packaging, and the unfailing determination to shrink tech's environmental impact, phone, 1, Technical details, design, camera, features, network and connectivity, design, design, camera, features, network and connectivity, display 6.55 inches flexible OLED display corning registered sign gorilla registered sign glass HDR 10 plus 10 bit color depth 2400 x 1080 pixel resolution at 402 ppi 1 million. 1 contrast ratio 500 nits brightness, 1200 nits peak brightness, capped at 700 nits as per nothing OS 1, 1, 2, 60 hertz, 120 hertz adaptive refresh rate 240 hertz touch sampling rate haptic touch motors capacity 8 RAM plus 128 gigabytes memory 8 RAM plus 256 gigabytes memory 12 RAM plus 256 gigabytes memory in the box nothing phone, 1, Type-C cable safety information and warranty card screen protector. 
pre-applied, Simfra ejector dimensions, height, 159.2 mm width, 75.8 mm depth, 8.3 mm weight, 193.5 grams main camera 50MP Sony IMX 766 sensor 1.88 aperture the 1st of January 1956 sensor size 1M pixel size focal length. 24mm OIS and image stabilization panorama night mode portrait mode beauty mode bokeh HDR Google filter scene detection live photo document mode night mode extreme night mode night video expert mode panorama slow mo 120fps time lapse ultra wide 50mp Samsung JN1 sensor 2.2 aperture the 1st of February 1976 sensor size image stabilization 114 degrees field of view night mode macro 4 cm HDR front camera 16mp Sony IMX 471 sensor 2.45 aperture 1 3 1 sensor size live photo HD portrait Google filter beauty mode night mode 1080p video recording at 30 fps video 4k recording at 30 fps 1080p recording at 30 or 60 fps live HDR at 30 fps slow mo 120 fps night mode 720p slash 1080p at 30 fps OIS and ease image stabilization battery 4500 mAh battery size 33 WPD 3.0 wide charging full charge in 70 minute 15 W key wireless charging with dual charging support full charge in 120 minute 5 W reverse charging only use with chargers compatible with quick charge 4.0 sensors in display fingerprint sensor accelerometer electronic compass gyroscope ambient light sensor proximity sensor sensor core front RGB sensor audio 3 high definition mics dual stereo speakers chipset Snapdragon Trademark sign 778 G plus 6 NMT SMC process 1 ZAR 78 2.5 GHZ plus 3 ZAR 78 2.4 GHZ plus 4 ZAR 55 1.8 GHz Adreno 642 LGPU hexagon 770 RE processor splash water and dust resistance IP53 memory RAM 8/12 gigabytes LPDDR5 storage 128/256 gigabytes of 3.1 phase and finger unlock unlock phone 1 using fingerprint or facial recognition works with face coverings sim card dual sim network and connectivity gigabit LTE with 4x4 MIMO gigabit 5G dual mode NSA and SA with 4x4 MIMO 5G NR bands N1 N3 N5 N7 N8 N20 N28, N38, N40, N41, N77, N78 for GLTE, bands 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 12, 17, 18, 19, 20, 26, 28, 32, 34, 38, 39, 40, 41, 66, 3G UMTS, WCDMA, bands 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 8, 19, 2 GGSM, 850, 900, 1800, 1900, 1900, 1900, QZSS, 1, 5G connectivity may vary based on regional availability and local operator support. Software support 3 years of Android updates 4 years of security patches every 2 months ports USB-C multimedia audio supported formats playback, MP3, AAC, AAC+, WMA, AMRNB, AMRWB, WAF, FLAC, APE, OG, MID, M4A, IMI, AC3, EEC3, EEC3 Jock. AC4 recording, WAF, AAC, AMR video supported formats playback, MKV, MOV, MP4, H, 265, HEVC, AVI, WMV, 
TS, 3GP, FLV, WEBM recording, MP4 image supported formats playback, JPEG, PNG, BMP, GIF, Web, HEF, HEIC, DNG output, JPEG, DNG disclaimer the weight of phone, 1, is 193.5 grams, and the weight of the screen protector may add an additional 3 grams, the size and weight of the phone may vary according to configuration, manufacturing process and measurement method, due to space taken up by the system file, including Android system and pre-installed apps, the available memory capacity is less than this value, storage capacity varies based on software versions, and may vary from device to device. Photo and video pixels of different camera and shooting modes may vary according to the specific situation. The typical battery capacity is 4,500 mAh and actual performance may vary. The battery is not removable. All product pictures and content are for illustrative purposes only. The actual results, including but not limited to appearance, color and size, and the screen display content, including but not limited to background, UI, and picture, may vary. Figures provided are theoretical, obtained under a control test environment and provided by the supplier or the Nothing Laboratory. Actual performance may vary due to individual product differences, software versions, use conditions and environmental factors. Due to the real-time changes in product batches and supply factors, in order to provide accurate information on product information, specifications, and product characteristics, Nothing may adjust and revise the text descriptions picture effects, and other content on the above pages in real time to match the reality of the product performance, specifications, index, parts and other information. In the event that page modifications and adjustments are necessary, no special notice will be given. Products Products Phone, 1 Year 1, Accessories Company Company About U.S. Careers Community Newsroom Business Enquiry Support 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 Center Contact U.S. Find A Store Social Social Instagram YouTube Twitter TikTok Discord Terms and Conditions Privacy Policy Terms of Sale Acceptable Use Policy User Agreement All Major Credit Cards and Crypto Acceptor Join Our Mailing List Join Email Addresses Is Invalid You Have Read and Agree to the Terms in Our Privacy Policy Please accept our privacy policy, you can send to receiving nothing marketing communications. Thanks for contacting US, we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Invalid email is invalid location, all major credit cards and crypto accepted your cart zero, close within two weeks total zero euros check out close your cart is empty this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash eu dot nothing dot tech slash pages slash phone one previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index technology log in today's paper technology how Elon Musk damaged Twitter and left it worse off https www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-11 Technology Elon Musk Twitter Damaged HTML Give this article 181 advertisement Continue reading the main story Supported by Continue reading the main story How Elon Musk damaged Twitter and left it worse off Mr. Musk swooped in and exposed Twitter's lack of business and financial prospects After criticizing the company's weaknesses, he now wants to back out of buying it Give this article 181 credit Mike Blake Reuters by Kate Conger and Mike Isaac published the 11th of July 2022 updated the 12th of July, 2022 San Francisco, four years, Twitter was a runner-up social media company, it never grew to the size and scale of a Facebook or an Instagram, it simply muddled along, then, Elon Musk, a power user of the service, stormed in, he offered $44 billion to buy Twitter and declared that the company could perform far better if he were in charge, he disparaged Twitter's executives, ridiculed its content policies, complained about the product and confused its more than 7,000 employees with his pronouncements, as Mr. Musk revealed the company's lack of business and financial prospects, Twitter's stock plunged more than 30%, now, as Mr. Musk, a billionaire, 
tries to back out of the blockbuster deal, he is inexorably leaving Twitter worse off than it was when he said he would buy it. With each needle in tweet and public taunt, Mr. Musk has eroded trust in the social media company, walloped employee morale, spooked potential advertisers, emphasized its financial difficulties and spread misinformation about how Twitter operates. His engagement with Twitter took a severe toll on the company, said Jason Goldman, a member of Twitter's founding team who has also served on its board of directors. Employees, advertisers and the market at large cannot have conviction in a company whose path is unknowable and which will now go to court to complete a transaction with a bad, faith actor, the precarious situation underscores why Twitter is set to sue Mr. Musk as soon as this week to force a completion of the deal. The court battle is likely to be protracted and immense, involving months of expensive litigation and high-stakes negotiations by elite lawyers. A resolution is far from certain Twitter might win. But, if it loses, Mr. Musk could walk away by paying a breakup fee, or the two sides could renegotiate or settle. On Monday, the damage that Mr. Musk, 51, has inflicted was evident. Twitter's stock plunged more than 11% to one of its lowest points since 2020 as investors anticipated the coming legal battle. Since Twitter accepted Mr. Musk's acquisition offer, on the 25th of April, its stock has lost over a third of its value as investors have grown increasingly skeptical that the deal would get done on the agreed terms in contrast, the tech. Heavy Nasdaq index was down about 12.5% in the same period, Twitter declined to comment on Monday. In a letter to Mr. Musk's lawyers on Sunday, the company's lawyers said that his move to terminate the deal was invalid and wrongful and that Mr. Musk knowingly, intentionally, willfully and materially breached his agreement to buy the firm. Twitter would continue to provide information to Mr. Musk and to work to close the transaction, the letter added. Mr. Musk did not return request for comment. On Sunday, the billionaire, who has cited the number of fake accounts on Twitter's platform as the reason that he cannot buy the company, tweeted a picture of himself laughing at the situation. Of all the wreckage Mr. Musk is leaving at Twitter, the most prominent may be how brutally he exposed the company's waning financial and business prospects. Twitter has operated at a loss for seven of the nine years it has been a public company. During deliberations over Mr. Musk's offer, the company received no serious interest from other suitors. People with knowledge of the situation have said, Twitter's board determined that Mr. Musk's offer of $54.20 a share was the best it could obtain, suggesting it saw no way to reach that price on its own. The board's lack of conviction in the company's long-term future will linger over employees, partners and shareholders regardless of the outcome with Ellen, Mr. Goldman said. In recent months, Twitter's business has deteriorated. Perigadra Wall, Twitter's chief executive, said in a memo to employees in May that the company had not lived up to its business and financial goals. To address the issues, he pushed out the heads of product and revenue, instituted a hiring slowdown and began an effort to attract new users and diversify into e-commerce. In April, the company stopped providing a forward-looking financial outlook to investors, pending the acquisition. That trajectory is unlikely to change as uncertainty over the deal discomforts advertisers, the main source of Twitter's revenue. What we consider before using anonymous sources. How do the sources know the information? What's their motivation for telling us? Have they proved reliable in the past? Can we corroborate the information? Even with these questions satisfied, the Times uses anonymous sources as a last resort. The reporter and at least one editor know the identity of the source. Learn more about our process. Twitter will have trouble in the near future reassuring skittish advertisers and their users that they are going to be stable, said Angelo Carusone, the president of the watchdog group Media Matters for America. In what was an implicit dig at Twitter's top executives, Mr. Musk said he could have done way better with the company. In a presentation to investors in May, he said he planned to quintuple the company's revenue to $26.4 billion by 2028 and to reach 931 million users that same year, up from 217 million at the end of last year. Image credit, Brendan McDermott Mr. Musk emphasized Twitter's rudderless financial direction in a letter filed to the Securities and Exchange Commission on Friday. 
the company's declining business prospects and financial outlook had given him pause, his lawyers wrote, especially considering Twitter's recent financial performance and revised outlook on the fiscal year ahead. Mr. Musk, who has more than 100 million followers on Twitter, has also jackhammered the product, saying it is not as attractive as other apps. He has repeatedly claimed, without evidence, that Twitter is overrun with more inauthentic accounts than it has disclosed. Such accounts can be automated to pump out toxic or false content. The company has said fewer than 5% of the accounts on its platform are fake. His barbs about fake accounts have weakened trust in Twitter, just as the company prepares to moderate heated political discussions about an upcoming election in Brazil and the midterm elections this fall in the United States, misinformation expert said. In another criticism of Twitter and the way it supervises content, Mr. Musk vowed to unwin the company's moderation policies in the name of free speech. In May, he said he would reverse the permanent ban of former President Donald J. Trump from Twitter, allowing Mr. Trump back on the social network. That riled up right-wing users, who have long accused the company of censoring them, and renewed questions about how Twitter should handle debates over the limits of free speech. Inside the company, employee morale has been battered, leading to infighting and attrition, according to six current and former employees. Some of those who remain said they were relieved that Mr. Musk seemed to have decided against owning the company. Others shared nihilistic memes on the company's lack or openly criticized Twitter's board and executives for entertaining Mr. Musk's offer in the first place, according to internal messages viewed by the New York Times. The mood among executives was one of grim determination, Two people with knowledge of their thinking said, Evan Williams, a founder of Twitter, tweeted on Friday that he wished for an end to Mr. Musk's antics. If I was still on the board, I'd be asking if we can just let this whole ugly episode blow over, Mr. Williams posted in response to the announcement that Twitter intended to sue Mr. Musk and force the deal forward. Hopefully that's the plan and this is ceremony. Manu Kornit, a Twitter employee, illustrated the mood with a cartoon that showed a shattered company that had been bumped off the shelf by Mr. Musk's careless elbow. His caption, You break it, you buy it Ryan Mack and Isabella Simonetti contributed reporting. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 11 slash technology slash Ellen dash Musk dash Twitter damaged HTML previous article sections next previous article sections next section search skip to content skip to site index technology log in today's paper technology Twitter sues Musk after he tries backing out of $44 billion deal HTTPS www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-12 technology Twitter lawsuit Musk Acquisition HTML Give this article advertisement Continue reading the main story Supported by Continue reading the main story Twitter sues Musk after he tries backing out of $44 billion deal The question of whether Elon Musk must buy Twitter, as he agreed to do in April, is headed to a court in Delaware. Give this article credit, Major Hittich Getty Images by Kate Conger and Lauren Hirsch The 12th of July, 2022 San Francisco Twitter sued Elon Musk on Tuesday to force the billionaire to complete his $44 billion acquisition of the company, setting the stage for a prolonged legal battle over the fate of the social media service. Mr. Musk agreed in April to buy Twitter but declared last week that he intended to walk away from the deal. To push Mr. Musk to abide by the acquisition agreement, Twitter sued him in Chancery Court in Delaware. 
the court will determine whether he remains on the hook for the purchase or whether Twitter violated his obligation to provide Mr. Musk with data he requested, entitling him to walk away. Musk refuses to honor his obligations to Twitter and its stockholders because the deal he signed no longer serves his personal interests, the company said in the suit. Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other party subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind, trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy stockholder value, and walk away. At the heart of the case is the issue of disclosure. To terminate the deal, Mr. Musk claimed that Twitter balked at handing over information about spam bots, also known as fake accounts, on the platform. He repeatedly said he did not believe the company's public statements that roughly 5% of its active users are bots. Twitter intentionally misled the public, he said, and obstructed his efforts to get more information about how it accounts for the figures. Mr. Musk has also taken aim at Twitter for not giving warning before recently firing two key executives. But Mr. Musk signed a legally binding agreement with Twitter, and in that contract, Twitter included a specific performance clause that allows it to sue to force the deal through, so long as the debt that the billionaire has corralled for the acquisition is in place. In a letter to Mr. Musk's lawyers on Sunday, Twitter's lawyers said that his move to terminate the deal was invalid and wrongful and that Mr. Musk knowingly, intentionally, willfully and materially breached his agreement to buy the firm. The company has said that it is confident in its figures about spam accounts, and that it uses experts in spam to audit the account and ensure its accuracy. In its suit, Twitter argued that Mr. Musk, who also leads the automaker Tesla, wanted to exit the deal because of changes in the stock market that affected his wealth. Tesla's stock has fallen in recent months. Twitter said the billionaire used his complaints about bots as a pretext to wriggle out of the agreement. Mr. Musk also broke an agreement not to publicly insult Twitter executives and he covertly abandoned his efforts to secure debt funding for the deal, the lawsuit said. In doing so, the social media company said he breached his obligations to use reasonable best efforts to get a deal done. Musk wanted an escape, the company said, but the merger agreement left him little room. Mr. Musk didn't respond to a request for comment. What happened to Elon Musk's Twitter deal card 107? What happened to Elon Musk's Twitter deal a blockbuster deal? In April, Elon Musk made an unsolicited bid worth more than $40 billion for the social network, saying he wanted to make Twitter a private company and allow people to speak more freely on the service. Sean Edgett, Twitter's general counsel, informed employees of the suit in an internal memo on Tuesday and said the company had also filed a motion for an expedited trial alongside the complaint, asking for the case to be heard in September. As it is critically important for this matter to be resolved quickly, Twitter's chief executive, Perigagra Wall, wrote in response, We took this opportunity to tell our story and defend our company, our people and our stockholders, adding, We plan to hold the buyer fully accountable to fulfill his contractual obligations. We will prove our position in court, and we believe we will prevail. The New York Times obtained both memos. Twitter is seeking a four-day trial this September. The deal has a deadline of the 24th of October to be completed. Should the transaction still be awaiting regulatory approval at that time, Mr. Musk and Twitter would have another six months to close it. Brian J. M. Quinn, a professor at Boston College Law School, said Twitter's legal arguments were strong. He noted that Mr. Musk's tweets were peppered throughout the lawsuit, including one that the billionaire sent before signing the deal that showed he was aware of spam on Twitter. Mr. Musk had tweeted, We will defeat the spam bots or die trying. His lawyers are going to be very unhappy with the fact that he tweets, Mr. Quinn said of Mr. Musk. All the tweets that they can find, they are using against him. Still, Mr. Musk's threat of walking away could bring Twitter back to the negotiating table, allowing the billionaire to buy the company at a discount. The two sides could also settle with Mr. Musk paying damages to Twitter, or he could pay a $1 billion breakup fee and walk away, an option allowed only under certain circumstances, such as if Mr. Musk's financing fell through. If Mr. Musk successfully disentangles himself from Twitter, it could be disastrous for the company. Its stock has fallen more than 35% below his offer of $54.20 per share.
Twitter's business has also deteriorated in recent months. In May, Mr. Agrawal said in a memo to employees that the company had not lived up to its business and financial goals. Now that Twitter has sued, Mr. Musk and his lawyers are expected to respond. While the timeline beyond then depends on many factors, the company and Mr. Musk will most likely be called to a hearing in Delaware and go through the discovery process, with the two sides digging up facts they believe are relevant to the case. The case may then move to a trial, though there is a chance the judge assigned to the case will dismiss Mr. Musk's efforts to walk away. If the suit proceeds to trial, the judge will decide whether Twitter's disclosures were insufficient and constituted a material harm to the deal. In the past, Delaware's Chancery Court has prevented companies from trying to walk away from deals. In 2001, for example, when Tyson Foods tried to back out of an acquisition of the meatpacker IBP, the court ruled that Tyson had to follow through with the agreement. In situations where the court has allowed buyers to exit, it has required them to pay damages. By most readings of Twitter's contract with Mr. Musk, damages would be capped at $1 billion. Twitter and Mr. Musk have assembled legal teams to duke it out. Leading Twitter's efforts in Delaware is William Savitt, a lawyer at Wachtell, Lipton, Rosen and Katz. Wachtell Lipton is famous for, among other things, developing legal tactics to protect companies from hostile buyers, like the so-called poison pill that Twitter originally put in place to defend itself against Mr. Musk. Mr. Savitt has experience before Delaware's Chancery Court and previously defended companies against the likes of Carl Icahn and Pershing Square, the investment firm run by the billionaire William Ackman. But Mr. Musk is unlike any other corporate raider who preceded him, making him a particularly complex opponent. Mr. Musk's legal team includes his personal lawyer, Alex Spiro, plus his partners at the law firm Quinn Emanuel and lawyers from Skadden, Arts, Slate, Ma and Flom. Skadden is a go-to corporate law firm, with ample experience arguing cases in front of the Delaware court, including the attempt by the luxury giant LVMH Mo Tennessee Louis Vuitton to break up its $16 billion deal to acquire Tiffany and Company. Skadden's client, LVMH, ultimately shaved about $420 million off its purchase price. Mike Isaac contributed reporting. Jack Begg contributed research. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertised T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions this article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 12 slash technology slash twitter dash lawsuit dash mask acquisition html previous article sections next previous article sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index login today's paper opinion the ukraine war is about to enter dangerous new phase https www.nighttimes.com 2022 to opinion ukraine russia Putin HTML give this article 1374 advertisement continue reading the main story opinion supported by continue reading the main story Thomas L. Friedman the Ukraine war is about to enter dangerous new phase the 12th of July 2022 credit Tyler Hicks the New York Times give this article 1374 by Thomas L. Friedman opinion columnist when trying to explain the recent improvements in the Russian army's operations in Ukraine some Ukrainian officials have taken to saying all the dumb Russians are dead, it's a backhanded compliment, meaning that the Russians have finally figured out a more effective way to fight this war since their incompetent early performance that got thousands of them killed. Precisely because the Ukraine war seems to have settled into a grinding war of attrition, with Russia largely standing back and just shelling and rocketing Ukrainian cities in the east, turning them to rubble and then inching forward you might think the worst of this conflict is over. You would be wrong. I believe the Ukraine war is about to enter a new phase. Based on this fact, many Russian soldiers and generals may be dead, but Ukraine's steadfast NATO allies are tired. This war has already contributed to a huge spike in natural gas, gasoline and food prices in Europe, 
and if it drags into the winter, many families in the European Union may have to choose between heating and eating. As a result, I think the war's new phase is what I call Vladimir Putin's winter strategy versus NATO's summer strategy. It is obvious that Putin is ready to keep plowing forward in Ukraine, in the hopes that the soaring inflation in energy and food prices in Europe will eventually fracture the NATO alliance. His bet seems to be, if average temperatures in Europe are colder than normal, and if average global oil and gas supplies are tighter than normal, and if average prices are higher than normal, and if electricity blackouts from energy shortages become widespread, there's a good chance that European NATO members will start pressuring President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine to cut a deal with Russia, any deal, to stop the fighting. So Putin must surely be telling his own exhausted troops and generals, just get me to Christmas. Winter is our friend, it is not a crazy strategy. As the Times as Jim Tankersley reported last week, White House officials fear a new round of European penalties aimed at curbing the flow of Russian oil by year-end could send energy prices soaring anew, slamming already beleaguered consumers and plunging the United States and other economies into a severe contraction. That chain of events could exacerbate what is already a severe food crisis plaguing countries across the world, NATO and EU efforts to curb Russian oil exports to Europe, the story added, could send oil prices soaring to $200 per barrel or more, translating to Americans paying $7 a gallon for gasoline, gasoline at $9 to $10 a gallon is already not uncommon in Europe, where natural gas prices have risen some 700%, Bloomberg reported, since the start of last year, pushing the continent to the brink of recession, meanwhile, NATO, US and Ukrainian officials are surely saying to themselves, yes, winter is our enemy. But the summer and autumn can be our friend, if we can inflict some real hurt on Putin's tired army now, so, at a minimum, he will accept a ceasefire, this, too, is not a crazy strategy. Putin may be making some gains in eastern Ukraine, but at a very high price. Numerous military analyses suggest that Russia has suffered, at a minimum, 15,000 soldiers' deaths in less than five months, a staggering figure, and probably double that number of wounded. More than 1,000 Russian tanks and artillery pieces have been turned into scrap. U.S. officials tell me that Putin has nowhere near enough troops right now to try to break out of eastern Ukraine and seize the port of Odessa in order to leave Ukraine landlocked and strangle its economy. As the Times' as Neil McFarquhar reported this weekend, Putin desperately needs more forces simply to maintain the recent momentum in the east and is already undertaking a stealth mobilization to get more men to the front without resorting to a politically risky national draft. To make up the manpower shortfall, the Kremlin is relying on a combination of impoverished ethnic minorities, Ukrainians from the separatist territories, mercenaries and militarized National Guard units and promising large cash incentives for volunteers. Putin is reluctant to draft more men because that would suggest that what he had told his people was just a special military operation in Ukraine is not only much bigger, but also going much worse. NATO is clearly hoping that the Ukrainian army can use the new M-142 high-mobility artillery rocket systems, or HIMARS, which the U.S. has transferred to Kyiv to inflict significantly more death and destruction on the Russian forces in Ukraine in the summer and fall. If so, Putin's advances may not only stall but even lose ground, and the Russian president may feel compelled to agree to a ceasefire, a big exchange of prisoners, humanitarian evacuations and better conditions for Ukrainian food exports, all of which would help to ease inflation and, hopefully, reduce pressure from Ukraine's European allies to cut just any deal with Putin. There is no sign that Putin is ready to make a final peace deal, but it may be possible to push him into this kind of ceasefire, which could provide relief to energy and food markets. So for all these reasons I'd argue the war in Ukraine is about to enter its most dangerous phase since the Russians invaded in February. Putin's winter strategy meets NATO's summer strategy. No wonder that a deputy Ukrainian prime minister, Irina Vereshchuk, 
has appealed to residents of Russian-held territories in the south to evacuate quickly so Russians could not use them as human shields during the anticipated Ukrainian counteroffensive. You need to find a way to leave, because our armed forces are coming to de-occupy, she said. There will be a massive fight, alas, there is no telling what Putin might do if his forces get stalled again or lose ground. It might make him more amenable to a ceasefire. It might also force him into a national mobilization to bring more troops to the fight. There is only one thing that I am certain of, this war in Ukraine will not end, really end, as long as Putin is in power in Moscow. That is not a call to overthrow him, that's for Russians to decide. It's simply an observation that this has always been Putin's war. He personally conceived it, planned it, directed it and justified it. It is impossible for him to imagine Russia as a great power without Ukraine. So, while it may be possible to force Putin into a ceasefire, I doubt it will be more than temporary. In short, this Ukraine war is so far from over that I can't even see over. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. We'd like to hear what you think about this or any of our articles. Here are some tips. And here's our email, letters, at, nighttimes.com. Follow the New York Times Opinion section on Facebook, Twitter, at NYTeOpinion, and Instagram. Advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 The New York Times Company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio Your ad choices privacy policy terms of service terms of sales site map Canada International help subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 12 slash opinion slash Ukraine dash Russia Putin HTML previous articles sections next previous articles sections next sections search skip to content skip to site index science login today's paper science web telescope reveals a new vision of an ancient universe https www.nighttimes.com 2022-07-12 science james web telescope images nasa html give this article advertisement continue reading the main story web telescope web telescope reveals a new vision of an ancient universe img soc equals images img 1u 2png comma the 12th of july 2022, 4.58 p.m. ET, the 12th of July, 2022, 4.58 p.m. ET, Dennis Overby, Kenneth Chang and Joshua Sokol video, IMG SOC equals images IMG 2U2JPG, photos sent back by NASA's James Webb Space Telescope, the most powerful and largest space observatory ever built, showed nebulas, a galactic cluster and possible water vapor on an exoplanet credit credit, NASA, ESA, CSA, and see the universe was born in darkness 13.8 billion years ago. And even after the first stars and galaxies blazed into existence a few hundred million years later, these two stayed dark. Their brilliant light, stretched by time and the expanding cosmos, dimmed into the infrared, rendering them, and other clues to our beginnings, inaccessible to every iron instrument. Until now, on Tuesday the James Webb Space Telescope, the most powerful space observatory yet built, offered a spectacular slideshow of our previously invisible nascent cosmos. Ancient galaxies carpeting the sky like jewels on black velvet, fledgling stars shining out from deep within cumulus clouds of interstellar dust, hints of water vapor in the atmosphere of a remote exoplanet. Their sun is both a new vision of the universe and a view of the universe as it once appeared new. That was always out there, said Jane Rigby, an astrophysicist at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, MD, and the telescope's project scientist for operations. We just had to build a telescope to go see what was there, the Webb Telescope, NASA's vaunted successor to the Hubble Space Telescope, 30 years and nearly $10 billion in the making, is equipped to gain access to this realm of cosmic history, study the first stars and galaxies and look for nearer, potentially habitable worlds. It is a collaboration among NASA, the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency.
We are looking for the first things to come out of the Big Bang, said John Maver, senior project scientist for the telescope. Image credit, Taylor Mikkel NASA President Biden offered a preview on Monday afternoon when he introduced what NASA officials and astronomers hailed as the deepest image yet taken of the cosmos, a mark that will probably be passed before the week is done as more data spews forth from NASA's computers. The image, of a distant star cluster called Max 0723, revealed the presence of still more distant galaxies spilled across the sky. The light from those galaxies, magnified into visibility by the gravitational field of the cluster, originated more than 13 billion years ago. To look outward into space is to peer into the past. Light travels at a constant 186,000 miles per second, or close to 6 trillion miles per year, through the vacuum of space. To observe a star 10 light years away is to see it as it existed 10 years ago, when the light left its surface. The farther away a star or galaxy lies, the older it is, making every telescope a kind of time machine. Astronomers theorize that the most distant, earliest stars may be unlike the stars we see today. The first stars were composed of pure hydrogen and helium left over from the Big Bang and they could grow far more massive than the sun, and then collapse quickly and violently into supermassive black holes of the kind that now populate the centers of most galaxies. Image credit, NASA, ESA, CSA, and see the new pictures were rolled out during an hour-long ceremony at the Goddard Space Flight Center that was hosted by Michelle Thaler, the center's assistant director for science communication, with video stops around the world. A few miles away at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, an overflow crowd of astronomers whooped and hollered, who hot and odd, as new images flashed on the screen, evidence that their telescope was working even better than hoped. One infrared skyscape showed Stefan's Quintet, five galaxies packed improbably tightly in the constellation Pegasus. Four are so closely engaged in the gravitational dance that they will eventually merge. Indeed, the image revealed a band of dust that was being heated up as two of the galaxies ripped stars from each other. Read more about the James Webb Space Telescope after traveling nearly one million miles to reach a location beyond the moon. The James Webb Space Telescope will spend years observing the cosmos. First images, in July, NASA released the first set of images captured by the telescope. Here are five things we learn from that spectacular slideshow. Closer to home, the telescope can capture photographs not only of galaxies across the universe, but also of objects in our celestial backyard, including planets such as Jupiter. A very different lens, the woman who oversaw the creation of the camera used by the telescope discussed the excitement of seeing her team's work come to fruition. A cosmic horn of plenty, I haven't been so entranced with a view of the heavens for a long time, writes our cosmic affairs correspondent, stunned by the power of the telescope. A view of the Southern Ring Nebula, the remnants of an exploded star, revealed hints of complex carbon molecules known as polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, or PARs, floating in its midst. Such molecules drift through space, settling in clouds that then give birth to new stars, planets, asteroids, and whatever life might subsequently sprout. Possibly, the formation of PARs in these stars is a very important part of how life got started, said Bruce Balick, an emeritus professor of astronomy at the University of Washington. I'm gobsmacked, image credit, NASA, ESA, CSA, and see image credit, NASA, ESA, CSA, and see the most striking image was of the Carina Nebula, a vast, swirling cloud of dust that is both a star nursery and home to some of the most luminous and explosive stars in the Milky Way. Seen in infrared, the nebula resembled a looming, eroded coastal cliff dotted with hundreds of stars that astronomers had never seen before. It took me a while to figure out what to call out in this image, Amber Strawn, deputy project scientist for the telescope, said as she pointed to a craggy structure. Dr. Strawn added that she could not help thinking about the scale of the nebula, full of stars with planets of their own. We humans really are connected to the universe, she said. We are made out of the same stuff in this landscape. From astronomers and at watch parties around the globe, there was uniform relief and praise. This event blew me away, said Alan Dressler, an astronomer at the Carnegie Observatory who was instrumental in planning for the telescope 30 years ago. 
Guess I'm not as jaded as I thought, he added, the growth in our understanding of the universe will be as great as it was with the Hubble, and that is really saying something. We're in for a great adventure, a feeding frenzy in the sky image credit, NASA, ESA, CSA, and see the pictures and other data released on Tuesday were selected by a small team of imaging experts and public outreach specialists for the image's ability to show off the new telescope's range and power, and to knock the public socks off. These will be followed in the next six months by the results of studies in NASA's early release science programs. Some results, including images of galaxies even more distant than the one shown by Mr. Biden on Monday, will be available later this week. On Thursday, all the data gathered during the testing of the telescope and its instruments will become available. Now that the images are out, there will be an astronomer feeding frenzy Garth Illingworth, a researcher at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and an initiator of the telescope program four decades ago, wrote in an email. The early release science programs, intended to jumpstart the Webb era, include studies of the solar system, galaxies, intergalactic space, massive black holes and the evolution of stars. Jupiter and its myriad intriguing satellites, such as Europa, the target of an upcoming NASA mission, will be one focus. Two other studies will be devoted to exoplanets, including the TRAPPIST-1 system, just 40 light-years away, where seven planets circle a dim red dwarf star. Three of those planets are Earth-sized rocks orbiting in the habitable zone, where water could exist on the surface. Dreaming of the light unseen image credit, Northrop Grumman just as the Hubble Space Telescope defined astronomy for the last three decades. NASA expects Webb to define the field for a new generation of researchers who have been eagerly awaiting their own rendezvous with the cosmos. It's been a long time coming. What began as the next-generation space telescope evolved into an infrared telescope capable of sensing the heat from the earliest stars and galaxies in the universe. Because the cosmos is expanding, those earliest stars and galaxies are rushing away from Earth so fast that their light is shifted to longer, redder wavelengths, much as the sound from an ambulance's siren shifts to a lower register as it speeds by. The light from the most distant and earliest galaxies and stars, once blue, is now infrared heat radiation, invisible to the eye. So too is the radiation from carbon, ozone and other molecules that are of keen interest to astrobiologists. An early planning committee concluded that the telescope would need to be at least 4 meters in diameter. Hubble's was just 2.4 meters across, and highly sensitive to infrared radiation, and it would cost $1 billion. NASA's administrator, Dan Golden, liked the idea but worried that a 4-meter telescope would be too small to see the first stars, so he increased the size to 8 meters. Doubled in size, however, the telescope would no longer fit aboard any existing rocket. That meant the telescope's mirror would have to be foldable, and it would have to unfurl itself in space. NASA eventually settled on a mirror 6.5 meters wide, with seven times the light-gathering power of Hubble's. Moreover, the telescope would have to be cooled to 2 minus 380 degrees Fahrenheit to prevent the telescope's own heat from swamping the faint emanations from distant stars. One instrument had to be even colder, minus 447 degrees Fahrenheit, just a few degrees above absolute zero. This was accomplished by parking the telescope permanently behind the sunshade, but all the challenges of developing and building the instrument remained. In 1990, NASA had sent Hubble into orbit with a misshapen mirror, still stinging from that embarrassment, the agency devised a long and expensive testing program for the new telescope. The price tag rose to $8 billion, and in 2011, Congress nearly cancelled the project. Webb became the perfect storm, Dr. Dressler recalled. The more expensive it got, the more critical it was that it not fail, and that made it even more expensive. During one early test, the sun shield was torn. When you work with a $10 billion telescope, there are no small problems, said Thomas Zerbergen, NASA's associate administrator for science missions. It's hard to know what's boldface and what is not. Christmas for astronomers image credit, Chris Gunn NASA image credit, Chris Gunn NASA, via Associated Press The Webb Telescope represents the combined effort of about 20,000 engineers, astronomers, technicians and bureaucrats, according to Billox, 
who has been a telescope's project manager since 2011. It is now orbiting the Sun at a spot called L2, where the combined gravitational fields of the Sun and Earth create a stable resting spot. Its mirror, made of 18 gold-coated beryllium hexagons, suggests a sunflower floating on the blade of a giant shovel, the Sun's screen that keeps the telescope cold and pointing ever outward from our star. All of Webb's troubles vanished on Christmas morning, when a flawless launch from French Guiana and lifted the telescope past hundreds of single points of failure and left it with twice as much maneuvering fuel as expected and the possibility of a 20-year career in science. The mirror also proved to be twice as good as expected at detecting the shortest wavelengths of light, increasing the telescope's resolving power. As the Goddard ceremony wrapped up on Tuesday, Dr. Zerbachan and Dr. Mather took the stage to congratulate and praise the team that had worked together so long and well. Dr. Mather said that he had never worried that the telescope wouldn't succeed, although maybe I should have, he added. Dr. Zerbachan shot back, I get paid to worry, advertisement continue reading the main story site information navigation copyright sign 2022 the New York Times company NYTCO contact us accessibility work with us advertise T-Brand Studio your ad choices privacy policy. Terms of service terms of sale site map Canada International Help Subscriptions This article was downloaded by Calibre from https colon slash slash www.nighttimes.com slash 2022 slash 07 slash 12 slash science slash james-web-telescope-images-nasa.html Previous articles sections next